Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the true planetary and galactic history history and true history history of Nasara. Infinite blessings on this sacred Saturday. As we, uh, today is actually the day that Patricia Cotarobles and her organization, ERAofPeace.org, start their World Congress Illumination. And uh, again, if you want to check in and tune in to that, um, virtually, they are having a one-hour program Sunday through Thursday, and you can still sign up on ERAofPeace.org. So it's a very auspicious time as we uh, uh, near our new moon coming up on the 16th. And uh, so we'll go ahead and set some intentions for that new moon for ourselves and for all as we do our work here of anchoring heaven on earth. So please join me by going into your heart center. And going into the heart center, we call for the full emergence and integration of our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional being, true to our God presence and goddess presence. Feel your energy field growing and expanding. And focus your attention on your pillar of light. See, sense, and feeling your pillar of light fully anchored to source and fully anchored to the heart of Mother Gaia. Filled with an exquisite rainbow white light. Allow your heart to expand as we call forth everyone across the planet to join us in our, in our divine mission <clears throat> of bringing heaven to earth as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. So we invite everybody in through the following prayer. Please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all of my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. So take a nice deep breath as we go ahead and include everyone in our work. So we call call in for one and all, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pots. We welcome as well for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, 
the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the furry kingdom, and all of the kingdoms of nature. The whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all the realms of the angels, <clears throat> from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries and Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light. And we welcome all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome our friends as well from the Galactic Federation of Light healing teams, especially those that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and from Lyra, and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, Asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. The maximum that each being can receive individually and collectively. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and evocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of auric fields multidimensionally on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well. And we ask that with every energy and frequency, prayer and invocation, blessing, grace, dispensation, activation, that we easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive. With the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity, tranquility, balance and equilibrium without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. And so we call forth at this time everyone and everything in our circle of support from the very first name that created it. To every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every friend and neighbor, every pet, every animal, every aspect of life, especially we hold, we've recently added obviously all that's gone on in um, Hawaii and all of the wildfires there and all those that have made their transition due to this. All those that have experienced loss. 
from their work, whatever it might be, someone they know. And so we hold the Hawaiian Islands in our heart of hearts, as well as all that is going on in the world. And we call forth, again, all of the rays, flames, universal laws, and ascension waves into everyone and everything in our circle of support. And we ask for the assistance of Lady Liberty and Lady Justice for every government, every nation, every military, all those that compose the legislative aspect of each government, all lawmakers, the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, all parliaments, all congresses in each and every nation, each lawmaking body on national, state, and local levels, all state legislatures, all provincial legislatures, all city councils, all school boards, library boards, whatever it might be. And we blaze the violet flame. We blaze the blue flame that work together for divine government through each and every aspect and through all laws being created, being thought of, being enacted. As we call forth Lady Liberty and Lady Justice, to ensure that only the highest and best takes place. And that only that which is in alignment with divine governance and divine law and God's perfect patterns of perfection, the divine blueprint of government is enacted at this time. And we call forth the same the blue ray and the violet ray, the goddess of justice, the goddess of liberty, to work with the executive aspect of each government, each president, each prime minister, each head of state, each and every decision maker, each and every cabinet post, um, the Department of State in each, in each nation, the Department of Justice in each nation, and all cabinet members and decision makers in each government, that once again only the highest and the best decisions take place that are for the highest and the best of all, and that are in alignment with divine governance and divine will and the divine blueprint for divine government for this nation and for every nation. We ask the same for the judicial aspect of each government, we ask, call forth that violet flame and that blue cosmic flame of divine love and divine will to to move through each and every person and each and every aspect of the judiciary here and in each nation, the Supreme Court, the highest court of the land in each and every nation, all federal state and local judges, all court cases, all court decisions, 
all juries and grand juries, all prosecutors, all defendants, that only divine justice take place, that is indeed in the highest and best for all, in alignment with divine will and divine law. And that is an aspect of that divine governance and the divine blueprint for divine government for this nation and each and every nation. So for all the patterns of weather, whether it's the heat, whether it's the drought, whether it's the floods, hurricanes or tornadoes, whether it is too much water or not enough water, whether it is any aspect of climate change or any aspect of weather extremes, we call forth Gaia to balance as we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive here today and each and every day. We ask that everything that is less than perfection, everything that is less than the divine blueprint that this planet Earth has come here to accomplish, be brought into perfect harmony and balance, be brought into alignment with the perfection of the new golden age. And so we call forth Gaia to receive all that we receive in her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. Through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the energy grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire. And through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light, as we continue up the spiral evolution of evolution along with Gaia, and she takes her rightful place as freedom star and comes in to the divine perfection of her blueprint of what she was meant to be becoming Freedom Star. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We once again ask to give our muddy I am presence and all of our higher dimensional being due to our God presence, God's presence, dominion. So the muddy I am presence level is the planetary Christ level. So one way to look at it is your Christ of being. Before you get to the other aspects of your being, the angelic, the archangelic, the galactic, the universal, the God presence, goddess presence, we ask them all to take dominion, the highest level that we can achieve in this moment as we say the following prayer. Mighty I am presence, take command of my outer self this day. Take command of my every thought, feeling, spoken word, action, and reaction. 
produce your perfection and hold your dominion within me. Put me and keep me always in my right and perfect place. Show me the perfect thing to do and through me do it perfectly. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Take a nice deep breath. This is into grade three. And we say, Beloved, I am presence. I love and adore you. Shine through my every effort at becoming one with you. O flaming presence of light, let the gift of divine love which is yours alone to give, flow through me to set life free. I ask that I might be love's open door as I accelerate my journey toward eternal oneness with you. I consciously draw back to myself all my own energies that I am so desirous of loving free. Help me, beloved, I am presence to love myself free of all my returning energy as I am about the business of loving all life free. I am reclaiming all the energies back into the heart of love. I am the love and light of God, goddess in action, loving me free. I am grateful to the violet flame, the most powerful aspect of freedom's love that instantly transmutes all outstanding energy back into perfection. Join me in saying, I am one with my I am presence. I am one with my I am presence. I am one with my I am presence. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am that I am. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we call in all the aspects of our fifth dimensional solar spine to blaze more brightly than ever before. Through the presence of God, Goddess, I am. I now invoke the mighty solar Elohim to project their luminous presence into the atmosphere of Earth. And know that as we call this forth for ourselves, we call this forth for every man, woman, and child. Blessed ones accelerate the expansion of the circle of the sacred twelve and the divine qualities associated with each of the 12 solar aspects of deity. Through my fifth-dimensional solar spine and 12 solar chakras, project this divine light into every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of my earthly bodies and lift every frequency vibration in these vehicles into the infinite perfection of my solar light bodies. I clearly perceive that my 12 solar chakras 
and the corresponding solar meridians in my fifth dimensional spine are unique and radiate light that I have not experienced in the past. All of the solar energy has been expanded with the crystalline and diamond light coming through them. I see that each of my fifth dimensional solar chakras radiates all 12 solar aspects of deity all the time. I understand this is the true meaning of the circle of the sacred 12. Beloved Elohim, expand the infinite power and light of the sacred circle of the sacred 12 through all of my solar chakras. I now experience the 12 solar aspects of deity as they expand one by one. through all of my 12 solar chakras as they become blazing crystalline suns of light. I experience the first solar aspect of deity, which is sapphire blue, pulsating with the divine qualities of God's will, illumined faith, power, protection, and God's first cause of perfection. Take a nice deep breath as we ask Gaia and Sandalfon to integrate all of these frequencies and these qualities. Now I experience the second solar aspect of deity, which is sunshine yellow, pulsating with the divine qualities of enlightenment, wisdom, illumination, understanding, perception, constancy, and Christ consciousness. I now experience the third solar aspect of deity, which is crystalline pink. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of comprehensive and transfiguring divine love, tolerance, adoration, respect, and reverence for all life. Nice deep breath. I am now experiencing the fourth solar aspect of deity, which is white. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of purity, hope, the immaculate concept, restoration, resurrection, and ascension. Again, as we call this forth for ourselves, we call this in for every man, woman, and child, and for every cell and molecule of life on earth. I now experience the fifth solar aspect of deity, which is emerald green. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of lumen truth, healing, consecration, concentration, and inner vision. I now experience the sixth solar aspect of deity, which is ruby gold in color. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of ministering grace, healing, devotional worship, and peace. All this radiates out in through and around us. And as we anchor this within our own physical form, we anchor it for all and for all life on earth. I I now experience the seventh solar aspect of deity, which is violent. See a sense of feeling. 
pulsating with the divine qualities of freedom, liberty, justice, victory, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and transmutation. And now the eight solar aspect of deity, which is aquamarine. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of clarity, lucidity, divine perception, discernment, and understanding. I now experience the ninth solar aspect of deity, which is magenta in color. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of harmony, balance, assurance, and God, goddess confidence. I now experience the 10th solar aspect of deity, which is gold. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of eternal peace, prosperity, abundance, and the God, God of supply of all good things. Now I experience the 11th solar aspect of deity, which is peach in color. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of divine purpose, enthusiasm, and joy. And now I experience the 12th solar aspect of deity, which is opal in color. It is pulsating with the divine qualities of transformation and transfiguration. In my fifth dimensional solar spine, every chakra reflects all of the aspects of deity all of the time. But if I choose to amplify one or more of the aspects of deity, for a particular reason or in a particular situation. I simply ask my I am presence to increase that specific divine quality, and it will instantly expand through all 12 chakras simultaneously. My mighty I am presence always monitors the situation, and when the appropriate amount of light has been projected my, through my physical, etheric, mental, and emotional bodies, the circle of the sacred 12 will return to perfect balance at each solar chakra. I can amplify one or more aspects of deity through my solar chakras any time I want to, and I can do it as often as I like according to the need of the hour and my service to the light. Beloved Elohim, I thank you for the clarity and assistance that you are giving to me and to all humanity through this momentous time on earth. I accept and know through the power of my I am presence that the expanded activity of light that you are projecting through my solar spine daily and hourly is lifting me into higher frequencies of the fifth and higher dimensions according to my divine plan and for the divine plan of the collective. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Can take a nice deep breath as we ask for the highest integration. And we ask for ourselves and for every man, woman, and child to accept and know our divine identity as we affirm 
I am the eternal flame of life. A white fire being from the heart of the Almighty. I dwell within my twelve-fold ray from out of the great central sun, crowned with the twelve diamond rays of attainment. I abide upon my sacred lotus throne of light, letting my love flow out to all creation. I am a sun in the infinite palace of light. My world the altar of infinite space, my radiance, the peace of the great solar quiet. I am the undying flame of life everywhere, the great eternal joy, glory, perfection of existence. I am, I am, I am. Twelve times twelve, I am. I wear pure golden sandals with ribbons of light. A crown made of sun rays. A cloak of God might. I carry a scepter. My focus of power. I pour forth pure Christ light. Each moment. Each hour. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. We're going to change our focus from ourselves as our radiant beings that we are. We're going to utilize that radiance and that power as we call forth for assistance for divine government, especially from the goddesses. Bring in that violet who's going to change our focus of all 12. We'll bring in all 12 to all of them, but especially the violet and the blue, as well as all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. We just ask that all of these energies be utilized to raise the frequency of everyone and everything within each government to transform all consciousness that divine governance is enacted right here and right now. In the name of the almighty presence of God, Goddess, I am and through the creative fire pulsating in every heart. I invoke the goddess of liberty, the goddess of justice, the goddess of truth, the goddess of glory, the goddess of freedom, the goddess of victory, the silent watcher for Washington, D.C., beloved Columbia, and all of the mighty guardians, and cosmic beings who dwell in the other complex over Washington, D.C. Blessed ones, come forth now and assist me with the most powerful cleansing activity humanity and the earth are capable of receiving during this cosmic moment. 
is one unified heart. I now invoke the fifth dimensional frequencies of the violet transmuting flame on a cosmic level, on a solar, crystalline, and diamond level. The violet flame of forgiveness, transmutation, forgetfulness. Blaze, blaze, blaze the sacred violet fire in turn around all inharmonious actions. A lower human consciousness and all obstructions of the light that I or any part of life have ever placed into the pathway of life's perfection. Through the divine power of forgiveness and forgetfulness and transmutation, transmute, transmute, transmute this discordant energy, cause, or effect record and memory now and forever. Blaze and sustain the violet light of a thousand suns, and the cosmic blue lightning of divine will, power, faith, and authority from the great, great central sun, as well as all of the flames, all of the rays, all of the universal laws and ascension waves, in, through, and around the President of the United States of America and all of his cabinet, all of the executive branch, all of the cabinet posts, the Department of Justice, Department of State, and all of its staff, for the executive branch, now and forever. Blaze these frequencies around the Senate and House of Representatives for the United States of America, all of the legislative branch and staff, now and forever. The Supreme Court and all courts of law, all, all of the judicial branch of our government, and all staff and all legal procedures now and forever. And as we call this in, we call this in not only on federal levels, on national levels for this nation, but we call it in for every nation, as well as all state and local levels as well. And blaze, blaze, blaze these divine frequencies through the United Nations and all of its members, all of its all representatives, all of its staff, now and forever. Blaze, blaze, blaze these frequencies through all world leaders and all those associated with governments of this earth at national, state, and local levels, now and forever. I accept this victoriously accomplished through the power of God, Goddess, I am. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, and we decree victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. And we call forth to St. Germain and Amoria, the great divine director, Archangel Michael, Archangel Zakiel, and all those associated, all the goddesses that we've invoked, we ask them all to seal this work. Then again, with moment by moment, 
with each and every step that we take, each and every step that all members of humanity take, that this world is transformed through knowing the divinity that they are. And divine governance is established once and for all. We give thanks for that. We give thanks to the the entire company of heaven who has assisted here today and continues to work with us each and every moment. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service here today. We give thanks to you and to um, everyone out there um, doing this work, and we invite you to join us for further service work every Sunday and Monday evening. For the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls, which combines a variety of visualizations and meditations and activations. We did an activation today, that's for sure. Uh, activations and prayers and evocations for the transformation of the planet, again, for ourselves and for every man, woman, and child. To bring heaven to earth. So we invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greeting. We have a brief update from Tower and Rama. Then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth. and transforming everyone and everything on this planet into its divine blueprint. This is a teleconference call, so you join us. You can join us by phone. Let me give you the main number that we're using. So the number that seems to work best for people is area code 480-660-2224-480. Six six zero two 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 four. The access code is nine four six seven four four one pound. Nine four six seven four four one pound. Now there are local numbers. There are international numbers. There's a way to access it online through freeconference.com. And there's also an app. So I will send you that information. Just contact me by email if you need that, those extra numbers. And that would be Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I-01 at AOL.com. So Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. We'd love to hear from you. Love to have you join us on a regular basis. Love to have you a part of our regular family of light doing this divine service work. Again, the more that we have, the more the work magnifies. The more that that we have participating, it just magnifies the work exponentially. And as we do the work for ourselves and for everyone, it magnifies for us exponentially as well. So infinite blessings, 
have a glorious new moon. I think it's exact, let's see, it's exact on the 16th here in Eastern Time at 5.38 a.m. So it'll be over the early morning hours for us in the U.S. on the 16th for some parts of the world on the 15th. So set your new moon intentions, have a glorious, glorious week, and may magic and miracles fill every moment. Thank you again for your divine service. We want to thank Tor and Rama for their divine service over all these many years. And we thank Rainbow for her divine service as well as I pass the talking stick. So blessings to you all. Have a wondrous, wondrous week. I'm going to pass the talking stick. Filled with all of the rays, every frequency imaginable, my dear. Blazing out to you, Rainbird. Okay. Good. Yeah, thank you for that talking stick with all the rays and all the frequencies imaginable. It's gorgeous, and thank you so much for your divine service as well. Thank you, dear. What a wonderful uh, introduction for every Saturday when we come on and do that, and just an excellent way to bring us together. So lots of gratitude for you. Thank you. And as we are a listener-supported radio program, it's all of us that makes it happen. So this is <laughs> this is the housekeeping. This is how we make it happen. And um, I want to tell you that we have fees each week with CBS Radio. And this month, the, the fees are $278, or to be precise, $277.75. And that's due on Monday, so we like to gather that each weekend as we get together and take a moment to take that action. Here's how we do it. Go into your heart space and see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And you're looking for the schedule for Radio Station 1 and 2. sorts of issues we're trying to fix so not oh, it sounded so positive Don they thought like they were you right, got them all, but right. Not, but the DNS records they never installed the DNS records they you know they told me everything was ready and then when they put it all on the new server they cut off the old server 
the 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 streaming techs, um, which are with Centova. And uh, so I was forced into the situation without, you know, because this is what they did. And then they said, oh, you got to point these DNS records. So I did, but nothing's working. I'm like, oh, my God. And it would have to happen on a weekend. So I'm dealing with phone calls coming in so crazy right now, and I just, I'm a little lost. So just carry on. But, uh, you know, people can tune in on the phone lines, but that's about it. Well, are you saying that people can't hear us on here anymore? Or they might not even be able to hear you on the phone lines either. I'm not sure. There's a few people that are tuning in, so they're figuring it out. But, yeah, we're having some serious issues. But, Donna, you can't bring us back online now? Oh, yeah. you're. We're online right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We shall continue, and we will blaze the violet fire. Okay. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Let's Get back to the talk. Get back to you. All right. <laughs> back to me. And so here's how we make a contribution to our um, account at BBS Radio. Go into your heart space, see what is yours to give. Go to bbsradio.com. Click on radio station one or two. I think the schedule is just right there on the menu. On the home page, you'll see schedule. And if you click on that, you have the option of Radio 1 and Radio 2. So Radio 1 is for Thursday and Friday shows at the 8 o'clock hour in that central time. And um, there, as you click on the icon there, on Thursdays, the night at the round table with the panel. And on Friday, the hard news on Friday nights with uh, Tara and Rama. So either one. How those work? Click on the as you click on the icon, you're taken directly to our account with BBS Radio, where you can make that donation of any amount. And for this program on Saturdays on Radio Station Two, it's clicking on the menu at the 3:30 hour, the true history, history of the Sarah, and the galactic origins with Tara and Rama. And you can click on that icon there, and that takes you to our account. So that's how we do it. We make our donation with our vote cards as we do that. And thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week they just have a running bill and, um, but anyway, it comes to, oh, Dish Network. Yeah. So it comes to $210, 50 for one, 150 for the other. And those are both due this week. One of them due on Monday, the $50 one. So we want to make sure we get something there for that. And then for living expenses, they need $200 for all the different things they need to get and put gas in the car and all that stuff. So uh, lots of gratitude for your contributions to Tara and Rama. Here's how we make a donation to um, to them, to Rainbow Roundtable. Go to rainbowroundtable.net. Click on the home page, you'll see the um, menu grid. Click on that menu grid, and that menu will drop down near the very bottom of that list is the donate link. Click on that, and that takes you directly to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal site where you can make that donation in any amount. If you want to access the friends option, we need the, the email for that site, which is Koran, uh, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at Comcast. I mean, oops, at hotmail.com. 
and say, I'll say it again. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-949 at hotmail.com. And that act gives you that access to the friends option for as a gift. And that it is. And we are all family and friends here. So it's a good place to do it. Either way is perfect. We're great for your donations. Um, and then as you're sending something, let Rama know. And that email to correspond with Rama is Koran, K-O-R-E-N, 999-39 at Comcast.net. Let them know what you sent when you sent it, and that's a good thing. And then, um, as you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, D-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280280, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. And the zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is 87567. And I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. <laughs> Long life, no evil, honey in the heart. <laughs> 13, thank you. And honey in the heart. There you go. Anyway, I'm passing that talking stick. And it's full of all the rays and and all the frequencies more than you could imagine and it's also got lots of fairies and feathers and and every kind of shot you can think of is represented big ones and little ones and then there's also dragons and unicorns for the magic of the month and for our abundance and so greetings Tara and Rama here comes his talking stick welcome Greetings. Greetings, everyone. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Yes. Thank you, all of them. And thank you, everyone. Yes. Yes. Most of the shots are here. I had a dream last night. There was a cheetah and a leopard in the backyard, <laughs> along with one of the gray cats that lives in the shed. And... I'm not sure if this was a, a, a dream or if it was, you know, kind of in an altered reality, but all three of the indoor cats were in the window, glued to the window, and they were waiting for... To some, the bedroom window. Yes. Because they were not sure about these uh, bigger cats. And the fact that there was a craft above us. And, oh, my. Yeah. Well, they were, sounds like they were afraid. Were they afraid? They were just unsure. They hadn't met these cats in the outside <laughs> before. But it was like that got me up at 3 o'clock this morning. Oh, joy. But it, it is unmasking reality. That's what's going on right now. Yep. Okay, and, and that's the title of Aurora Ray's little piece here, right? Yes. Or just... We're going to leave the uh, the mania of the news alone, except that make make this time um, send all the good vibrations and love uh, that we share together to the situation in Lahaina. Yes. There's a lot of very 
hurt and sad and um, and a lot of missing people still and people don't know and let's just uh, call in the highest energies and all those what do you call those very large angels they're over the whole the whole area right two hundred oh, feet tall. Yeah, they're solar angels. Solar angels are all through there. And I just keep on hearing this say again now that these ones that went over the rainbow can choose to return in the completely healed states and continue life with more good vibrations. And... uh, Wisdom and assistance to those here. Bring the joy. Bring the joy. Okay, so Rama, what's the top subtitle of Unmasking Reality? There? The inner exploration with Vipassana meditation, mapping the landscape of consciousness. Here we go. Asking reality. Vipassana, Sanskrit, seeing in the mind and heart, is an ancient Buddhist meditation practice that seeks insight into the true nature of reality. It's taught entirely from observation and reflection as a method for discovering freedom from suffering. The aim of Vipassana practice is to see things as they really are, without preference or attachment. It is based on the Buddhist theory of perception, which holds that all experience arises from our mental activity. The meditation method can be applied to many areas of life, from personal relationships to the workings of society. Vipassana meditation teaches us to see clearly, without any distortion or hesitation, into the nature of our own minds. When we learn to observe our thoughts and feelings with this kind of clarity, we can discover that they are not really separate from us or independent of each other. They arise and pass away naturally, just as they do in life itself. Over time, you'll learn how to detach yourself from your thoughts and emotions so that they don't disturb or distract you during meditation sessions. This helps you achieve a state of composure that allows you to focus on your internal experiences without being pulled away by external stimuli. If you want to practice Vipassana meditation, the first thing you have to do is to make yourself comfortable. Sit in a quiet place where you will not be disturbed by anyone and where there is enough space for you to stretch out your legs. Make sure the temperature of your room is neither too hot nor too cold, but just right. Choose a comfortable seat that allows an upright position with both feet flat on the floor. You can sit cross-legged if this feels more natural to you, but try leaning back against one or two pillows first before trying this position out. If possible, choose a time when you won't be disturbed by anyone for at least 30 minutes or so. At least 45 minutes is better. The first step in practicing Vipassana meditation is learning to breathe deeply and slowly. The second step is learning how to observe your thoughts as they arise in your mind during the course of your day. This can be done by sitting comfortably with your eyes closed. When you meditate, 
you're in the present moment. You're not thinking about anything else and you don't have any judgments or expectations about what might happen next. The mind is like a wild horse or a raging fire. If you try to control it, it will just get worse. But if you let it be, then it will settle down into its natural state of restfulness and calm. As soon as one thought arises in your mind, watch it come into being. Then let it pass away naturally by watching rather than thinking about it or trying to control it in any way. This process becomes easier with practice. After a while, when you're sitting down to meditate, you'll notice that thoughts come and go more quickly than they used to. You don't have to be aware of every thought. Just watch whatever comes up and then let it go again. If you're new to Vipassana meditation, it's not unusual for thoughts to arise in your mind. When this happens, just watch them come into being and pass away naturally. Then try this process again. When one thought arises, watch it come into being. Then let it go by watching rather than thinking about it or trying to control it in any way. This process becomes easier with practice. As your mindfulness grows stronger, the thoughts will become more easily observed and absorbed into your awareness without any effort on your part. The third step is to watch your feelings. When you notice a feeling such as anger or sadness, observe it and let it go. This may sound easy, but it can be surprisingly challenging in the beginning. You're not trying to change your feelings. You're simply watching them arise and passing right through them. Once you've noticed that you're feeling a certain way, then work on recognizing the emotion itself, not its content, what subject it's about, but its form, its shape. For example, I'm feeling angry can be translated into I'm experiencing anger. Once we see this, we can start observing our emotions more closely and see what they tell us about ourselves what needs changing and what needs strengthening. When you get beyond these three things, first, breathing, second, thinking, and third, feeling, all that remains is your pure consciousness. At its core, Vipassana meditation is about surrendering all control and expectations. As you clear your mind of thoughts and feelings, you accept that the only thing in this moment is your pure consciousness. And then all that arises, emotions, desires, and thoughts, is also accepted. There's nothing to do but watch them come and go until they disappear completely, leaving you in a state of pure awareness. It can be challenging at first, because the thoughts and emotions will fight to exist, but as you practice over time, it will get easier. The turmoil will fade more quickly. And those few moments of meditation may leave you feeling relaxed, rested and calm during your entire day. You can practice Vipassana meditation anywhere, anytime. You can find a quiet place in your home or at a park or sit right in front of your computer. It doesn't matter where you practice meditation. Meditation is an important part of living mindfully, learning to recognize and observe our feelings as they arise and pass away. And it's easy to learn how to meditate when doing so becomes second nature when it just comes naturally and effortlessly. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation.
okay, now I think we're steady on the course here. Let's let's just listen now to a. This is called building new future. This is building a new future for humanity with Nassim. How are we? Oh, it's the uh, arrow that yeah <laughs> covering up the U. Okay, what's the subtitle, Rob? Quantum vacuum energy and gravity control. And I heard today on BBC News, their scientists, I guess, in this country or maybe Britain, talking about finding the fifth element, the, you know, ether, the quantum field, the Akash. It's about time in the Chinese astrology. That's a. Tesla was talking about this with. Mark Twain, and they were using the violet ray machine in Tesla's laboratory. Okay, I'm sure we're going to enjoy this, everybody. Here we go. Oh, this is an hour and 55 minutes. Yeah. Bonjour. Hello, everybody. It's so great to um, be with you and talk to you. It's been so long. I've been in my physics cave for so long um, and I'm finally coming out we have so much exciting stuff happening uh, so much has happened in the last year and a half and um, the theory and the work the theoretical work and the technological work we are uh, been working on is is starting to emerge we're starting this relationship with you we want to bring you along. We want to connect with you. We want to uh, start this amazing journey with you. And so I was looking at the physics we were writing and we got deep into the physics um, and we started to see like the emergence of an amazing unification of all of physics, all constants, all scales, all forces unified. And um, we got deep into it and I realized as I dug in that like I hadn't really um, published papers that were understood um, and that uh, the papers I published made huge assumptions and that one of the assumptions I made was that because I'm an autodidact and I studied independently that um, you know the physics uh, that I had studied were understood by all physicists. And I realized actually that's not the case. And, and so it, my papers were not quite understood. Like, and since those papers weren't quite understood, um, the papers I was about to publish were not going to be understand, understood neither. So I figured I better publish a paper that slowly, you know, lays the ground for what's coming, like this 200-page, more like a book, uh, that's going to emerge uh, in the next few months, but th- but that I needed a paper that was going to be a precursor to the book and that was going to explain deeply the, the history, but as well show uh, the solutions that I give, the physics that I give earlier, how when you write the details of it and how uh, you can emerge from it, 
the physics of a unified field theory and a unified view of physics. And so we uh, wrote this paper. It's going to come out in the next few weeks. And it um, basically, it's called The Origin of Mass and the Nature of Gravity. And so it basically goes through uh, a really deep level of the emergence of fields um, and what I mean by that, forces and mass and um, and constants in physics at the deepest level. So it's the first step. So so this is the first step I want to share with you today. And it, it, I, we're going to do this really quick. So it, it's not going to be in enough details for you to understand it all. We're just going to do with the hands kind of like this is kind of how it works. And but we are offering to as well, like give you a seminar, uh, like have a seminar in the next few uh, months. So in September, I think the, at the end of September, it will be the English uh, seminar and the French one at the beginning of October. And then as well, we have a technical seminar that's only going to be jargon. Um, that is going to be for the scientists. This is a free seminar for the scientists. And then a two-day seminar for the layman uh, to explain this paper that's going to come out. And it has profound implication. As well, throughout this last year and a half, there's been changes in my organizations. We've moved from California and all this. And so I'm going to present this to you today starting with our CEO, Sarah Astle, which is going to explain to you this new organization called ISF, or International Space Federation. So, Sarah, take it over. Hello and welcome. Thank you to all of you joining us live and to you tuning in later to our recording. My name is Sarah Astle. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of our organizations, and I'm here with Thibaut Verbest, our Chief Legal Officer. My name is Thibaut Verbist. I am a lawyer and I am the chief legal officer of the ISF. I would like to share with you something that we are about to launch. You know our organizations as the Resonance Science Foundation and Taurus Tech. We are excited to announce that we are taking these companies to the next level. Introducing the International Space Federation. The International Space Federation, or ISF, stands on the shoulders of all the companies that came before it. It brings together the education, research, and technology developed over the past 35 years through physicist Nassim Haramein and his team of scientists and engineers. ISF marks a new step in human evolution. A deeper understanding of the nature of reality through the unification of physics and science generates a direct engineering path to significant energy production. From the structure of quantum vacuum fluctuations to the alteration and control of the space-time curvature to yield gravity control. ISF is the first space agency dedicated to the development of these liberating technologies that will birth humanity into a new way of interacting with nature at the most fundamental level and bring us to a sustainable world with true space-bound capabilities. Imagine a world that doesn't depend on fossil fuels and having access to unlimited off-planet resources. So um, this crazy adventure that we're in, this amazing transformation, I think, that is going on around the world today um, is really 
forcing and, and, and putting a stressor on society to evolve, to transform, to, to transcend. And, and there's transcendence that's emerging as well from the scientific community. And, uh, what I mean by that is that there is all kinds of new sets of data that are coming in and, and, um, different sets of research that are coming in that are really bringing science and forcing science in some ways to, to move to the next level of understanding and comprehension. And, and I wanted to share with you some of that science today. Um, the James Webb telescope and the, the data that's coming back is starting to show clearly and some scientists are starting to talk that way that, uh, the universe obeys the condition of a black hole and that we might be living in a black hole. Something I've been discussing for many, many years. Uh, there is scientists that are talking about the protons and atoms being mini black holes and so on. And, and there is very deep level of, um, of science that is being re-examined and, and we're going to do some of that together today. And I wanted to invite, uh, some of my colleagues, uh, that have been working with me diligently for the last few years in some cases, um, on these, um, fundamental physics. Uh, one of them being, uh, Olivier Allerol, which is sitting with me today. Hello, everyone. So good to have you here, Olivier. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. And I'm, uh, as well, uh, sitting here with, um, uh, Cyprien Guermont-Pré, which, uh, just joined our team. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Very glad to be here. Yeah. Today. It's great to have you. And it's great to be able to share this with the public. So I wanted you guys to introduce yourself a little bit. Maybe Olivier, if you want to start. Yeah. So uh, before meeting Nassim, I graduated from uh, USPC. It's an engineering school in Paris, which is fam famous because uh, its laboratory hosted several uh, Nobel Prize physicists like uh, Marie Curie, uh, George Charpak, or Pierre-Gilles Lejeune. And uh, after that, I did my PhD um, at the CEA Grenoble. Uh, it's a national French lab, a research center um, working on uh, atomic physics. And um, after that, I'm, uh, I started working with Nassim in 2016. And since then, it's been a very intense roller coaster, <laughs> during which uh, I learned uh, how... Archaeology and uh, humankind history is uh, tightly linked to um, to fundamental physics, which can be kind of surprising at first. And uh, and also, like uh, I learned that um, while I was thinking, I, I was uh, very well prepared to tackle any physical question when I first met Nassim. Uh, I quickly realized that unifying physics wasn't like a quick and easy task. <laughs> Even when uh, you listen to nothing conference, it looks like so easy, so simple, and so clear. When you need to go deep into the details of the um, fundamental concepts in physics, it's no, uh, yeah, it takes quite a long time, and uh, it's been a long journey. 
And I'm very glad to be here tonight to start uh, sharing uh, part of, a part of it. It's been a long journey, but it's been exciting too, you know? We had so many moments of, I mean, you don't express emotion as much as I do, but we had so many moments of really amazing discoveries, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's very a process with different parts because, uh, some of it you can find like kind of quickly some answers and then start the long scientific process of validation. For example, in 2019, we already had a big part of the scaling lottery mm -hmm. and uh, then started the long process of verification and uh, questioning. Why is it so simple and so beautiful? Are we all right? Uh, is there any mistakes? Why no one else found it before us? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been quite a journey, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's not like we've discovered anything new. Um, we we kind of like took what was already there and rearranged it in some ways. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, a, a nice energy. It's uh, like physics is like a big puzzle. Mm -hmm. And uh, along these years, all the pieces, the main pieces, are, uh, were were discovered, and out there, uh, everyone can play with it. But the difficult part and one big part that you, that you did, Nassim, was to, uh, to put the link between all these pieces and, uh, and we simply put all these pieces together and which we, uh, and the process is kind of more simple for us and for others because you have the, the, the overview. Mm -hmm. You know what, you have the big picture. And when you have the big picture, And it's like, a, like that for every puzzle, it's simpler to find <laughs> where each piece needs to go. Yeah, exactly. That's great. That's a great analogy. And Cyprien. Yes. Cyprien, you've been here with us for a few months now. Yes. And I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed how fast you caught on, how fast you went through all the math and the physics, because Olivier and I have been writing for five years, six years. Uh, all this math and physics and, uh, you know, there's like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of pages, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. all the notes and everything and you just absorbed everything. Uh, yes. it was it amazing. Was, it was quite intense. Yeah. Yeah. Last month and uh, I think I've clearly benefits from your work and for your uh, work on the simplification of the concepts such that we can mm -hmm. understand it quite quickly. And I think this is what we will start to do. For the next months. Yes, exactly. For the rest of people. Yeah. And now that it's clear and it's done, it's yeah. easier to absorb. Yeah. So exactly. tell us about your life path. Yeah. So I I did my um, uh, undergraduate studies in science uh, at Ecole Polytechnique uh, in France, Paris. Uh, it's one of the top level university in France for science and technology. Uh, one example is that um, last year Nobel Prize Alain Aspé uh, went to Ecole Polytechnique and also taught there. Um, it was a Nobel Prize on quantum entanglement, uh, so one of the main topics we are studying here at ISF. After that, I did a one-year master's in the uh, University of Cambridge in UK, and then I went back to Ecole Polytechnique in Paris for my PhD in uh, fluid dynamics. So it was in physics applied to uh, fluids at the micro scale and that 
surprisingly, when I joined ISF, I discovered that space-time and fluid dynamics has very much in common. And uh, after my PhD, I did uh, I founded a, a company in biotech, and then I joined ISF. And uh, the main motivation for me to join ISF was the fact that um, in addition to the uh, fundamental physics together, we also try to find links in what have been discovered over the, the past century. And um, for me, it was so interesting to be at the edge of the knowledge in science. Mm-hmm. And also that this edge of knowledge could um, then lead to new technologies and that could address the, the, the current problems of our world. And uh, for me, it was very meaningful to to do. To, I mean, to start this, the journey with you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, what a journey. Mm. Cambridge, how was Cambridge? Yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it was a gathering of people from all around the world with very uh, different backgrounds. And also, they are really good to mix the backgrounds uh, between the students. And also, it's very, I mean, it's one of the top universities in the world. So, uh, you have very good teachers and lot of good research and they are really focused on the research so even over one year masters you do six months of research wow which was very um important for me then uh, to continue in the research world right 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 so this is the quality of the researchers that are starting to be involved in isf so if we go to the presentation this is my chance to introduce you to isf um, International Space Federation. This is, uh, this is where we're going. This is where we're at. Um, we started a, uh, space agency basically, but I didn't call it an agency because it doesn't belong to a country. It belongs to the world, to humanity. So I called it a federation, like the federation of all countries. Um, and so this uh, space uh, federation is like a, the first space agency that's going full force for gravity control and the extraction of energy from vacuum fluctuations. Because although we do a lot of theory and uh, we can get busy with all the mathematics, all this leads to very straightforward application to technology and fundamental transformative technology. Uh, technology like no technology has emerged since some of the biggest discoveries that were made, like, you know, the flight or uh, the computer or, you know, big steps that were made in the human evolution. Um, since almost a hundred and some years um, since the discovery of relativity, Max uh, Planck with uh, quantum mechanics and, and Maxwell, you know, with electromagnetic fields and so on, um, which led to really profound changes in the technology we utilize today, um, they, there's been kind of a, a long time, a long desert, you know, of, of technological uh evolution that would be like profound um, in terms of society. Like there's, you know, improvement on what we did before, 
right? Yeah. But I mean, think of the car, for instance. You know, the 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 cars, uh, even electric cars, which you could say, wow, you know, that's a big step from combustion engine, you know, carnal engines to to electric motors. Well, some of the first cars that were made a hundred years ago were electric. Electric, though, so you know it's actually been there all along, and so um, you know same thing with rockets, the way we go to space, um, and the way we consider, um, you know, the of course, you know, advancements in computing, advancements in communication have occurred, and so on but nothing truly fundamental since then, correct? Yeah, yeah. in fact, when, when you look at fundamental physics, each fundamental uh, theory in physics led to a um, great application. Like you said, Maxwell led to all the microelectronics we know, all the telecommunication we know, and uh, condensed matter physics led to microelectronics, and uh, the optics, quantum mechanics led, led to laser and optics. But the recent modern uh, fundamental physics, like the standard model and, um, and particle physics in general, and led to nothing. Mm. There are no, the Higgs mechanism, like the understanding, their understanding of the mass, the, didn't lead to uh, gravity control mm. or any fundamental application. Mm -hmm. And when you look at all the recent uh, technologies we have, even quantum computing, comes from all theories from the beginning of the, of the last century. Exactly. But all the recent modern uh, physics theory didn't lead to any modern applications. And that's a good sign that they, they are not very good, te very, very good te theory. Theory, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, application and string theory really, you know, kind of nosedived. Uh, at one point where it really didn't lead to any fundamental understanding of mass, energy, gravity, um, quantum yeah, gravity or any of this. I mean, there was some advancements, but um, the mechanisms and the formalism was um, not um, leading to anything that can have concrete, you know, application yeah. in our world. And uh, and a good identification is that when a theory is good, it's because it explains really how nature works. And basically, it's like biomimeting. When we understand how nature's work, we can replicate it at our scale and use it uh, for our technology. Right. So uh, in our case, we you know where the Higgs mechanism, for instance, predicts one percent the mass of the proton. And, you know, then when you put all the protons together in the universe, you only predict 4% of the mass of the universe. The rest is some unknown material that we call dark matter and dark energy. Um, our theory, what we've written now, um, predicts 100% of the mass, uh, both of the proton, which is the, you know, the mass of the atoms, if you'd like. Um, because the electron is neg neg negligible in, in the mass of the universe, but as well predicts correctly the mass of the universe when we scale the equations to the universal size. So 
And, and, and I know that like my papers in the past have been difficult to understand or not clear at all. And, you know, clearly people didn't get it in the scientific community as much as I would have liked to get it. Some people got it, but, um, but others then, uh, a majority didn't. And it's the way it was written. You know, I'm a autodidact. I come from a completely different angle. And I studied 30 years, so I did study <laughs> physics in details. However, uh, I assumed that uh, certain sets of knowledge were uh, widely known amongst physicists, and that was the wrong assumption. So I, I wrote my papers with these assumptions in mind, and that's why I wasn't clear. Um, and so what I realized as I was you know, working on this paper with Olivier, with Cyprien, is that, listen, we need to make a paper which is like the entry of this theory, like, and that like sets the base of the work that I've done before, but as well gives the details um, enough that people can really relate to it. And that was really important to do. And so this is the paper we're finishing now. It's uh, It's going to be ready in the next few weeks. And, uh, it's called, um, it's called the origin of mass and the nature of gravity. And so this is, um, like a paper that really, um, uh, explains at a deep level where mass emerges from and how it leads to gravitational fields and so on. And, um, I think that it's really important that I mentioned as well that what I'm going to present to you today is a layman presentation. There's a lot of equations. Um, so stay calm. Don't panic. It's going to be okay. Uh, and there's not enough equations for the scientific community to be able to like get, um, everything they need from, from what I'm going to present tonight. Uh, they'll get that in the paper and they'll get that in a presentation uh, seminar of uh, three hours that we're going to do in September for the scientific community. Um, but I'm going to try to give like the fundamental um, concepts of what we've written or general ideas of what we're written and where we're coming from, basically kind of showing you where things kind of got put in the wrong places or unrelated places where they needed to be related. So we're going to go through it the best we can. So again, it's with the hands, you know, um, the rigorous uh, proof of what we're talking about is going to be in the paper. So um, if you're a scientific and you, if you're a physicist and you don't, you're not getting enough to be able to um, get what you need to, to confirm what I'm saying, don't panic. It's coming out. It's going to be there. And we'll be able to discuss it together in um, a technical seminar in September. And the, all the people out there that want to know what it means and uh, more layman information and all this, we're going to do a, uh, a seminar as well at the beginning of October, end of September, beginning of September, only for you guys. And that one's going to be two days like one night and one day uh, weekend. 
and it will be, you know, amazing. It's going to be awesome because I'll be able to talk to you about the, the technical part, but as well talk to you about the implication of that um, theory and the work that's been done and the work that's been done in the laboratory on the hardware because people don't necessarily know, but I've been working in laboratory for some 20 years um, and um, on hardware and so on as well. So let's start. Um, one of the most famous equation um, and uh, that most people know uh, is the equation that uh, relates uh, momentum and mass uh, in special relativity. And so um, you want to describe it a little bit, Olivier? Oh, Cyprien. Okay, so uh, the, the, the major shift uh, brought by Einstein was to switch from uh, the concept of mass to the concept of energy. And uh, he defined the, the energy as the sum between the momentum and the rest mass energy, meaning that if I have a particle or an object with a mass m, it has its own energy, but as soon as it starts to move, it will have an additional energy such that it's better to define um a system with its energy rather than its mass, because they realize that by moving, you have different behavior than if you stay um, at the stationary. stationary, yes. And But when we focus only on the mass, because we want we wanted to understand the origin of mass and the origin of the, the energy, uh, what we realized that the proper definition of mass uh, wasn't provided by this equation. Right, so, because there's undefined characters yes, in exactly. the equation. <laughs> so basically, by analyzing this equation, this famous equation, we realized that energy wasn't properly defined, uh, the mass of the system was not properly defined, and also the, 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 the light velocity was not properly defined. I mean, we can measure it in space-time, we can have a, a numerical value, but why is this value is uh, said to... Uh, uh, the, the value we measure and why it's not lower or higher. And mm -hmm. this was very puzzling. Why is the speed of light the speed of light? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but, but most critically, that part, the M in the middle of E equals MC square, that M is really kind of an enigma. Mm -hmm. What is that? What is mass? You know, people hear that word, they, uh, they use it, they, they use it in equations everywhere. Einstein tried to figure it out. He said, well, there's an equivalence. And, and so we're not dissing Einstein's equation. It's beautiful equation of equivalence. It's, it's amazing that he was able to come up with that, which he came up with like some basic instinctive thoughts about it. It's, uh, it wasn't necessarily from like analytical, uh, you know, derivations that he came up with this. Um, it led to that, but, um, but initially it was thought process about the nature of reality. And all of a sudden, uh, you see this equivalence, but you realize that, and this is something that even physicists, um, may not realize is that we really don't know what is equal here? Like what's equivalent? We, we don't, since we don't know what mass is, 
and we don't know why C is going at C, um, that means that the left side of the equation, E, or the energy, is not clear. What is energy, right? Energy is something that produces work in the universe. We know that. It, if you have energy, you can get work done if it's organized, if it's directed properly. But what is that that we call energy? And if we don't know fundamentally what is that, what is mass, what is energy, then there is no way we can harmonize our technology to the way energy flows or energy is created in the universe. We we would extract energy from different source, like extracting the energy from the gravitational potential of water falling through a turbine from a lake, you know, hydroelectric power is one way to, to get the energy out, right? Uh, it came from the gravitational field, but as we'll see, gravity is not clear neither in physics. And so, you know, you can extract it by breaking um, nuclear of atoms and, and creating fission and, and producing a lot of heat. And with that heat, boiling water uh, and uh, and then using that steam to turn turbines and get power. But um, it's not so efficient and uh, the result can have nasty consequences. And so this is, um, you know, we're using the energy. We don't really know what it is. And we, we are not able to find a way to like tap into the energy at its source, like before it's something, before it's like an atom or it's a lake somewhere or, or something else or, or, or coal that took thousands and thousands and thousands of years to be generated in the, in the earth. And, and then we have to pull it out and then we burn it and, and the efficiency is not that great. And then we create all kinds of other issues. So, all this is really kind of critical that we understand. So I don't want to take too much time on this because I'm, I'm already in trouble, but let's, let's just keep going. So this equation, um, didn't have gravity in it. So that, that was missing. So Einstein thought, well, you know, how do I generalize this equation? So from special, uh, relativity, he moved to general relativity where you generalize the equation by adding g in the equation he he um he added the the concept of gravity in the equation uh, sorry my slide was not in the right sequence there but i wanted to show you this equation which is the solution to einstein field equation um and the metrical part is right here. You want to say something about it? Yeah. So in uh, Einstein physics equation, you have two parts. The the right part re represents the stress energy tensor, which is the energy density of the the system you are stu studying. This part. Yeah, and uh, it's the 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 part representing the mass of the object. And like before, it's undefined. 
So T nu mu is the mass here. This is Einstein's constant. Yeah. Yeah. And the left part is the, the way uh, the, the stress energy tensor is curving space. Mm -hmm. So the, the left part is the, the, the DS line, the, the space-time curvature. So Einstein said basically gravity is not something that's being produced by the object itself. It's the object influencing the structure of space around it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so basically the concept, so you can see, uh, let me just go to the next. Uh, you can see that if we arrange the solution to Einstein, the Schwarzschild solution here, uh, which gives a black hole, by the way, like it, the solution to Einstein's equation for gravity produce a black hole in the equation, which has a singularity in the middle that you know, has an infinite amount of energy, but that's another story. Um, but what you can recognize in this equation when you rearrange it is that it's uh, similar to special relativity is, uh, has the new component of gravity, which in this case he described as this curvature of space time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And one big part that was missing in this kind, in this interpretation of this equation is that mass curves space time, but in return, um, it wasn't clear at that time and not even today for most of the physicists that space time, the curvature of space time could create mass. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. So that's why we put these arrows here. So mass curves space time which is this side of the equation, the, the stress-energy tensor, uh, cur curves the metrical side. and But the metrical side, you know, it says, so, you know, to be clear, in standard physics, it says how mass is moving, how the object is moving, because the curvature says how fast it's going to be attracted and it's geodesic and all. I don't mean to interrupt, but what they're talking about here is creating a portal and going backwards and forwards in time. Mm -hmm. And they played with that in the Avengers movies, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and the Infinity Stones. And it just keeps bringing me back to the story here where, you know, our friends are going to show up any time. And it's not a joke. It's real. And there, it's not about war. It's about peace. And this is a learning curve that as we go to Starfleet Academy, we're going to learn this stuff. Yeah, we have a Chinese peace army to go to go now. <laughs> so it tells how mass it's moving, but it doesn't tell where mass comes from. Yeah. It, it doesn't tell you what. It, and then furthermore, even more importantly, it doesn't tell us anything about space-time. Yes, exactly. So th this equation from uh, Einstein on general relativity is mainly a geometrical uh, equation but do not um, provide any uh, hints on the, the, the physical aspect of space-time. 
And I think this is the main limitation of this uh, equation or the interpretation of this equation. And uh, this is what we are going to try to demonstrate uh, to you with the hands today is how this space-time can be interpreted uh, with a physical uh, meaning. Yeah, when you say try to demonstrate today is we're just going to show it really quick. Exactly, exactly. I just want to make clear as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We've solved those equations and it's correct. We'll, yeah. It will be coming to you. With the hands, yeah. Yeah, right. Today we <laughs> do with show the, the concept. Yeah, <laughs> show the concept. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really important to understand. I was, I was really excited when CPN, um, joined our team because, um, Olivier and I were, Finding that space-time acts, well, you know, Einstein field equation really actually describes space-time in fluid dynamics in at a deeper level, but it, but that it's a real fluid that it, it's it currently it's thought to be a mathematical construct and uh, you know that gives the correct answer and 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 we want to be clear. Einstein field equations is correct, um, and uh, E equals mc squared is correct. It's just that it's not complete, and and most physicists will agree to that. And the same thing for quantum mechanics, and we were able to find how to complete them, how to connect them, how to make them work together so that we understand, oh, that's how the, work, the universe works, and at a really deep level. And when you do that, well, then you have basically a roadmap to how to engineer gravity or mass. Um, you know, just like when Maxwell wrote Maxwell's equations, what's called Maxwell's equations today, his equations of electromagnetic fields, it gave the roadmap on how to use, you know, those equations to engineer stuff to control electromagnetic fields. So it's it's really kind of the same thing. So I was really excited when Cyprian, missed, uh, you know, came and worked with us because Cyprian did work and uh, in fluid dynamics and actually microfluid dynamics. Yeah, right? yeah, three, uh, yeah. I did, so during my PhD, I was studying uh, nano droplets. So it was free dynamics at a very small scale. And uh, what is the parallel that we can make with? Uh, General relativity is that at the macro scale with fluids, you have two forces that are in competition, which is the surface tension and the, uh, um, yeah, the stress tensor, uh, viscosity, yeah, the, the viscosity, viscosity of the fluid. And, uh, in the Einstein field equation, what we can notice is, uh, that on the right part, we have a pressure term, which is the, the energy density. And, uh, the relationship between this pressure term and the way we curve a fluid is called the surface tension. So in Einstein field equation, we can find some parallel with fluid dynamics, which was very interesting for me. Yes. Yeah, wonderful. So, um, so think of it as like water in your bath, you know, and you pull the plug and the water is going down and your rubber ducky is starting to be attracted to the drain. Um, Einstein described gravity as like the surface of the water going down. Think of it that way. And in our case, um, what we found is that, well, you know, that's just the surface of a fluid. Uh, actually, the fluid of space-time is actually made of grains, just like the water is made out of atoms. 
and we found the size of those grains and how they behave to produce the force. It's all those grains of atoms spinning in your bath together that makes the fluid that makes the effect and we kind we found those dynamics. Yep. So um so this um leads to trying to understand Einstein better, to understand those equations better, the nature of space-time. And when we look at the nature of space-time, we see that the mass, um, you know, and the gravitational component, um, they generate a radius. So that's the Schwarzschild radius, the radius of the black hole it produced. So I want to clarify as well that when we use Einstein field equations, in most cases, uh, for calculating orbitals of planets or, or the movement of galaxies and all this, we're actually using equation that says all these things are black holes. Like, you know, that's inherent in the equation. Um, and when you describe a black hole, uh, there's something... In the math that happens, it's called a divergence. And that is that when you're getting to the middle of the thing, in the middle of the black hole, you get, ah, there we go. Uh, we didn't put it. But in the middle of the black hole, I thought we did it, but we forgot it. Um, but in the middle of the black hole is a little point that has infinite density. Like it's called a singularity. And when we we get to that point, uh, space-time seems to curve to infinity. And, and as a result, the density of the mass seems to go to infinity. And so the equation gives you a radius. But if, if the start of your radius is an infinite distance, then you can't really get a real radius. So... So actually more accurately, and I'm just saying with the hands here, I'm not saying um, Schwarzschild solution is wrong. I'm just saying with the hands, clearly the Schwarzschild solution should be described as a circumference. So like if you do the equivalence, you get, you know, to put two pi on the radius side. So you're describing a circumference. Yeah, but basically because uh, the notion of radius doesn't exist uh, in um, ancient field equation because mm -hmm. you have a singularity at the middle, so you can't define really a radius. So you have a, a pseudo radius defined by the, the circumference of a circle. And what we, we were uh, showing here with the hands, it's showing like how the, the curvature uh, in 2D uh, in the middle or 3D uh, on the right, uh, is represented uh, by the the stress energy tensor on on the right, which is the which is the mass. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you do that with the hand, you find the again the Einstein uh, constant uh, represented by the the Newton Newtonian constant J. Right. So you so when you do the circle, you you correctly find. Einstein's uh, constant yeah. that he had to put on the side of the stress energy tensor to make the equation work out. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. And so, um, so this is uh, this kind of technical, but it's important um, because all of a sudden you get a different picture um, because all of a sudden 
instead of a radius, which is kind of a linear way to think, and it's and we'll see in a minute in the beginning of quantum mechanics, we start thinking about oscillators as as strings, where you know maybe it should have been something spinning. Um, the the idea of having two pi on the radius side starts to talk to you about rotation. It starts to talk to you about angular momentum, about spin. And um, and and think of it this way, and again, it's very general what I'm saying. We have these equations to demonstrate this. Think Germinate of it this way. Split up when space so many time great spins, what, it makes uh, I, I'm pretty so sure I know this family. The left side of the equation to um, the right side of the equation. Coincidentally, of course, synchronistically. And so that, was that all, space, was that through that radiates, the upper, that the upper valleys, um, um, so I'm right outside of, leave it um, that for now and let's say Fraser River slide. all up in there. And now we're jumping. Uh, they to began in Victoria. Part of physics okay. It's, it was and then what was the, what was the, the product? Meanwhile, what, 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 what was the, what was the horsepower behind the seeds? Which, which right? product did they? They began with um, vegetables and flour, right? all sorts um, of vegetables and flour. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Figure out. And then, then the very fundamental then the, um, uh, the great garden was created in Victoria, uh, literally right? to make a better that filament. Correct. And all right, I got it. I got uh, it right. And, and, I got it right. Uh, okay. Cool. You, so, at the time, um, you tried to do you have any other projects? Otherwise, equations. I was going to start talking about last week's that's called a black box. Well, I have another project okay, if so we have time at the end. But why don't you go ahead and share these incredible stories about the projects that come in? Just to let you know and forgive me, we got to work around. Established, uh, that and people will be able to click on to, uh, tune in directly and, uh, and also they can click into the video system now to tune in directly. Forgive us. Um, we still got our work cut out for us, but at least we're, uh, we're there. <laughs> right on, right on. Have fun, Don. Have fun with it. Now, did you want to take calls for the last half hour? Because I can open up the phone lines. If you've got some, let's do it. Well, I, I turned everything off because there were so many that wanted to just listen. You know, why can't I listen? I can't listen. I click on your website. And so I just went off. Just turn them on. So when I turn them on, maybe people will start. I'll let you know. I'll text them to you. Um, okay, that sounds good. That's fine with us. Mass and temperature, and look at all right. What, so what, what uh, the type of light obviously uh, receive BBS radio. radio. And I this love a very simple I love experiment. Provided I didn't realize how spontaneous radio can be. Video. I can't wait to, and that's that's also to remind everybody you will have you will see video on these calls here in the future, and so uh, we're going to grow this thing pretty uh, ambitiously. And um, I can't wait to do the the video and audio at the same time. And I can't thank um, Neil for last week. One of um, the presenting a never-ending story about so our what, what biology. What we see is function of the temperature in Kelvin uh, here. It's the K that you can I, 
Really, um, I'm always reminded about our, uh, you have different our physicality. Colors, I have a mural have on my wall regarding uh, the ancient uh, Egyptian uh, times. And I'm one of the few people that it would appear, or at least is allowed to speak about it, that uh, all hieroglyphs I can translate for you. And basically, it shows you what we used to be like. And and all and the capabilities is, uh, we had, and all the technology so that was here. They, they yes, you could you know, leave your body. 4, 000, yes, you could preserve it in, in, in um, spices. And meal almost dilutes yeah, if, if you take care of your, you take care of yourself that yeah, way. You yeah, yeah, can yeah, sustain yeah. a body, and, and preserve so it, when, and leave it, and then go to the Orion system and come back and get back in your body. It's a true story. And, there was and or change your yes, molecular yes, makeup. Yeah. It was you called can the change your shape. You can change right. your size. You can do many things. Turn yourself into a different being. Those were our legacy technologies in the Egyptian times, if you will. So that was that was really fun to spend so much time with Neil and his heart. So I just couldn't resist. I wanted him on, on so people could feel. Um, someone so who has a lot of their capabilities back and, and their memories coming forward. And that led and as if he hasn't Bob worked his tail off thing, for so right. long helping people, and so let's look uh, a little bit he could easily Bob ride Bob off into the sunset and, what and it, uh, bask it in the meant. glories of, um, well, <laughs> of taking care of people. But he's still working, still uh, has passion for what he loves to do. To and that is to help people and educate people and, and participate with our cultures. Um, and it's and just so thrilling that, that life is so strong. Sure what it was at first. And I know oh, it's contagious. I know everybody's going to get a taste of it just by listening to him. I thank him so much for that. Right? H over 2 pi is... Is that your opinion as well, Asha? It was at the time. It's our cultures. Later, you know, yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was a, a professional constant to describe the yeah. energy of photons. Um, so when you have a photon with a certain type couple, of frequency, there's one and the really intriguing project I want to make people aware of is when I put so the, the call out for lawyers, here it is, um, of course, in terms of a, I get what I asked for. Uh, a <laughs> and there is a fabulous now, lawyer uh, out of um, yeah. Australia. Right. I'll um, so keep them anonymous out of great respect and appreciation. I, I meant, what um, I mean by what, this, this lawyer's come forward and said, I don't think our, our, our business model works. It as a photon. And it's really important but that I say it that way because that, like, um, all, all common, like even common law, forgive me everyone, and Maritime law is all based on and revenue and or judging the past. So in order to go in a courtroom, someone has to get paid. For it, um, and for so the, the entire legal system is destroyed were, here were, because um, you keep judging something some atoms, you know, based yeah, on something that's already atoms. happened. So, so you, you create a society where you're sick. Later, um, so how could I judge something that has already happened? I ask you, But at first... Planck thought this uh, is really strange. Mind. It's yeah. So how could I? How if it doesn't exist? Packets. It's already happened. Um, and it how, was and, and th- this is what he, um, he talked about the, it. He the wasn't primary sure was efficiency, if there, uh, if we were going to judge a society, is that we I'm keep remembering simple, something that happened to us. Didn't say traumas equation, didn't happen. You know, and I didn't say there isn't great great traumas. Going on, MC square. You know, so we make a little 
question mark the, is there the a way we're because the way we're, that um, relationship is not clear let's say Dubuglier, uh, that, generating uh, assumed revenue um, producing uh, activities off of judgment is the issue when you say it's way I'm sorry. Oh, it has been. It, the made the yeah, and so that the, the legal innovation from the mass of the particles was, the mass of the was brilliant. Using fluid dynamics. And not that yeah. that was yeah. directly so observed. This is, um, but you know, why do we? Why, yeah, why does our well, legal system you know, work yeah, the way it does? And don't we? Don't we? Regardless of what country, don't we get to say? To the court in the middle of our town square? Don't we get to decide what a court is? Is it a tennis court um, with a referee, so, a judge? Um, you know, here we have Einstein and Plum I don't think so. That's right. And so I know what it's like to hang in the middle of the court. And that's because the towns where I believed I was preaching about knowledge and going within instead of religion. And the so if there was anybody that was going to go to court, it would be together, religion. Mechanics and and I'm very passionate about making sure religion gets uh, observed very quickly level. because that and will be the first one that goes to my court, for sure. Anyway, for the history, a little off topic, the templates that we talked about and how to create governance teams was fascinating to me. And it lends itself brilliantly to how we perceive duality between uh, right. Nassar and, and Jassar build and, and complements them yeah. unbelievably so, because so the, we're all the, going to change the, the way we what see we're trying to communicate to you um, right our now universities, our education the system, link is and the legal, the legal case, process, although in, in my assessment, in my opinion, and my judgment little, is broken, you know, can be salvaged, wouldn't you say? Around. Okay. Yes, and, and perhaps we could like expand on that so people in the fluid dynamics of if, space-time, if you like. If we, if we take... So um, um, when we contract in, when there's something as a, as a whole that happen when and realize that they're identified by those equation identity themselves, we now change further, the game instantly. So the first the first issue we have is, came back and is said, well, actually, identity. You know, and so when you're birthed at the dock. Um, um, you're manifested by the dock. Uh, high temperature. And, uh, I know um, I've talked about it. I have to add possibly term, too lengthy, but as soon as we remove identity for, uh, from a, a spirit, we now get uh, our sovereignty back. To KBT, and that is exactly the, what the, um, the, our incredible the, legal innovation so program detail, uh, individual term, presented to us is creative uh, sovereignty. We need and a lot more term, of them. I know you're a passionate uh, person about that. And we need to spread it around the world, energy. obviously. So he came back we are not thing. We are not a thing said, well, anymore. You know, equation, we are unbelievable, creative, inspired creators. We are gods. So when the and that's goes all down we'll ever be. And how could you judge God from creating? Does that make sense? Be nothing happening yes, anywhere. and the like more people hear about this, like the more this, it will like make sense to them death. when they look like at their it's gone. name nothing on their driver's license and their passport and it's all in capitals, and they will realize they're a corporation. And that corporation is a dead entity that is what is taken to court. 
and that dead entity has a trust fund and that trust fund is used maybe against their will or against their knowledge I would say and that's all starting to come out people are starting to become savvy to that and there are many ways to remove that and become a sovereign being again and the good news bad news is that it collapses the whole system so if you if you sue somebody based on an identity um, and they don't exist anymore you don't you've got nowhere to go in one uh, sense, that's a big hint say, for everybody. There you go. Um, uh, in one uh, sense, the thing, what it says the is thing that it is, doesn't uh, identify you know, with a, I'm sorry, an inmate number, that, that's your birth certificate. Everything is that's why they footprinted you, and uh, you're in jail. Instantly when you were right? born, you were put in jail and, and you might into say, uh, maritime law, at least be, in the Western right? world. How is that possible? And you I can't wait for it. more Again, of our... Fluid dynamics uh, is a good There are um, many analogy, good themes right? in common so, law. So yeah. think of but universal ocean. law will if you're in a plane will the ocean win. it always does always has been I guarantee you completely flat and like how we do it on time so far. you know it's like it's at zero we there's nothing happening everything's flat. But if you go down with that plane and get closer and closer you might All right in any colors coming you know there's six foot waves and that there is like smaller Okay, so Unfortunately, I've had to keep the, the everything the off because it's, you know, I thought from. we had this right? workaround so, going, yeah. but it yeah, sounds yeah, like Station the, 2, they're hearing your like program and the Station 2 program. So when someone tunes into that, so there's all sorts of, there's so many issues I have. Uh, another thing that was very important so, is that zero point energy I mean, one part of the infinite energy is, provide, uh, at the quantum scale. Yeah, so, uh, so it uh, we provides, probably won't be able to take um, callers today, and I'm just going to have to equation. sit back, you can see that this have a cigarette. Maybe a bottle of scotch. Um, think about things. <laughs> yeah, just let it go, Don. Just let it go. Have some fun. Uh, We're having fun here. And, and, and we love you for everything you're doing. We're on station two and station one. That's awesome. Yeah, but station two, the show on there, they don't think so. Hi, everyone. Station two, we love you. So I'm trying to figure out what's... Because I got so many... Coders in there because I'm so we got so many problems that I've got different coders in there and they might be screwing each other up and one's trying to do zone records and one's trying to fix this and I see I don't know what's going on I'm just trying to figure it out myself and so what can I say it's comedy hour yeah so what are you gonna play now oh that's all right for us we'll continue on here in the last few minutes here. Um, I'll just run through a couple of Remember projects. Remember, I was bringing um, up maybe the gentleman that was living in Hawaii. The, the oh. healing centers are just abundant. When you say Austria, they're, yeah. just, they're just not stopping, are they? And the ideas for the healing they centers is just a kneeling with so many different varieties, isn't it? Every week, we've got uh, quite a few. Yeah, the. the the dimensional counseling Sorry, system that was pre- presented to us this week or last week, I'm not sure, is, is unbelievable uh, in regarding to what we start learning about truth. Having a little and discussion it's on, one of my passions, uh, too, is, is to make a million, million problem. healers 
like myself, we might say, um, and and then okay, distribute them you, throughout the world. Are you but hearing us? It, the healing may may surprise people. Uh, it's going to be more from a root cause <laughs> analysis of of your heart center. Um, mm. and forgiving and forgetting, um, very quickly throughout your day. And, and we're changing Is so quickly. A lot of us are going us? through what you might perceive as shock, knowing the truth that everything's been given to you has been a lie. Uh, what, what are people really going to us. do that uh, work at their, their job each and every <laughs> well, day? And they just now realized that the moon is a machine. And it's controlling what? your thoughts and your 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 cycles as a woman know. and your tides and so forth. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Tough in music. Okay. Yeah. Plus being a biological that's processing a plant, etc., etc. So, Lord have mercy. Um, there, there's just so much. There's so much trauma uh, healing potential. The, the healing potential is, yeah, is going to be very I comprehensive going forward. And mm-hmm. the good news is it go, it, it, uh, it you can heal. Instantly now, and I I love it. What about our new flavor of? Um, are you going to play some music? Oh, the program is called. I think we might have fixed it. Oh, good, John. Yeah, you you know we we're having so many issues, folks, because we switched over to new streaming systems. And we we're trying to fix the DNS records on the various streams to match everything that and it's such a complex so complex and you know we've got various groups of coders now I've got two different coders in there I don't know whether they're screwing each other up uh, <laughs> I'm lost I'm just lost it's comedy hour for me right now I, 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 I want to drink a bottle of scotch and just forget everything but I can't so no, uh, oh, but car- carry on, carry on. We 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 got it fixed. Oh, you mean we can just start playing the the the? Yeah, you you. No one else is hearing anything else on your system, so all good. All right, thank you, Don. Thank you, thank you. We are going to send the angels and the fairies of computer system compatibility to to your office there and theirs. Okay. Oh, but back it just a tiny bit up, Ronald. Okay. Um. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I have to add this term, otherwise it doesn't work out for uh, a direct relationship to KBT or you know to KBT, which is, you know, the, the equipartition theory. So I don't want to get into much detail, but basically you had to add this term, otherwise the thing didn't work. Um, I'm being told to back it up at least 10 minutes. Okay. That's good, that's good, that's good. All right, here we go. <laughs> Catastrophe, yeah. The UV catastrophe or the the um, ultraviolet catastrophe, and basically the equations were saying that the light bulb should emit infinite amount of ultraviolets. Yes, 
Yeah, and so that was not acceptable because in laboratory they weren't measuring an infinite amount of ultraviolet. Um, so he tried to figure out a way to solve this. Mm. And that led to what's called Planck Law today, mm. right? And so let's look a little bit at Planck Law and what it, uh, what it meant. Um, well, he found that, um, he had to add this constant that he called H in the equations. Mm. Um, and this constant, he wasn't sure what it was at first. Uh, it took a while before we started to describe it as, uh, as an angular momentum, right? H over two pi is, is H bar. It, it was at the time of later, you know, around yeah. Iraq. Actually, yeah. it was a, a proportional constant, um, to describe the energy of photon. So when you have a photon with a certain type of frequency and the relationship between its energy and its frequency is the constant H. Yeah, so the energy and its frequency here, it, it's um, in terms of a uh, a little orbital or a little, you yeah. know, uh, term. Pulsation, yeah. Pulsation, yeah. right. Um, so this is important. I, I meant, what I mean by Planck didn't quite know what it was, it took Einstein to describe it as a photon. But he realized that like it was acting like the electromagnetic field was in packets. And Einstein eventually described those packets and he got the Nobel Prize for it, uh, for the photoelectric effect, saying that these packets were were um producing were absorbed by atoms, you know. Yeah, were absorbed by atoms. And so basically it was later um that it was called a photon that came with Einstein. Mm. And, but at first Planck thought this is really strange. It's it's saying the electromagnetic field comes in packets. Um and it was counterintuitive. And he 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 talked about it. He, he wasn't sure this was correct. Um but the result of his equation, and I'm trying to keep it simple, but the result of his equation, you know, kind of resemble E equals MC squared. So here we make a little question mark. Is there a relationship? Because that relationship is not clear. There was Du Boglier that uh, wrote some equations um, uh, that may relate them in its a way. Direction. I'm sorry? Debray made a direct link between H-bar and, and the mass of the particle, yeah. And the mass of the particle using fluid dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, um, you know, pilot weight theory yeah. as well. This is the, yeah. This is at the base, at the foundation of pilot wave theory. Yeah. Right. Right. At the foundation of pilot wave theory. So the, there is a relationship, but the relationship is not fully yeah. uh, translucent and clear. Certainly not in modern quantum mechanics. Um, and so, um, you know, here we have Einstein and Planck together because it kind of, everybody says quantum mechanics was fathered by Max Planck, but really Einstein had a lot to do with it as well. Um, and, and really Einstein spent the rest of his life trying to put these two things together, quantum mechanics 
and relativity in general relativity, putting gravity in at the quantum level. And it wasn't clear how that would be. And uh, for the history, one funny thing is that Max Planck helped Einstein being recognized by the scientific community. And at this turn, Einstein helped De Broglie obtain his PhD on, uh, on this pilot, not pilot wave theory at, at the time, but right. on this theory between the duality between particle and wave. Right. And between H and mass. And mass. Yeah. So, so the, the, the missing link, what we're trying to communicate to you right now is that the missing link is that in both cases, you've got a little thing that's spinning. Yeah. You've got something that's spinning. You've got a little, you know, two pi going around. Okay. And that's kind of like making a little structure in the fluid dynamics of space time, if you'd like. And so, um, when we, when there's something else that happened when Max Planck wrote those equations, as he solved them further, he came back after publishing his first papers, he came back and said, well, actually, you know, for the equations to be, um, congruent yeah. with, uh, high temperature, um, I have to add this term, otherwise it doesn't work out for uh, a direct relationship to KBT or, you know, to KBT, which is, you know, the, the equipartition theory. The equipartition theory. So I don't want to get into too much detail, but basically you had to add this term, otherwise the thing didn't work, um, to be simple. And that term uh, was called zero-point energy. He called it zero-point energy. So he came back to the scientific community with this and said, well, you know, the equation, when it actually solved for zero Calvin, so when the temperature goes down to zero Calvin, where nothing should be oscillating, there should be nothing happening anywhere, like it should be dead, like this, like thermal death, like it, it's gone, nothing is moving, everybody freeze, nobody moves, Right. Well, actually, the equation said that there was an infinite amount of fluctuations. So the, these, we're talking about the basis of quantum theory here. It's not, it's a non-trivial thing. It's, it's, it's this term here. Okay. Uh, and, and, and it basically says that at the ground state, at the basis of quantum theory, at, at the, at the very foundation of reality, there is this field that's oscillating with an infinite amount of energy. Like the, the equation diverges. So, so basically in one sense, you could say, there it goes. Uh, in one sense, thank you, Sophia. It, it, what it says is that it doesn't, you know, resolve to, oh, at zero, Calvin, everything is flat. It resolved to at zero Calvin. It's crazy energetic, right? And, and you might say, well, how can that be? Right? How is that possible? You got to think of it again. Fluid dynamics is a good, um, analogy, right? So, so think of the ocean. If you're in a plane, the ocean view from a plane 
can look completely flat, like calm. You know, it's like it's at zero. There's nothing happening. Everything's flat. But if you go down with that plane and get closer and closer, you might find that actually, you know, there's six-foot waves and that there is, like, smaller waves on the six-foot waves and smaller waves again. And actually, it's really energetic, but you couldn't tell from the place where you were observing from, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's very important. The, the What you're meaning here is, like, the scale at which you observe uh, object in physics really determine uh, the, the, the level of energy you can observe. And uh, another thing that was very important with the zero-point energy was one part, the infinite energy that it provides uh, at the quantum scale, but also it provides um, the solution. I mean, in the quantum mechanics equation, we can see that this term is essential for matter stability. Uh, mainly when you calculate uh, the stability of the operator, which describes how an atom uh, behave or how the electron behave around the atom. And uh, you realize that without this term, the, the atom should collapse. And uh, to me, it was one of the main points of uh, Max Planck theory was to be able to provide a source term to matter stability. Right. So it's this uh, problem with non-commutativity yeah. uh, of the operator exactly. in the equation. So we're getting a little technical, I understand. But basically, there's a problem. You cannot just remove this term, although it has been generally completely ignored, right? In general, um, I mean, it's not being ignored, it's being renormalized. renormalized. <laughs> um, so there's all kinds of schemes in quantum mechanics uh, today, um, like QCD, QED, uh, that deals with this infinite energy, deals with these infinite terms in some of the Feynman loops, for instance, where it needs to be renormalized, um, kind of like made like it's not there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll put it under the carpet, we'll make it like it's not there. And um, although that's valid mathematically in although that, that's debated as well because even Feynman said that it was kind of trickery and it wasn't necessarily valid. Yeah, it wasn't mathematically consistent. Yeah, it, it's not mathematically consistent, but, you know, it can be done. It's been done. It It's kind of like jumping on the biggest discovery. You know, it's kind of like jumping on the most important thing, it's like ignoring the most important thing yeah. physics could have ever found, right? It's the source, yeah. Like the source of energy, of creation, like this is, this is, this is a non-trivial thing. Like yeah. you can say, and I think it was, it was, um, it was Dirac that's, that yeah. said, I'm happy to ignore, you know, infinitely small yeah. values. But but uh, but when you find an infinitely large value, uh, it's not appropriate to just discard it, make like it's not there, right? And and importantly, this uh, this infinite energy at the at the quantum scale was very important to con to understand the the nature of uh, space time. 
And, uh, and Einstein and Wheeler understood that. Yeah, and we right. have, and we have a nice so illustration. Of illustration. It. Here's Einstein, uh, and, uh, John Archibald Wheeler, uh, walking around with, uh, Yukawa in the, in the gardens of Princeton. And, uh, we made little, uh, bubbles with their quotes in it. Uh, we don't know if they were saying exactly that at that moment when the picture was taken, but these are quotes from these guys. And this is why these people said these things. This is why Einstein said physical objects are not in space, but these objects are spatially extended. Like an object is, is an extension of space. It can't be separated from space. In this way, the concept of empty space loses its meaning, and then they they start laughing, <laughs> and and then Wheeler answers, uh, "No point is more central than this." Ranger is saying, "You just disappeared, silence." And you got to call him right now. Call them. Okay. Um. Sorry, everybody. There's. All kinds of things going on. I'm not sure anybody can hear us right now. Um, I'll check my system. Could be I dropped. <laughs> oh, Who no. said that? Rainbird. Oh. Yeah. Well, Rama, you've got to find out by calling Don. Yeah. If somebody can hear us, then Rainbird was just saying that she might have been dropping herself. You know, somehow her, she dropped. If somebody can hear us, call Don tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm here, but I'm putting on a show. It's the top of the hour. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. A little silent. It's never hurt anybody. Mm. <laughs> All right, so you, um, okay. Sorry about this, folks. <laughs> well, I'm not sure anybody can hear us. Okay, okay, what what seems to be the issue? Rainbird said that we dropped off, and then she said, well, no, maybe I... No, no, you haven't dropped off. Okay. Okay, thank you, Don. That's all we needed to hear. Sorry, we'll just... Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. Here we go, uh, folks. <laughs> I'll back it up a little bit. Uh. Don, it, it's kind of like jumping on the biggest discovery. You know, it's kind of like jumping on the most important thing. It's like ignoring the most important thing yeah. physics could have ever found. Right? The source, yeah. Like the source of energy, of creation, like this is, this is, this is a non-trivial thing. Like, yeah. you can say, and I think it was, it was, um, it was Dirac that's, that yeah. said, I, I'm happy to ignore, you know, infinitely small yeah. values, but, but, uh, but when you find an infinitely large value, uh, it's not appropriate to just discard it, make like it's not there, right? And, and importantly, this, uh, this infinite energy at the, at the quantum scale was very important to, to understand the, the nature of uh, space-time. 
And, uh, and Einstein and Wheeler understood that. And we, right. have, and we have a nice so illustration. Of illustration. It. Here's Einstein uh, and uh, John Archibald Wheeler uh, walking around with uh, Yukawa in the, in the gardens of Princeton. And uh, we made little uh, bubbles with their quotes in it. Uh, we don't know if they were saying exactly that at that moment when the picture was taken, but these are quotes from these guys. And this is why these people said these things. This is why Einstein said physical objects are not in space, but these objects are spatially extended. Like an object is, is an extension of space. It can't be separated from space. In this way, the concept of empty space loses meaning, and then they they start laughing, <laughs> and and then Wheeler answers, uh, "No point is more central than this. The that empty space is not empty. So we should never use the word empty space in physics. That that doesn't exist. It is the seat of some of. Uh, it is the seat of the." most violent physics and when he meant there is that it's fluctuating with so much energy it, it's intense and and um so so in modern thoughts in modern physics this fluctuation of this energy is called virtual particle creation and alienation and it, it, they're popping in and out of existence very 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 quickly and and they Um, and, and so we tend to think of like wavelets on the surface of the ocean or something like that. But, but it's really important to understand as well that like, um, you know, the visualization of these physics is so critical. Like the, the visuals we put in our head when we do these physics. And, and so early on, it, this oscillator that was supposed to be a little thing that's spinning, right? got changed to a, a spring that's oscillating like this. Uh, and, and it's kind of like it lost a dimension. And, um, and, and basically, if you're visualizing the thing going like this, you're not necessarily going to get the right answer. When you're thinking of all these little spinners, think of little vortices making a big vortex together. Then you might start to think, whoa, you know, maybe... This field is actually or creating angular momentum or oscillation or, mm -hmm. or circulation. And now I'm getting, giving you hints to the physics wave world um, that show that when it circulated, produce an effect we call mass and energy. And it's exactly what is measured in a superfluid where we see quantum vortex vortices appearing naturally when the the world volume is spinning right 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 so it's like space-time acts like a superfluid yeah yeah and and it has physicality and that physicality comes actually from quantum physics like it comes from the grains that makes up the big thing mm. and so on one side we wrote the equations for the big thing not knowing there was a grain and on the other side we wrote the thing for the grain not knowing there was the big curvature over there the big vortex produced by the grain and now we're putting them together so now you have einstein and Planck on each side and um and you can see 
Um, how do you put them together? Well, that was already found by Planck, you know, all the way a hundred years ago, because he, when he did a dimensional analysis of his equations, you realize that he could produce units that he called, that are now called Planck units. And, and these units were generally ignored in physics. Um, that kind of shocked me uh, 30 years ago when I, when I was starting to talk with physicists and so on that like they thought of those Planck units as just cool mathematical tricks um, that define units. But now more and more people are starting to realize, no, no, these units are the only natural units. You know, they're, they're the actual unit. And I don't mean natural units in the technical term because in the technical terms, um, you know, physicists have a tendency to put everything equal one, like H bar, G, you know, C and so on equal one. And they, that's what they call natural units. Um, I, I would suggest to all the physicists out there, please, please stop doing that because it, it, it's okay to do math, but you lose the sense of the, the physics. You lose the sense of the reality of what you're writing. In any case, when you look at these Planck units, so the analysis, well, you look at the constants that are involved, well, you got G, the gravitational constant, is involved with H-bar, which is quantum physics. And the relationship of those two with the speed of light gives you a mass, which is the Planck mass, which is a very, very energetic mass at the Planck scale. Now, when I'm talking about the Planck scale, I'm talking about a scale that's billion, trillions, and trillions, and trillions of times smaller than the atom. So it's happening at a scale that's completely remote to us, right? It's it's the ocean that looks flat from, from far, mm. right? And so we're discovering, well, actually, you can't ignore mm. the, the stuff, you know, the, the waves on the ocean. And, you know, I, I would have... I've been a surfer for a long time and, and I, I've played in waves and I, I wrote waves, big waves in Hawaii. And, you know, for sure, waves carry energy. You know, <laughs> I've had direct contact with that energy many times, uh, you know, with momentum and, you know, stationary objects like coral reefs. And I assure you that there is a lot of energy in these waves. And so when you put the two together, you start to realize that the structure of space-time, um, the, 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 the equations of Einstein actually meet, um, uh, um, meet quantum physics. So if you take Einstein's solution or, you know, the Schwarzschild solution to Einstein's equation, and you, you just, there's an M term and you put the Planck mass in that M term. Well, all of a sudden you get the right radius. There's a factor of two, which is a geometric factor. We don't have time to explain why that two comes out, but it gives you the right length for the Planck size, for the radius or the little spinner of a Planck. And, and thus all of a sudden you have a relationship with, between mass and radius that's in Einstein's equation, but that's applied at the quantum scale. 
And, and that's what shocked me early on. Like almost 20 years ago, I was like, wow, you know, how can it be? There is absolutely no reason that should work together exactly right. Like that all of a sudden just put the Planck mass in Einstein field equation, you get the right radius for the Planck length, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it, it's not supposed to be related. And, and so it works out. And so physicists in general think that's kind of cool coincidence. Mm-hmm. Or they tell you everything can be written in Planck's units. Um, but, but what's important here again is actually extracting the physics. What is it telling us about the mechanics of the universe? And so I know I'm talking a lot. I'm in so much trouble because we're going to go a little long, but I, I, I really wanted to share this with you. Because I solved it in the holographic mass solution, but I solved it only geometrically, and now we have the mechanics. So I, I really want to show you a little bit of what's coming in the next few weeks, what's coming in the next few months, and I want to, um, you know, get on this, uh, you know, amazing journey with you guys. So um, I I figured out that like. Okay, well, you know, it's got a radius, it's got a little mass, it has a little geometry, let's approximate it to a sphere, and let's go with a sphere and see what we get. So like the, so basically I defined the little grain of space-time, the little holographic grain or the little pixel of reality. Like, I, and I'm just saying our reality in this universe at this time, you know, like, it could be a different pixel grain in other places, but here, uh, for what we observe, so, so there's probably stuff underneath Planck's, uh, mass and Planck's length, like the Planck pixel is most likely made out of smaller pixels that you could call transplankian, which comes out in physics because they have this problem with infinities and so, you know, in the Hawking radiation, you have a transplankian problem where, you know, you have to get closer and closer to the horizon. You end up with grain smaller. But, uh, but at least for our universe, for our experience right now, uh, this produced the right result. And basically, I was able to extract the correct mass and the correct radius for the proton, which I predicted, and then they measured it and, it was four times small, four percent smaller than um, what they expected, and it was the prediction I had made, and so on. And so, this is really important. Um, but now we have, and now we have all the mechanics. We have like how this happens. Yeah, and it's very important to understand that with that we we unlock the nature of space time, so we know. The, the structure of space-time being a fluid, a plasma, a Planck plasma, and what is the size of the grain, and then we can compute the properties of this space-time, of this fluid, mm-hmm. and calculate all the consequences from the properties of this fluid when the fluid is spinning, creating matter, creating energy, charge, mm-hmm. forces. Yeah, I think for me it's one of the key points to unify all the forces, um, all the different uh, type of energy because uh, at the moment in physics everything is segmented in different 
different fields, uh, different forces, and uh, we don't understand really how it works together. And by defining a, a unit for space-time uh, was very important for us to then unify all the concepts in physics. Yeah, it, it starts to emerge naturally. Mm, yes, it's exactly. kind of remarkable. Yes. It starts to emerge naturally, the forces, the relationship between forces. You start to realize you can write, you know, Einstein field equation with the Planck force and, you know, all this starts to emerge. So the symptoms, uh, it, you know, here we have a slide telling us, you know, what is mass? Is what, why physics is, is lost? But the the important point is to to see what we were talking about uh, before about the puzzle in physics. Right. And one interesting thing in particle physics, while they are kind of lost, they also find nice piece of this puzzle. For example, the Planck plasma is very similar to the quark gluon plasma that they find at the CERN, doing like particle physics right. and smashing protons. Right. So they're finding these pieces. It's just they're not being connected together yeah. in the same way. So there's there's a problem. What is the nature of force? You know, gravity is ignored at the quantum scale, or it's not found, or they can't find the relationship in the in the formalism at the quantum scale. Um, so the forces are not unified. And the reason is because in general, this amazing discovery of the zero point energy or vacuum fluctuations, it's got all kinds of names, uh, was, was ignored. And, um, and the materiality of space-time has been not clear. Like, uh, it produced a force, but it's just a mathematical concept. If it produced a force, it must have some materiality. And there's a great, great uh, conference from one of the greatest physicists. Uh, uh, Wilczek. Yeah, Wilczek that uh, Frank Wilczek did a conference in 2017, I believe, yeah. uh, called The Materiality of the Vacuum. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a really good conference. Uh, if you're interested, uh, he's Nobel Prize uh, in physics, and he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, early time there was this concept of a materiality to space that got ignored and so on. Um and then, you know, mini black holes, spin, and all this are all, you know, the fractal nature, meaning that, like, it 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 seems to replicate at all the scales. There's a relationship between a galaxy and an atom. You know, they are related. Galaxies are made out of atoms that have made all kinds of things, like stars and planets and, and gases and all kinds of things, but they're all atoms. So... How do they come together? And and this property is very important because it's at the basis of the possibility of building technologies on on this finding because exactly. we can scale it at the scale of a, a laboratory, for example. Exactly. You, the the effect is not at, just at the Planck level at the quantum level. It's actually reproducing. Yes, at every at, scale. At every scale, yeah. like vortices within vortices within vortices within vortices. So. It stands to reason that at our scale, we can make vortices and, you know, participate in this amazing vortice or in this amazing dynamic of space-time ourselves. Um, why scientific community is stuck, you know, um, you have to start looking at things in a new way. 
um, you know, and um, the 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 new way to look at things, um, you know, change the paradigm really to like, wow, we are on a limited resources uh, planet. There is limited resources. There's limited amount of energy. There's limited space. And we have to basically war to survive to there is actually a almost infinite amount of energy. You know, there is uh, almost uh, infinite of resource, amount of resources. We, we, we event, we, we went from horse and buggy to our modern society mostly because we learned how to control electromagnetic fields and the next step for humanity and certainly this is the goal of ISF is to learn to control gravitational field um, which will liberate humanity to be able to travel through space have access to almost infinite amount of resources to be able to move goods on the planet without destroying the environment and so on and, and so the implication are huge Although the discovery is one discovery, it's just how gravity works, really fundamentally. Yeah, understanding space-time and playing with space-time. Playing with space-time. Vacuum engineering, folks. And so basically, um, throughout the 30 years, i got to cut it short, but I would have loved to show you some of this. But this is what the path where we that went on until now. This is... The path forward in the next six months is going to be huge. I'm going to be interacting with you guys. We're going to be talking to you guys. We're going to be describing what we're doing and where you guys can come in and help, you know, because we need help. We need your support. We need you to come with us on this journey. And so um, the technologies that we're going to develop at ISF, and the workshop, so please register for this workshop. It's a huge difference for us um, to be able to continue to move forward, to, kind of, to be able to continue to bring this to you guys. And um, and some of the events that are going to occur in the next few months are going to make that possible if you participate, if you come with us, if you help us. Um, so this is the workshop in English is in September 29th uh, and 30th. Uh, so it's um, one night and one full day. And we'll, you know, it will be much less uh, rushed and we'll be able to get into details and have questions and answers and all this for you guys to understand. But as well, uh, we're wanting to as well have a free seminar for scholars uh, so professors, students of physics and so on. Uh, it's going to be technical. It's just going to be jargon for three, three hours. So, you know, for layman, it's not going to be so interesting, but we wanted to make that available freely to the scientific community. Come with us, come and check it out. Come and uh, criticize it. We want feedback from you guys and we'll talk with you guys anytime. So like, Come to this seminar. We'll go through the math we wrote, and we're we need your help. Uh, and I think you need ours. And and I think that together we can really make a difference in the world. 
So um, just a few other words from our um, our administrative staff, uh, Sarah Astles and uh, Thibault um, is going to talk to you for a minute, and then we'll come back with uh, Sarah for a minute and uh, in live, and uh, as well with questions and answers. I know we went a little long. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to eat up your beautiful Saturday um, day, but um, I, we had a lot to say. I'm sorry. Purina One, we switched and wow, I know it's proven natural nutrition is helping support Charlie's strong immune system and Ginger's healthy heart. See differences today and for a lifetime. Purina One, a difference from day one. ISF has its headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland and laboratories in France. The previous laboratory, Taurus Tech, was in California. So why move to Geneva? Launching these world-changing technologies requires the ultimate strategy. Several inventors have created over-unity energy production, yet their technologies never make it to market. Stephen Greer recently did a great documentary on the subject. This technology must be deployed across all nations around the world, giving no country a strategic advantage over another. Neutrality is a cornerstone of Swiss foreign policy, which is necessary for this to happen. Geneva is strategic and that is a worldwide center for diplomacy. It is headquarters to many agencies, such as the United Nations, and it hosts the highest number of international organizations in the world. For the past year, we have been preparing for the move to Europe, and in April, we finally packed up the laboratories in California and shipped everything over to France. Here we are packing up our location in San Clemente, California. They're going to dock and do questions and answers. I Just keep going, honey. Come on, just keep going. Okay. Amal Poosh, affiliate physicist. Maria Carolina, astronomer. Tamar Luisel, technical assistant. Now I'll introduce you to our administrative and business side. Rito Fierce, our Chief Financial Officer. Thibaut Verbeest, our Chief Legal Officer. Jamie Johnson, Chief Operating Officer. Christina Bluet, Executive Assistant, and several others from our support and marketing teams. This merger of companies creates a symbiotic relationship among our three pillars of focus, theoretical research, education of unified physics, and research and development of advanced technologies emerging from unified physics. Our educational programs include the unified physics modules, online and live educational workshops, and in the near future, accredited technical programs for students of various scientific studies, from advanced fundamental physics to biophysics, chemistry, and many more disciplines, including discoveries and research in archaeology completed at ISF and relevant to space exploration. Thank you, everyone, who has supported this work through your involvement and contributions over the past decades. You've helped build the launch pad that has taken us to this next level. And now, more than ever, we can use your help. In the coming weeks, you'll see many announcements. 
When you enroll in the ISF educational workshops, it is not only an educational and transformational opportunity, but most importantly, it is an opportunity to support the research and development of the technologies of the future. And that's the first time um, that uh, Nassim is uh, calling on his community and all the people who have supported him over the last years. And what we are going to launch is what we call a perpetual bond. What is it, a perpetual bond? It's um, a way to be entitled to a share of the profits, of the future profits of uh, our organization, the ISF. And, and so it's also a way, of course, to um, contribute to the financing of our operations, of our future developments. We will also have membership and investment options, giving you the opportunity to invest in the future with us. If you'd like to receive more information about the membership and investment opportunities, go to the link provided. You will receive more information when the programs launch. It's also a way for you to become an active or acting member of the ISF. Remember, we are an independent organization and research facility with no involvement from corporate special interests. We operate with the support of all of you. Come with us on this journey and lead the world to a new way of understanding ourselves and the universe around us. We can only do this together. Thank you. I want to acknowledge our audience here today. Several of you joined. We actually had a very large audience and almost nobody dropped off. You hung in through the physics. It was wonderful. I know this makes it very interesting and easy to follow, even for the layman. Um, also in the audience, you know, this is hard for us to put together because we have full range. We have the physicists that this is their profession, their academics. This probably seems easy in the physics. We have the layman um, who's just fascinated in, in the nature of reality and everybody in between. And so some of you is probably easy, some of you difficult, but you really hung on. And we're the layman. I studied um, business at the University of Southern California. I did not study physics. So I can speak to the layman. I understand the, that it might be confusing to understand the extent of the confusion that's been going on in physics. Um, so I just wanted to speak to the layman for a moment. You might understand that there's been a disconnect between quantum physics, the small stuff, and the theory of relativity, the big stuff. But it goes far beyond that, the confusion in physics. Uh, there's 26 constants. You know, he mentioned E equals MC squared. So C would be an example of a constant, speed of light. Um, but I didn't understand, I was a little naive, because again, I'm, I'm the layman, that physicists didn't really understand the nature of these constants. They didn't understand why they held a value that they did. I kind of thought they did, but they do not understand this. They have not understood it until now. Mm. For example, alpha, which is the, um, you know, the charge or the electromagnetic charge between the particles, something like that. Sorry, I'm probably butchering that. It's 1 over 137 or something. Again, I should not be speaking physics. Um, but the point is that this has this fascinated physicists because it somehow magically works. They don't know why. And I remember it was uh, last September, I think it was September 16th, that they solved Alpha. And we're going to call this Alpha Day. And we're like, okay, this is this is amazing. This it's something they never thought they could do, they did. We thought we should break out the champagne. And I'm saying this to acknowledge the humility that this team carries. I'm seeing, I'm looking over here because I'm looking at Olivier and Cyprian and Nassim and, and Olivier and his humility. Yes, I think I'm going to have to think about this. I'm going to have to let this sit. It's like, this is huge. What are you talking about? I'm telling you the story just to let you know how profound and magnificent 
It is what these guys have done, what these physicists have done, and how this is going to change humanity. I, I said in my talk, this is, you know, this is a new step to humanity, and it truly, truly is. Nassim did a great job of explaining how this physics is going to lead to the new technology. And you're saying, okay, well, how's physics going to change the world? Well, because the technology is going to change the world. This knowledge is going to change the world. You know, people write to us and, and they say, how are you going to release the technology? You know, just make it open source. Mm, it's far more than that. Tesla made it open source. You have to understand the physics. The two go together. And so what we're doing at ISF is education and technology. They must be combined. We must educate the academics. That's why we're creating the um, accredited program. Imagine, people say, how are you going to get this, this technology out there? So many people have tried and failed. I mentioned our location, Geneva. Imagine if we put uh, the education through all the universities, through all the academics, along with prototypes. There's ways that this cannot be crushed. But for this to happen, we need your support. And I want you to imagine for a moment, and I made another statement. I said, imagine the world that isn't dependent on fossil fuels. That sounds like, okay, so you're thinking better air pollution. Uh, we're not having to mine the earth. I challenge you all, and this is how you can all help as well. Tonight, dream about it. Let your mind expand. This is how innovation happens. This is not very far away. I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, is this for my children's generation, my grandchildren? <laughs> we're going to see this soon. Very soon. So start thinking about it. Start dreaming. All you innovators out there, if we passed you a technology that created energy from the vacuum of space, what could you do with that? What could you do with infinite energy? Imagine this world. Imagine how we're moving goods around. Imagine the two and a half billion people that don't have access to, to clean fuel for cooking. What is their life going to look like? Imagine our computing capabilities. Travel, infinite travel, because now you're controlling gravity. You get off this planet. Wherever you go, you have your power source with you. So we're no longer mining the planet. Think of what that's going to be. This is coming quickly. It's coming very soon. And this is where we need your help once again. The workshops. They are a source of funding right now. So we have two workshops. We have the technical workshop, which Nassim explained, is for, you know, the, the physicists, the academics, we have the, the workshop that's for everybody. And at the end of this, you probably receive an event right now. You have an email with a link for the workshop. We need all of you to purchase that workshop today, not tomorrow, today. This is what supports us. It's for your education and to enhance your life. And I want to talk about the education piece because I have seen this presentation Go to the layman. And even if they don't understand all the formulas, it rings truth. It moves them to tears. I've also seen it presented to physicists, and they're just fascinated how they cannot poke holes in this thing. It moves them to tears as well. This, this workshop is for everyone. It really is. So all of you, please sign up. And don't just sign up yourself. If you're with your spouse, each of you sign up. Sign up your friends and family. This is what's going to support us. And please purchase it today, not right before. We told you about all we have going on with the transition, the move. We're hiring new staff. We need to build equipment. The sooner we have the funding, the sooner we can launch this. We need to get this out there yesterday, not tomorrow. So we need the funding now. So we're asking for your help. And that's how you can help us in purchasing the workshop. 
Um, and what, what you can expect in the days to come is right now you have the email. Um, in a few days after the weekend, you're going to have the replay of this event. Um, and in the coming months, you're going to have more invitations to join future workshops, such as the, uh, the workshop that addresses the unified physics. But first, you have to watch the workshop that, that is coming up next, because at least the groundwork is like the prerequisite. So sign up for this one. And then the next one, you're going to have this, this base covered, so you can sign up for the other one. So just stay tuned to our announcements. All right, I'm not going to talk too much longer because we need to leave some time for the Q&A. So with that, thank you again, and we're going to open it up to questions and answers. Thank you. Um, hmm. Go forward a little. Yeah. So with that, thank you again, and we're going to open it up to questions and answers. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that went backwards. <laughs> okay. Huh. This is just not another theory. This is just not another theory. Why should people actually pay attention to it? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Uh, well, you know, first of all, there's not that many, just another theory, um, that actually have made predictions that have gone true. So this is not just another theory that's been, you know, that's come up in the last few years. This is something that's been there for 30 years. It's made a lot of predictions. Um, for instance, at the beginning, uh, I made predictions about that we were going to find black holes in the center of all the galaxies as a result of the theory. That's At the time, it was really not acceptable to say that because black holes were thought not to exist at all. Um, it was most physicists' opinion that black holes, you know, was just... Um, kind of a snafu in the equations and you could ignore that part of the equation, the high curvature part of the equation. So, um, so, um, then many other predictions, uh, for instance, that black holes in the center of galaxies were going to be found to be there first and then galaxies were, you know, at the time they were saying if we find black holes in the center of galaxies, it'll be because stars collided together and made a black hole. And that's just not the case. The black hole is the source of the dynamic that we see as a galaxy. So it's there first and so on. And so there's many other things um, that have come true, including one big one, which is the radius, of the proton, the holographic mass that was confirmed by experiments in accelerators, um, you know that was a big shocker for the guy, for the scientific community. It might not not sound like much, four uh, percent of the radius of the proton. They had it too large by four percent. It might not mean much to you, but um, quantum theory is usually measured with some 10 digit to 12 digit accuracy. And so 4% is like being in another galaxy. <laughs> if you're, if you all of a sudden, uh, the standard model of particle physics is undergoing large difficulties to explain this 4% smaller proton. Um, and although, uh, and, and this is actually the value that's given by CoData, the standard of physics now, nowadays. Um, so, 
there's difficulties that have not been resolved about the radius of the proton, um, and, uh, and these theories, um, resolve them. So this theory resolve it. And, and so this is more that can be said for string theory or, you know, any other unified field theory out there that has been trying to put things together. And so this is kind of emerging as, as the, the, the fundamental theory, uh, that, that will unify physics and, you know, the math and the details are coming out very soon, um, to give you all of the details and it's consistent. Yeah. And I think another important point about this uh, new theory is not that we reinvent physics. Mm-hmm. We just find a link between all the major results in physics. And, and for me, it was very uh, astonishing to, to see those links and to see once we have those links, how we are able to invent new technologies and to use it um, to create the, yes, new. A better tools. future. Yes. Yeah. What did you want to say? Uh, I, I mean, to create a better future yeah. for the, for humanity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's, you know, uh, for sure you can always be skeptical and say, well, you know, the, it could be just another theory. I, but you have to consider in your logic as well that, uh, eventually this, you know, just another theory is going to be the correct one. <laughs> and the, this is most likely very much so it, because when you'll see all the papers that are going to come out, you will see that it's consistent on all scales for all forces and for all constants of physics. And that is not anything, any other theory, including the fundamental theories of physics we have today, like general relativity and quantum physics, is able to do. So so this is a very much a deeper layer of understanding of reality. And very importantly, the theory is coming with applications straight away, mm-hmm. which is very different from all the other theory trying to unify physics. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like string theory, which is you know, can have uh, 10 to the 500 compactification, you know, geometry and, you know, doesn't tell us um, anything about reality um, in, at, at the fundamental level. Another question about technology is, uh, is going like this. How far do you think we are of being able to extract energy from the vacuum at such rate or at such rate? And cost that we can get rid of fossil fuels. Fossil fuel. Um, the, um, you know, I think that, um, that is really, uh, a very difficult questions to, question to answer. Um, because it's difficult because it's kind of neurotic in the, the answering, meaning that that was found over a hundred years ago, <laughs> this all kinds of things. And if you don't know the history of it, uh, go and watch on Amazon uh, the movie that was just released by Stephen Greer called The Lost Century. Yeah. And uh, he goes through the history of Zero Point Energy Inventors and all the things that happened around it and, and everything. 
And you'll see that actually, you know, from Tesla and before Tesla, uh, there was already inventors that were finding nonlinear effects that, you know, where energy was coming out of some field that they didn't know about and so on. And they couldn't explain in physics. So in general, it was discarded. Um, so, um, you know, uh, how long is it going to take? The question is more, how long is it going to take until um, the uh, until the um, the uh, social, political, and uh, military industrial complex uh, allows this technology to to emerge. I think that this is actually on the verge. I think that uh, people and uh, I don't know if you're following the stuff that's going on at Congress these days with, you know, talking about UAPs and all these uh, phenomenons they're finding in the atmosphere and so on. And I, there's a lot of disclosure that's occurring and there is a lot of um, reason, stressors on our society for this type of technology to emerge and the theoretical structure that holds this technology so that we understand what we're actually doing is critical. Without it, it cannot emerge because it, it's like, uh, it's like magic and, and, you know, science doesn't do magic and it has to have some kind of conceptual construct of why this thing is doing this thing. And so this is why it was critical for me 30 years ago already. We couldn't just go for the hardware. We had to understand the physics and and then develop the hardware, you know, with really amazing uh, roadmap to get to it and to get to it in a way that it's very powerful. And do you think that humanity is ready to receive such a, power, a powerful source of energy? Right. That's another really difficult question. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have the pretension to be able to make a judgment on humanity. Uh, I All I can say is that I think humanity is changing very rapidly. I'm very enthusiastic about the way humanity is changing since the last few years, since all the difficulties that have happened. I think people are realizing, okay, there is something behind the curtain, we have to get deeper uh, and when we have to unify, people are unifying, you know, although if you look at the five o'clock news, it might feel like we're more split than ever. Uh, I think at a deeper level, I think we're going to pass this stage and, and realize our commonality and realize we're on this little teeny grain of sand in the universe flying through space, you know, at incredible speeds. And like, we're all unified in this journey and we need to unify our efforts and bring that together. I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I'm, I'm hopeful that humanity will make that step. And, and, and it really doesn't have a choice. It's like happening now or, humanity is going to have to do the great recycling that the universe is quite capable of doing. And so 
you know, this is when it's happening and it's happening with you guys. Like every one of you out there, every single one of you is making a difference. Um, what Sarah was talking about, like imagine it and it will come. And, and we need you to imagine it, to act upon it and to help us get this into the world. And another question that many people are asking is how this knowledge in physics could help them in their day-to-day life. Right. Well, you know, um, there's, there's all kinds of aspects to that as well. You know, it's like from, from just realizing that we're bathing in a field of energy and we're starting to work with uh, William Brown on, on biophysics and showing that this energy is actually at the source of the organization that eventually produce a biology, the biosphere, the fact that you're here and I'm here and we can talk to each other may be sourced by this energy itself. And, and, And so that like we're actually emerging from that field. And so to know that we're interacting with a field when we didn't know we were interacting with the field before, uh, all of a sudden puts a new dimension (laughs) <laughs> literally in your reality, you know, and, and, and strangely enough, it joins dimensions of reality that were talked about by masters and, and all kinds of ancient civilization that talked about this fundamental field. So it kind of connects like some deep levels of philosophy and, and so on. But, but as well, uh, you know, what it changes in every, in, so, so wake up with that. Wake up with the connection to the field. Like wake up in the morning and say, hi field, you know, like connect with the field, be with the field. And then, and then throughout your day, when you forget about the field, get back to it. You know, take a moment, two seconds to just say, okay, here, you know, I, I'm interacting. Like, all these atoms, all this stuff around me, it's all part of this amazing will works of nature. And then eventually, as well, of course, the technology will completely change your life. Um, you know, when you can go to uh, orbit Jupiter for the weekend, uh, your life will be completely transformed when you'll see the Earth from space or, you know, when you experience the universe from a completely different perspective. So it will have deep-seated change in your consciousness, for sure. And in my case, somewhere with 99% humidity. Mama-like. There are so many, many questions, but I, I don't know if you want to take one more. One more. One more? Yes. Uh, are you okay to talk about business? Or? Sure. Yeah, one question of business. You are asking, is it Possible, really possible to invest directly in your company and being part of this project and being able to like, uh, yeah, join the journey as an investor? I, I will answer that question. Um, Tivo mentioned briefly a bond we have coming out. The reason why that isn't out yet is because there's a lot of legal work behind it. We're having fun reviewing the legalese in it right now. <clears throat> it will be available in a couple months. But meanwhile, there's other ways you can help. We will be announcing a membership program soon. That has a monthly contribution amount or annual. Um, but even right now, we have a contact us page on our website. And if you're inspired to help financially, non-financially, absolutely. 
Um, non-financial examples, maybe, maybe you have a lot of connections to uh, universities, um, a lot of connections to, um, to impact investors that when we do have the bond release, you can introduce us. Uh, maybe you want to help financially in another way right now. Um, rich loans, anything. We are, we are open to, um, many ways for involvement. Um, if you're the best of the best of your field, you know, send us your LinkedIn. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We are looking for top notch. We're not looking so much for, for internal volunteers just because we're looking, um, but we are hiring the best of the best if, if you would like to contribute in some way. Um, so there's many, many ways you can get involved. But number one is the Nature of Reality Workshop. If you could purchase that today for you and your, your friends and family, that is an immediate help as well. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and, and if you're a scholar, if you're a physicist, a scientist, uh, so on, send us, um, your interests, what you'd like to discuss or, you know, uh, anything you want to, um, contribute and so on. And, and we'll look at it and we'll try to include as many people as we can as well, you know, relationship to, uh, research uh, groups and universities and so on. Uh, we are in the middle of like your resources, the resources you give us will help us actually launch all this and we really need your help to do it. One more question. That's it. That's it. That's it. I think it's been an amazing two hours. <laughs> Sorry. We gotta let people have their beautiful Saturday. And I'm, I'm really, um, um, grateful that you've all been there, that you've listened to this, that you're participating. And I'm grateful for your opinions. I'm grateful for your criticism, whatever, um, comes. Um, you know, I really want to engage with you guys and, and go on this amazing journey. We have an amazing team. We have amazing, uh, capacity to get the job done. Uh, we need the fuel and we need your support from all kinds of levels, uh, from your capacity to connect to the field to helping us with finances and so on. So thank you so much for your time. And until we connect, which won't be too long, uh, may the vacuum be with you. <laughs> oh, Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Okay. All right, we're going to start the beginning of another one. Uh, that's a journey that's going to definitely change the world, and we're going to do it with them. It looks that way. Uh, mm. That's that's the deal here. What's Let's keep on keeping on. Okay, so this is four levels of consciousness. Um, This is George Nury, but beyond belief. As you are looking to unlock the secrets of elevating your consciousness and awaken to your divinity, you need to understand your own mindset. Oren Harris explains the four levels of consciousness that he uses to help people access their flow state and tune into their authentic self. His techniques can help you expand consciousness beyond the construction of the self and finally connect with infinite intelligence. Oren Harris is a life and transformation coach, teacher, and speaker, having worked alongside entrepreneurs, high-performing leaders, and creative creatives of all kinds. Oren bases his life and work in awakening the full potential of people. He does so either by helping with performance 
or by igniting their flow. And there we go. Let's get started, Rama. This again is mm-hmm. 47 minutes. We'll, we'll get as far as we have available until we uh, do our thing on the other side of our astrology and music section. Here we go. Well, welcome to this edition of Beyond Belief. Oren Harris, also known as O, is a spiritual teacher and a coach who is devoted to elevating consciousness, awakening people to their divinity, and empowering them to live their highest potential. What a great service you provide us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How did you get involved in this? Ah, well, I was never raised or groomed to be a spiritual teacher or a coach or any of the things that I'm doing right now. Just through life experience, through revelation, through discovery of myself, through exploration, I found myself in the field of transformation. So kind of by accident, but on purpose. Honestly, in the beginning, really challenging life experiences led to what I would now call spiritual awakenings and the pursuit of deeper knowledge of myself, which then had me reevaluate my life and what it is that I'm doing. I used to be a teacher and coach sports. And I took a leap of faith and decided to really discover why I'm here and what I'm meant to do on this planet. Oh, this was a big step for you. Yeah, a, a massive step. A leap into the unknown. What did your friends say? What are you doing? They said, what are you doing? Especially because my job at the time, I was doing really well. I was coaching sports. We won a couple of championships. I was teaching school. Everything was actually going very well. And initially what sparked me was I fast forwarded to the end of my life. And I imagined sitting in my last days reflecting on my life. Wow. And regretting the chances I didn't take, the dreams I didn't go after, and just wondering what if. And that propelled me to take a leap of faith and to at least try to do some of the things that were on my mind at the time, Um, initially acting, being an entrepreneur. So, yes, my friends were like, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? You're crazy. Like you've got like things are going really well for you. When you made that move, was it scary for you in the beginning? It was it was really scary. I I was both inspired and terrified at the same time. And it was one of my first initiations into deep faith and starting to trust my heart, trust my spirit and trust the flow of life. So yeah, it was definitely scary. You've learned as you evolved into consciousness, four stages, four modes of consciousness. Yes. Victim mode, hustle mode, flow mode, God mode. Let's talk about those. Victim mode. Yeah, victim mode is feeling like we are at the effect of life, at the effect of circumstances, situations, people. It's when we feel like life is to blame for how we feel, for what's happening, for what's not happening. And it's a very disempowered state that we've all experienced and probably still experienced to some degree where deep down what's happening when we're in victim mode is that consciously or unconsciously, we feel like we're separate from life or we believe that we're separate from life. Life is out, you know, not, not working for us, but against us. So we have to kind of stay on the defense constantly. How about hustle mode? 
Hostile mode is where we start to come into our sovereignty and develop a, a healthy sense of uh, ego, a healthy sense of esteem. We realize that we are, instead of being codependent, we are independent. And I would liken hustle mode to discovering motivation. This is like discovering like the power of the mind, the power of our will, the energy of determination and stick to it and this and all these different things. And so hustle mode is expanding now deeper into the power that lies within us, within us. but still there's still a sufficient amount of I or person involved, meaning like it's I independently. I am the one that is at cause of my life. Whereas when we move into what I call flow mode or life is happening now through us instead of life is happening like by me, this is when we start to awaken to that divine spark of infinite intelligence, intuition. And this is where like we're in the flow, in the right place at the right time. In the groove. In the groove, in the zone. Artists call it divine inspiration. Athletes call it the zone. This is where we really start to experience that there is a power existing inside of us around us that we have access to that is greater than ourselves. And so it significantly increases our, well, pretty much everything, our, our health, our capacity to create, our capacity to give, um, and life starts happening through us. So I, I bet you were a motivational coach, weren't you? A motivational coach? Yeah. You really got people going. Yeah. I did sports. I, oh, definitely. A motivational coach. I would say that even more than motivation, inspiration. Insp- motivation is something that the way I experience motivation is something that we generate through our will. It's a force of energy that we're able to call upon, right. whereas inspiration awakens from within. And when we have inspiration, we're not just moving energy like with our will, we're being moved by energy. Good and inspiration point. is something that we awaken to. And so I have been and am an inspirational coach and speaker. And one of my inspirations is to awaken inspiration in others and, and connect and to their own. And I bet you do. How about the God mode? What is that? God mode is unity consciousness. And so whereas in flow mode, life is happening through me, in God mode, life is happening as me. This is where the separate sense, separate self or sense of self, the I, what we refer to as who, you know, I, my identity, like when I say the word I, this is when we've expanded beyond our separate sense of self and we've merged more with with life. And so life is happening as me. This is what I would say that Jesus Christ, Yeshua, you know, saying I and the father are one and he was able to perform miracles. That's because he was operating in the state of unity consciousness. And when you say that it is happening through you, explain that for me a little more. Well, it's like the difference between if I was an artist, for example, which I am an artist, if I was going to sit down and say, I want to write a story, I want to write a poem, I want to create a a piece of art, and I use my resources to do that, and I might be thinking, I might be thinking what would be good, what wouldn't be good, I'm in this mode of thinking from the I. It's the difference between that would be like life is happening by me or like hustle Uh mode, right? Whereas sometimes when we sit down to do a piece of art, we're in a state of receptivity and it's less about we're thinking about how to do something and we're receiving the divine inspiration. We're receiving downloads and then we become the conduit to translate that into form, into expression. And when art happens in that way, 
it, we experience it as if it's happening through us. We're being moved by it and we're kind of like, you know, the midwife, you know, nurturing it into existence versus trying to think of something to do. Oh, you did a consciousness experiment to demonstrate how people can tap into this God mode. I did, yes. Let's watch it. (laughs) I, Orrin Harris, do not know where all the cards are in this deck when they're face down unless I just look at them. But I, my infinite self connected to source, infinite intelligence, knows where all of the cards are and pretty much knows everything. So I'm going to choose a card here in a moment. Choose a number and move into a space of pure receptivity and union with source intelligence and allow the card to be revealed. All right. So I'm choosing the nine. The nine. All right. I was going to say nine of hearts, but let's just go with nine for now. Boom. <laughs> so you got the nine of hearts, everybody. Hopefully you could feel the state of allowing of receptivity and of presence that allows that level of attunement because I could not do that or the odds would be stacked against me if I was trying to do this experiment. Oh, come on now. Hey, you you really pulled that off? Yes, I have. How did that happen? Just the same way I'm speaking about tuning into a state of receptivity whereby you can channel art or channel dance. I just relax into a space of no thought. Like right now, I can just let it happen, not think. And in that state, the subtle information, right? which information is always traveling, light frequency is information, then I can just sense. But it's not I who is sensing where the card is. It is the infinite intelligence inside me. And by relaxing, by tuning into a space of no mind, then these subtle impulses, which would be the knowing of like, oh, the card's right there, the broader aspect of me, call it spirit, intuition, infinite intelligence, uh, it just registers as a knowing in the moment. And I've done that several times with groups, with audiences, and when there's cameras involved. Are you psychic? Well, we're all psychic, right? Because we are all... Some better than others. Some better than others. It just depends on how attuned we are, how well we can translate um, information that is always present. Might you have been doing remote viewing there too? Um, Yeah, remote viewing would be absolutely another way to describe it. Being able to see with senses beyond our physical eyes, which would make sense, right? Like, how are we able to see in our dreams without our eyes? How are we able to see in our mind's eye? If I said, imagine a cat right now, most people could do that. How are we seeing it without our eyes? It's really showing us that we are able to see beyond just using these physical, the physical instrument of our eyes. We all have that ability. I would get that ability you just demonstrated. You have done this time and time again, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. Far, far beyond it being luck. It's not a magic trick. I've experienced that 
many, many, many times in my life and frequently in my life, just knowing it's knowing that exists beyond like mental knowing or knowledge. It's. Do you sometimes come close where maybe it's not the nine of hearts, but yeah. you pull the eight of hearts? Um, sometimes come close where it's like the very next card, right? Ah, so I'll like okay. be sensing and I'll pull a card and it's not, but then I look and it's the very it's next the card. Next so card. I'm like maybe like a split second off. So yeah, that's happened a few times. How long sure. did it take for you to learn how to get into this meditation posture? It's taken many, many years I and it's it. been a result of a lot of, a lot of work, a work, work in loving myself, work in opening up my consciousness, work in surrendering, work in trust, work in faith and just being able to, I guess, kind of decode these, uh, feelings or like frequencies and be able to translate them. It's like channeling, right? Somebody yeah, who's channeling, exactly. whether you're channeling a masterpiece of art, you're channeling another point of consciousness, you're channeling an alien, you're channeling somebody, you're dancing. To me, that state of receptivity and channeling is something that is natural to all of us. So it's something that I have awakened, cultivated, nurtured, practiced constantly. Even coming into this show is a good example. I've been speaking for years without preparation, right? Without thinking about what I'm going to say. It just and so, happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it just happens. It's like of, building a muscle. Of those four states of flow that we just talked about, uh, which one would you categorize for what you just showed us? I would say that state, stage four, life is happening as me or unity consciousness, God mode, right? Okay. It's like merging with the field of infinite intelligence that knows where the card is. And that's not something that I, Oren, could do or I could try. In fact, if I was trying to do it, if I was using my brain power or trying to calculate or trying to use a technique, all of these things could work to some degree. But I would put that in another category. It's, it's like the difference between being a magician and being magic. When right. we're being magic itself, that's it just when we merge with the creator, then it just happens. How do you use that in your day-to-day life? I use my intuition and my knowing in my business and my relationship and my decision making in my creation and my leadership, pretty much in everything. We all have, you know, our skills, our knowledge, our talents, our wisdom, our resources available to us to live our lives, to create, to do whatever we want to do. But at the same time, we always have 24 seven access to intuition, to infinite intelligence. And so I essentially have made that my baseline operating system and way of navigating through life. Um, So I use it in every aspect of my life. It's become very integrated. Tell us again about the flow state and how that relates to that. Yeah, the flow state is like a peak performance state of consciousness, which really what we come to discover is actually our natural unconditioned state. But a flow state is when we're in a flow state, we have essentially expanded our consciousness beyond our limited perception of self, like the I, like when I say I, Oren. And because we expand our consciousness beyond the construct of ourself, all of these other resources, this intelligence um, becomes available to us. And so we're like the best version of ourselves. You know, we're in the right place at the right time. Synchronicities happen. Synchronicities. People are connected. People are connected. 
meaningful coincidences, right place, right time. This is actually the natural state of living when we feel safe in our hearts, when we feel relaxed, when we're not situated so much in our mind. This is when we can tap into that divine flow and really the pulse of of nature. I've called it the wireless Internet. This I like that. <laughs> it, it makes sense now. Totally. It? Yeah. Yeah. Wireless Internet, GPS. I have crazy stories of being able to navigate to a location without a map just following just by, that. Thank you. Just by, well, by actually by less thinking and tuning into that intelligence that's always registering in our body. Oh, give us an, ex- an example of something that just boggled your mind that you've been able to do. And I would say the nine of hearts is one of them. Yeah, the demonstration with the cards. Um, I've participated in many healings with individuals who were in urgent physical circumstances. And mental. Uh, physical, yes, and mental circumstances. And mental. Um, I've had so many experiences where I, <laughs> of manifestation, of just thinking of something and then it happens. Um, things I've been able to do, um, move things just with the power of my mind or my consciousness. I've experienced many things that would be considered to be miraculous. Is it a gift? It's it's a gift, but it's not a gift that's unique to me. Like as a personality, it's a gift that's unique to all of us. We are all connected to God, source, infinite intelligence. And when we get ourselves out of the way, however that happens, whether it's right. through wisdom or through grace or through meditation, anytime we get ourselves out of the way, we expand and when we expand our hearts and our consciousness, then, you know, these things that might seem impossible or miraculous um, are just natural. Can you master just about anything in life if you know how to tap into this? Yes, for sure. Yeah. You've talked about the ability to move objects and things like that, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I've talked about it and I've also experienced it. It's called telekinesis and let's take a look. shared that publicly so I'm glad is, I, it, is it the material that allows it to move like that well it's not the it's not the material because as you can see in the video if it's just sitting there it's not moving but there's aluminum understand right? the physics of it it's a piece of aluminum foil folded in half and then set on top of a needle and so there's not a lot of physical friction so it's able like if you hit it, it's able to move quite easily. And you weren't blowing on it. I didn't see No, no blowing, no wind. I was inside my apartment. Um, No, I was just kind of like the cards. It it feels some vibration coming off you? 
Um, I'm sure if you were measuring, had an instrument to measure vibration, there's probably some vibration emanating through my hands. And so it's a combination of vibration, but also just the use of our minds because our, our minds can move matter. In fact, mind and matter are very closely connected. How do you coach within infinite potential? What does that mean? So I work with leaders, high performers, people across different industries as a coach and as a mentor. And ultimately as a coach, I have, let's say, three main objectives. One is to love them unconditionally. Two is to help them awaken to exactly what I'm speaking to, which is to their soul, to their own unique genius and to the divine within, and also to help them fulfill their destiny, to actualize their potential. And the way that I am able to do that is very much in the same way that I'm speaking about the cards or about, you know, about moving the tinfoil. And that is through getting myself out of the way, connecting to that space inside myself. So then if I'm connected to the God in me, I can see that in them and help nurture and awaken and help them to fulfill their potential. And so I don't operate on a script very much like when I'm sitting here right Mm -hmm. now. I have some knowledge. I have some skills. I understand human potential. You're going with the flow. I'm tuning into infinite intelligence, which allows me to show up as whatever, whatever type of energy, whether it's masculine or feminine, whatever piece of information, whatever is going to be most helpful to that soul in fulfilling their vision in awakening more of their potential by being a vessel and being open. I can allow anything to manifest through me. So I'm not limited. What I'm saying is by my, I'm not limited by my own knowledge or skills as a coach or mentor. I have access to, I connect to their soul and I have access to infinite intelligence to fulfill. So I get myself out of the way is another way to say it. Has anybody ever told you you give off a glow? I, <laughs> I have been told that many times. Yes. You walk Thank into you. a room and people can feel something. Mm. Yeah. At least I can. Yeah, I've been told that many times. Yeah. And you've been able to use that to help other people. Yeah, definitely. It's myself and other people, you know, one of the ways that we can best help people is by being in our own shine, right? Being connected to our own magic. So um, that's another way that I kind of indirectly am able to help people is just by doing the best that I can to be my authentic self, to allow you know, the radiance of my own being to shine and to shine that upon others. One of my favorite words, oh, is manifestation. Yes. What does that mean to you? Manifestation. I started hearing the word manifestation a few years ago and manifestation, very much like a, a radio station. You know, when you tune to different stations, if you go to 96.5, let's say it's playing classical music. If you go to 101.8 it's playing country music and so as consciousness we're able to tune into different stations these could be different uh different vibrations and if we shift our vibration and tune into a different station then it manifests so it's like a manifest station and so we're always manifesting we're either doing that consciously or unconsciously deliberately or accidentally through our words through our focus and most of all through our being and can, so, yeah, can we manifest what we want? I mean, we can manifest what we want, but essentially at the core, we're manifesting who we are, who we're being. Right. So we might we might say, 
you know, we want a, a house or a car or a particular relationship, but that represents a state of being. And so life is always reflecting back to us through manifestation who it is that we're being. And so we're not so much manifesting what it is that we want, but who it is that we are being. And so being is primary when it comes to manifestation. Is there a higher power that kind of pushes this along and yeah. makes it happen? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's one of the things that we experience when we're in flow and we, you know, we had an intention, a goal, a desire, and beyond our own orchestration, we're in the right place at the right time. And we happen to coincidentally run into that person or into that thing. Um, that type of that, I would say that's the higher power, you know, or you could say our higher self, you know, taking us along the trail of life and lighting up certain things in our pathway that are helping us towards the manifestation. How do you help people who don't believe they can do this? Or do you? I, 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 I do. Usually there's some spark, even if they're like super doubting, skeptical d- and d- doubting, doubting Thomas. Yeah. Right? The doubting, doubting Thomases. If they have enough openness or enough inspiration or enough desperation, then that creates a kind of openness. As long as there's a spark, even the smallest of sparks, even if it's just, I'm curious. Now, most of the people that come to me are beyond curiosity and they do believe they're ready to go. They're, they're ready to go. But I do have souls that come, come across my path that are very rigid and appear to be very not ready, but something inside of them is actually ready to pop. So that does happen occasionally, you know, um, and I would say also one of the reasons that I can help people, even if they're not very well versed in like spiritual language or understanding of the universe is that connecting to my heart right, and, and speaking to the being, I'm able to speak in different languages. I don't mean different languages like Spanish or Japanese, right. but just in a way that they're going to be able to actually hear and more importantly, feel what it is that I'm saying. And so um, that's how I've also been able to speak to people's hearts and to people's souls, because love, the language of our heart, is able to transcend language, right? Because people can feel, even if they're not into these things, people's souls and hearts are intelligent. So anybody who's speaking from their heart has the capacity to reach beyond someone's mind. And so, yeah, it, it happens. Have you met some people who just get it? They oh, understand yeah. it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kid, kids, a lot of young kids right. just get it. And then definitely the kids that are coming in nowadays are, they're tuned in, they're tapped in, they're plugged in. They just, they just get it. And even they get it beyond the concepts and beyond the knowledge and beyond the language. Tell us the difference between strong consciousness and luck. For example, luck is is interesting, right? Like, what what is what is luck? What is luck, right? I mean, that's that's a great question. Like, what what is luck? I know that what I'm calling synchronicity and you know meaningful coincidences could seem like luck from our limited perspective, right? It's like, what are the odds that I would run into this person at this time? What are the chances? You know, it seems like luck. So. That's a great question. What do you, what, what's luck to you? I have a guest who appears on our radio station quite often. His name is Joseph Gallenberger. He's a professor. Mm. He does experiments in luck and he sets it up in Vegas 
because he says you get immediate results. Right. And you know if it's working or not. And what he does, oh, is he brings two groups of people, happy, upbeat people Uh and people who are not happy. Right. And he makes sure they're not happy. <laughs> and then he sends them out into Vegas. He gives them some money and says, go play the slot machine. Go do this. Go do that. The happy people always come back winners. Right. They're luckier. The unhappy people don't. He has concluded. He's done this 16 times. Uh-huh. He has concluded that the inner spirit of happiness develops your luck and who you're going to be. What do you think of that? I, I I would agree with that 100. percent Yeah, I have overwhelming evidence of being quote unquote lucky, um, but being in a state. I'm taking of, you to Vegas. Yeah, you know it. You know it's you're you're having me remember something. Um, back when I started playing the cards, playing with the cards, this was a few years ago. I actually this was many years ago. I put an ad on Craigslist. This is a crazy story to remember here. I put an ad on Craigslist. This is when law of attraction was really big. Right. And I said, law of attraction experiment. And I basically said that if there is somebody who loves to play cards or is a gambler, like authentically loves it, that I would go do this experiment with them and go put them to the casino and check this out. This is what I did. Not to prove to this guy that I could be a source of luck, but just as a demonstration to inspire him. I actually Maybe took- to prove something to you. Right, right. I took yeah. out I took out my camera and I took the deck of cards and I said on camera, this was to the guy that I was going to meet to go to the casino, right? right? Um, I said, let's meet up. I took out a camera and a deck of cards and I said, hey, I'm going to meet you in the future and we're going to talk about going to the casino to go gambling, to do this experiment. And I said, I'm going to ask you to pick a card. And I was shuffling through the deck and the card, the nine of hearts came up and I said, this is the card that you're going to pick. In the future when I meet you. Anyway, turn the camera off. Several days later or a couple days later, I went to go meet him. We were talking about the experiment and he was like, but how, how's it, how's it possible? And then I asked him, I said, will you pick a card? He said, what do you mean? You doing a magic trick? I said, no, just, just like, what's the first card that comes to you out of a deck of 52 cards? And he said, the nine of hearts. And then I opened the video. And showed him the video and he wow. he lost his mind. And of course he said, you're hired. Let's do it. And how did it work? Did you take him to Vegas? We went to a casino. This was in Florida. Um, and let's just say he was happy by the end of the evening. Yeah, it works. Yeah. It now, works. here's the question, because I've asked Gallenberger this too. Mm. In your opinion, why does it work? <laughs> we know it does. But why? It's. It's energy and frequency and information and anything that you are attuned to. It's like a tuning fork, any or like the station analogy, anything that you are attuned to that you become one with, you have access to the information. So it's it's like and this is why I said it's no different if you're doing this with cards or if you're channeling a piece of art. If you could tune into the consciousness, the vibrational frequency of Einstein. Right. And you could relax enough and allow, then you could actually tune into his genius. And so that's the way that energy, frequency, and information works. And so it's the same thing with the cards or tuning into another state of consciousness or tuning into another person. It's an openness and a receptivity. And I think that if there was a skill, it's the ability 
to be open, to be receptive and to be able to tune into different stations. Because if you tune into a different station, a different frequency than all of the information that's on that station, you have access to. Exactly. Yeah. Is that is that your radio metaphor? That's the radio metaphor. Exactly. Hip hop's over here. Classical music's over here. And so when you go over Don't to the Don't forget class, the talk stations. And the talk stations, the yeah. George Norris show is over right. here. Put them in there. Right. And so then when you tune over to this station, it's not like this other one goes away. You've taken your attention off of it. And this is how quantum physics works, right? It's like you take your attention off of the particle. It becomes wave. It becomes just pure potential again. If you put your attention on it again, all of a sudden, then you're on that station. And so it's almost like it goes invisible then if you take your attention off exactly. of it Exactly. So many people wish they could run into a genie and yes. get some three wishes. But can't we get those wishes on our own and make it happen? Yeah, you know, the whole three wishes genie thing, we've seen it in Aladdin. And if you're really smart, you ask the genie, one of your wishes is for unlimited wishes, which is actually really smart. And so I like to say that, you know, the idea of having three wishes is amazing because you're like, ooh, I have this power to get whatever it is that I want, whatever exactly. it is that I wish for. But what's more powerful than the wishes? The genie, because the genie has unlimited wishes. Okay, well, we'll continue this when we come back after we take a break now and then we... <clears throat> look at the stars with our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kipacha and uh, have some music. Now it's got some ideas. <laughs> and we'll take this little break now and see you in about 10 or 15 at the most. All right. Satnam, everybody. Thank you. Very interesting energies that are, and the times we live in. I am so glad to be here. See you with you. Namaste. Mm-hmm. Pass it to Richard. Pass the talking stick back to you, Richard. Oh, hi, Richard. Are you sure you want to do that? Well, I'll tell you that there's 31 minutes for Kepacha and 17 minutes for Tanya. I think you would need that. Yeah, I was going to ask you before. But anyway, okay. All right, well, uh, welcome to the Astrology Hour. I warned you last week of what tonight was going to look like. <laughs> yeah, you, we got this. We got this. I don't even know where to start. The worst, I'll start with the worst or the most challenging condition first. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's... Uh, Venus retrograde conjunct the sun at 21 degrees of Leo. Square to that good old favorite pair of Uranus conjunct Jupiter in Taurus. Mm. Yeah. Taurus is now at, Taurus is now at 15 and not retrograde. And Uranus is at 23 and not retrograde. Yeah. All right. That's the most challenging thing. Now, the other uh, 
challenging thing is that favorite pairing of uh, Mars and Mercury over there in Virgo at, at 21 for Mars and 18 for Mercury opposite Neptune at retrograde at 28. So Neptune's retrograde. Saturn's retrograde now at 5 Pisces. And Pluto's retrograde at 29 Capricorn. All right. And uh, let's see here. Okay, so the... so the, the When you got so many retrogrades, what does that mean, Richard? Review, review, review. Uh, I guess I knew that. Yes. Watch. You know. Watch. Watch, rinse, repeat. Right, 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 right. Repeat, review, and repeat. Yeah, because you didn't get all the lessons. So you've got to <laughs> back up and try the lesson again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tell that to Donald Trump, right, don't you? No. <laughs> I'm, I've sworn off big mouth until closer to the election. Okay. I mean, look, the election is... Still uh, September, October. The uh, election is still fourteen months away. That's true. That's true. Okay, so so the the uh, the opposition between Neptune and Mars Mercury is the center line of a formation called the kite. Okay. Oh. So the the trine here is Mars Mercury trine Pluto Pluto trine Uranus with Jupiter. Okay, that's the grand trine, and then Neptune is sextile to Pluto and sextile to Jupiter to Uranus. And it's you can draw it out, or you can get a free chart maker, and you'll you'll see it. So it's like if you're building a, an actual kite to fly out in the yard, the mm-hmm. opposition is the spine of the kite, mm-hmm. and the trine between Pluto and Uranus is the crossbar of the kite. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the two sextiles. And the other two trines are the edge of the paper that you glue to the to the to the crossbars of the kite. That's why they call it a kite. Then there's the other thing that's short short term, and that's uh, Moon trine Saturn tonight. Moon Saturn's at five Pisces retrograde, and the Moon happens to be in fourteen Cancer tonight. So. Uh, Happy birthday, all you middle cancer people. So that's the, and then, uh, last but not least, we've got the North Node is at 28 Aries. And that always moves retrograde, but it's not a retrograde thing. And Chiron is at 20 Aries and retrograde. So to review your retrogrades, Pluto and Capricorn, 
Saturn in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces, Chiron in Aries, and they're on that side of the chart, okay? And then you got Mars Mercury opposite the midpoint of that. So um, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> the, um, yeah, well, the Grand Trine and the Sextiles is good. It's going to last a little bit longer because Mars isn't moving that fast right now. Let's see here. Uh, look up the additional tables. Um, Mars is moving 57 minutes a day, and Mercury is moving 48 minutes a day, so that's you know, less than a degree a day, you know. Okay, and, and Venus is moving in the opposite direction of 37 minutes of arc per day. And that's, uh, okay, anything else of interest? Oh, Uranus. Uranus is getting ready to go retrograde because right now it's moving less than a minute of arc per day at 48 seconds. Alright. Neptune's going minus one minute per day. Pluto is going minus one minute per day in a little bit, you know, in a few seconds of arc, you know. And uh, Chiron is moving minus one minute per day in, in a little bit. So the outer geysers all moving very slow. Uh, Venus is the fastest. Saturn is the fastest of the outer planets. So it's going minus four minutes a day. And Jupiter's, Jupiter's only going forward four minutes a day. So everything from Jupiter outward is just creeping along very, very slowly. So... Uh, of course, the moon is different, and even it's moving slow this week at only 12 minutes, 12 degrees, and a couple of minutes per day. So well, that's, maybe that's a good message to take your time, go slowly for these little moments mm -hmm. in time. Well, remember, the moon is in an elliptical orbit, right? And so when it's furthest from the Earth is when it's moving the slowest, okay? Huh. And that's around 12 degrees a day. It's moving fastest on, a, on the other side of the Earth because of gravitational effects, and it's moving over 14 degrees a day. So, Richard, we missed a couple of your words. Which planet are you talking about now? Because we, you, we, you were gone for a minute there. Moon. Oh, okay. The moon's orbital speed in a month varies between around 12 degrees to a little over 14 degrees, depending okay. on which side of the, the planet it's on and where in its elliptical arc, arc it is. But you all should know that. That's basic solar system mechanics. Right. 
Yeah, all you 3D navigators out there. Yeah, let's see here. What else? What else might be of interest? Um, yeah, see, the moon is 27 degrees up north of the ecliptic. Along, uh, yeah, 28, almost 28 degrees north of the ecliptic. The sun's at 15 degrees north. Uh, Jupiter's 15 degrees north. And, uh, Saturn is 12 degrees south. Uranus oh. is 18 north. Neptune is just 2 degrees south. But Pluto is way south at 23 degrees south. So, you know, they're not all in a plane. They're, they got different angles to their orbit, orbits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I've used up my 12 minutes. Well, almost. So let's, uh, go to Kaipacha and I'll listen at least for another little bit. Cause okay. I worked hard outside today and I'm sleepy, sleepy. Okay. Take it away, Rama. Here we go. Kaipacha with the weekly daily report, and I'm over here by La Fortuna at one of Costa Rica's amazing waterfalls, and it's pretty uh, beautiful with the moon in Taurus, and uh, she's going into Gemini today, but she will be moving into Cancer by Friday, (laughs) so we'll get a little water coming around. I'm getting a lot of water today. I don't know where I'm going to do the report, but, you know, there's lots to talk about. I want to carry on so much of what was coming through last week's report. And it has a lot to do with this. uh, Basically, uh, today, Venus is square Uranus. And I mentioned it last week. Mercury is trying Jupiter. And, you know, by Monday... Venus is in a trine to Chiron, yeah? And it's we have these interesting aspects because Uranus and Chiron are almost exactly 30 degrees apart. So what we have is Venus squares Uranus today, trines Chiron on Monday. The Sun, okay, basically trines Chiron on Saturday. Next Tuesday, squares Uranus. Mars is in conjunct Chiron on Friday and trine Uranus, uh, you know, on Wednesday. So there's a very interesting relationship that I want to discuss uh, with regard to Uranus in Taurus and Chiron in Aries. Yeah. Along with, of course, Venus is still retrograde, and she is reaching what? The exact conjunction with the sun. Ow! I will be reading to you, all right, the Sabian symbol for 
23 degrees, 17 minutes of Leo. Sun conjunct Venus on Sunday. Yeah? All right, and then she's going to continue. Like I say, she's still in her retrograde phase. But Sun is trying Chiron, square Uranus, conjunct Venus, it, you know, in his own sign of Leo the Lion. It's powerful. And by next Wednesday, we are going to have a new moon at 20 degrees, 28 minutes of Leo. I'll be talking about that next week. But for now, I think I just really want to find a place where it's not too freaking loud and I can look at the camera, talk to you about all this amazing stuff. All right. Check it out. All right, everybody. Well, it started raining at the waterfall. Ah! So I had to come back to the uh, hot springs here and uh, try to finish this report. It's a little bit discombobulated. I like to get into the zone and do the beginning and the body of the Pele report at the same time. But um, say la vie. I couldn't really do it in the rain. Fortunately, it's only drizzling right now. But let's get down to the astrology. What is going on right now? It is a mixture. It's really one. We want to look at this mixture of retrograde Venus in Leo, Sun in Leo, squaring Uranus in Taurus, and trining Chiron in Aries. And even Mars up in Virgo. Okay, is in conjunct that Chiron and trine Uranus. So we have this blending of energy. I mean, you won't believe, <laughs> you're not going to believe the freaking Sabian symbol for the sun conjunct Venus. It is very interesting. Maybe I'll start out with that. Yeah. Okay. Because it's, uh, yeah. It is basically intoxicated chickens dizzily flap their wings trying to fly. The often negative and at times ludicrous first experience with spiritual teachings. In Near Eastern symbolism, wine, intoxication, and vineyards always refer to ecstatic experiences and to the contact with mystical or occult schools. Chickens. Here suggests that we are dealing with human beings who are at the standardized products of their culture and more or less undifferentiated specimens of a social norm. Brought accidentally or prematurely to mystical or occult experiences, they usually react to them in a highly confused and dizzy manner. What reacts in them is the ego, 
And the ego can never fly, i.e. experience spiritually transcendental realities in an effectual manner. Yeah? So it, it, this symbol presents to us a picture of the unsatisfactory way many people today, especially young people, approach what purports to be spiritual reality. The food may be intoxicating, consciousness expanding, but the inner openings lack depth and constructiveness, whether or not they produce what appears to be wonderful feelings. One may speak here of the danger of premature expansion of consciousness. Wow. Just think of the first time you got drunk <laughs> as a teenager, maybe, you know, at some party, or the first time you smoked some pot, or maybe the first time you did some ayahuasca, or the first, you know, you, it's like, and the younger you are, the less your ego is formed and structured. And so the more you are like taken out of yourself and you can really have amazing, wonderful feelings and heightened experiences and, and feel like you know everything and, and you're, you're awakened and enlightened and you know, you're a shaman now and whatever. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you can get very dizzy. And this is why, you know, the yogic practices is, you have your spiritual discipline every day, every morning. You do your breath work. You do your yoga. You know, it becomes a practice and there's no external substances either. So, yeah, I just have to kind of look at the food that he's talking about. But it's so amazing because there's a farm here where I'm staying and I'm going to put some chickens. <laughs> they got a whole flock of chickens there. It's amazing to like woke up this morning and saw these chickens running around and it was just so perfect for this. So what else is perfect? You know, I wanted to carry through from last week to this week, this kind of a theme, right? Of this Venus going into the underworld, the rebel, the revolutionary. I spoke about breaking free, being unconventional, stepping out of the norm, not really following the dictates of, you know, your childhood or your culture or even your peer group, okay? Your community of, you know, spiritually minded soul beings or whatever, as mature or not as they are. Man, it's warm in here. <laughs> It'd be good if I can make it through this, but... Here's the thing that we want to correlate with this is that Uranus, you know, is in Taurus and Uranus is the process of individuation. It is the rebel. It is Prometheus who stole fire from the gods and got punished for it by Zeus. So there is this rebel energy. I'm an individual. I am unique. And Leo says, I am special. I am, you know, I'm really something. Look over here. Right? So this, you know, Uranus, ruler of Aquarius, opposite Leo, 
this axis is kind of like the creative axis where we create ourselves and we individuate and we break free from the past into something new and something different. And so, you know, that is part of the awakening. That's part of the opening of this third eye is that, yeah, boom, you know. At some point, you have to become your own authority. You have to listen to your own heart, your own spiritual promptings, your own inner guidance, and really be that. And it's now tied into 30 degrees away from Chiron. And this has been going on for a couple of months. It's going on for a couple more months. This is probably four months, June, July, August, September, okay, that whenever a planet or the moon or the nodes is aspecting Uranus, it's also making an uncomfortable aspect to Chiron. And when it's making a comfortable aspect to Chiron, it's making an uncomfortable aspect to Uranus. So there's this agitation built into the transits right now, built into, you know, what, what is unfolding here on planet Earth? And what is this process of individuation? How much can you break free, revolt, rebel, step back, liberate yourself from the known, the familiar, the past, the peer groups, until you're alone? And then you can go into alienation. Isolation, loneliness, depression, disconnection. So it's a fine line, okay? It's a tightrope that we're walking here between how much do I really realize my own individual unique nature and how much do I have friends, and community, and belong. So, you know, last week I kind of focused on, hey, you know, rebel, break free. You know, Venus is retrograde in the underworld. This is the time for it, you know. Don't compromise yourself. You know, don't, you know, don't put a, take off your mask and don't pretend and blah, 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 blah. But there's another side. There's another side to this. The other side is putting yourself in the other shoes. The flip side of the coin is what? I think it has so much to do with tolerance. Tolerating other people's differences. This is opening the compassionate heart of the Buddha. This is moving into the Iranian ruled Aquarius of non-attachment. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway. And no, we're not all the same. And I want you to accept me for being different. But let's give everyone else the chance. Give everyone else the benefit of the doubt, right? To also be themselves, to disagree, to be different to step back or step out or take a break or just like, you know, wow. So this is where, you know, this week's mantra comes in. 
You know, when it comes into shadow, not only are people projecting their shadows onto us, but we are projecting our shadows onto other people. And here's where it comes in. I have I just remembered last night that it was 20 years ago in 2003 that I was initiated into the Mankind Project. And this was a men's initiation group into really dealing with emotional awareness and to doing shadow work and the whole thing and meeting with you know the men's group every week, the I group since then, it's been about what? Shadow work. So I'm familiar with shadow work. And one of the favorite lines, one of the favorite sayings that they have in that work, you spot it, you got it. Yeah? You know, if someone is, you know, doing cartwheels on the beach, you know, or, you know, doing some fabulous yoga pose that you can't do, <laughs> you know, out in public on the beach or something, and you're like, oh, man, how Leo or how egotistical or what a show-off or, you know, that's so disgusting, blah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, you could get into a judgment kind of a thing. You got triggered, right? They triggered you. And so here's the spot. If you spot it, you got it. It's time to, whenever somebody pisses you off, whenever somebody triggers you, you know, maybe they get angry. And, you know, and you're like, oh, man, they're angry. That's, uh, that's taboo, you know. Oh, they're eating meat, you know. Somewhere in you is a carnivore. Somewhere in you is, you know, some anger. Somewhere in you is a show-off that you are suppressing, ignoring, denying, rejecting, fragmenting, closing off. And that's why somebody else doing it bothers you. So when we open up to our total self, we're not going to get triggered. We're not, it's like there's not going to be anything that we're afraid of displaying, of showing, of, you know, what of being. And so then whenever somebody does this, that, or the other, or this, that, or the other, or they, you know, they, they don't trigger. We, so this is how Buddha comes into the stillness comes into this non-attachment, no agenda, no goal, not trying to change, educate, modify, enlighten anybody, but also not getting, you know, stirred, moved. So this non-attachment this Aquarius is opposite the Leo, and that non-attachment, there's not so much passion, fire, heat, desire. The lion is about dealing with desire. So it's something to like have passion, have fire, have desire, but not let it cloud. Okay, you know, not let it, 
make us dizzy. <laughs> we don't have to be dizzy chickens. <laughs> you know, it's like where, you know, it's like, okay, wow, I'm, you know, I just, I see this and I know this and, you know, I, I just got opened up and my heart is open, but, you know, that bothers me and that bothers me and that bothers me and that bothers me. It's like, uh, 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 go back to start. Go back to start. <laughs> so the mantra for this week, you get it? My real work while here on earth is not only to express all I am, but to allow and accept, yay, even support those others I just can't understand. Whether it is the Chinese, the Vax, the Ukrainians, the woke people, the demonstrators, the Black Lives Matter, the, you know, the, the people with tats or the medicine people or the this people or the that people or the ism or the asm or the, you know, blah, 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 blah. The fascism, jazzism, mazism, dazzism. I mean, you know what? Can we really be all right? Yeah. You know, can people let me live in peace? And can I let others live in peace? That reminds me, that, that gives me the song for this week. Let it be. Let it be. And others will let you be. We let each other be. And we will all be one together. Come together. <laughs> I mean, there was one other point, if I got a few minutes left here, that I wanted to bring up because... Actually, my song, I was, it was going to be, what was it, um, Neil Young, um, How Love Can Break Your Heart. I wanted to talk about love a little bit, because we have this sun conjunct Venus. Venus is retrograde. I'm just on part four of the Astrology of Relationships course. I do lots of readings for people. I meet people. I counsel people. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I really have a pulse. Yes, I, you know, on, on what people are going through, through my own social experience. And there's a lot of loneliness. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of single people out there and they're really looking for a partnership, but they have kind of a, a list of don'ts, <laughs> like this doesn't cut it and this doesn't make it and this isn't going to fly and da 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 da. And you know, it's so there's there's a real caution, a real guardedness, a real hands off kind of thing until you know, are you really spiritual or are you really honest? Are you, can I really trust you? There's like people. You know, jumping back, jumping out, going so slow that all momentum is lost, you know, suppressing the passion and the desire and the fire, you know, out of fear of making another mistake. 
And it's like, you know, love, this opening up of the heart. I have to look back at what I said back in June. It may even have been May. Yeah, you know, I said, guess what? Guess what? You know, Mars and Venus traveling through Leo, you know, Sun Venus conjunct in Leo and all this is going to be the summer of love. I don't know if you if you listen to the Paley report, you may remember me saying that. And, you know, it's been also the summer of breakups. Yeah, the summer of this is not happening or this is not working. I can't do this anymore. It's like, you know, if this is not. And, and, and I just want to say that, you know, love, love is not like romance, Hollywood movies, uh, pleasure, comfort. Love is our evolutionary force. And it breaks open our heart. And we learn compassion through forgiveness. And we learn forgiveness through being sometimes hurt. Yeah, or hurting others and, and asking for forgiveness. And this whole journey, you know, of Venus descending into the underworld is really looking into, you know, the dark side, the shadow side, the lonely side, the despair, the, you know, how things have not worked out, how things have not been peaceful, joyful, happy endings, you know, then the Hansel and Gretel sail off, you know, into the sunset and live happily ever after. You know, it's just like, no, love is pushing our envelope, hitting our edge, hitting our limit, our intimate other, our beloved, wakes us up, straightens us out, enlightens us, sometimes argues, pushes, insults, or bashes, or what, you know, it's like, boom. (laughs) Sometimes love is a boxing ring. Love is a battlefield. That's another song that we could use for this week. (laughs) So I think we all know love is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And at the same time, it's like a needle that can also stitch it and sew it up and mend it again. Yeah. So it deals with, and the lion deals with, right? It's the lion... You know, the woman riding the lion, you know, is the strength card in the tarot. It's courage. You know, the courage to risk. The courage to go into feeling an attraction, following it. Yes, I've been hurt before. I, you know, maybe I haven't forgiven or maybe I haven't been forgiven or, you know, maybe I've got judgments. Maybe I've been judged. Uh, you know, maybe I feel guilty or I'm a victim or a predator or blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's just like, I am afraid to love again. I'm afraid to lose again. I'm afraid to hurt again. I'm afraid to be hurt again. There are so many reasons, causes, fears, underlying justifications for not going forward. 
in this case, I want to encourage you, be a dizzy chicken. <laughs> Get yourself intoxicated a little bit. Find that, you know, the beginner's mind and find the beginner's heart and come into a place of non-attachment and you will what? Here we come back. I come full circle back to Chiron in Aries, ruled by Mars, the passionate, courageous, sexual manifester that, you know, trusts the instinct, the animal nature, the desires and the passions, even though they've been wounded, not returned, not succeeded, didn't win, you know, lost, didn't get what I desired in the past. That's not going to stop me from Right? Trying again, desiring again, trusting again, opening again, loving again. This is just like, you know, this is Venus retrograde. Redo, retry, remember, rejuvenate, reset. Just like, so hit that reset button. (laughs) Right on your heart. I'm going to reset. And I'm going to Come again. And I'm going to give this person a chance. We're all wounded. And everybody is wounded. And everybody makes mistakes. And some people will jump too fast. Some people will jump too slow. Some have too many boundaries. Some don't have enough boundaries. But you know what? Come on. Let's try giving each other a break. That's what this mantra is about. That's what love is about. This compassionate forgiveness saying, all right, you're wounded, you're messed up, you made a mistake. I'm not canceling you, I'm not blocking you, I'm not signing off. I'm going to come forward with an open heart courageously and meet the other where they are. And not just expect them to meet me where I am, (laughs) you know. But I'm going to come off my throne, you know, and I'm going to meet them where they are, too. And maybe we'll meet in the middle, in the media, in La Costa Rica. One more time. Take it for this week, baby. My real work while here on Earth is not only to express all I am, but to allow and accept. Yay! Even support those others I just don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you will understand them if you hang with them and you give them a break and you ask them questions instead of signing off, right? Ow! Namaste. Aloha. So much Love. <laughs>
the talking stick. Back to you, Richard. <laughs> okay, got okay, a couple, got a couple things. Couple things. Bad luck, bad luck, man. Back at the back beginning. At the beginning. He said the conjunction with Venus was it. Richard, we're missing you every every other word. Can you find a place where we can hear? Not on my end. Talk again. Say something again, please. All right. All right. Uh, Somebody have some something on that's a bizarre. Yeah. Hi, Doug. Okay, let's go ahead. Go ahead. Say something again, Richard. Okay. He misspoke at the beginning of his commentary. The yeah. conjunction with Venus is not 23 degrees Leo. It's 21 degrees Leo. But when he read the Sabian symbol, he did read 21 degrees Leo. So he just misspoke. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for catching it. All right. I mean, you might have a sensitive point at 21 degrees Leo. That's more sensitive than 23 degrees Leo. Right. And the reason I mention that is because if you're my age, you have a natal Neptune around 21 or 22 Leo. Right. <coughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And you may have a sensitive point on as an opposition or a square that you want to just think about. So I just wanted to, I like accuracy. <coughs> yes, you do. Okay. All right. So the next the next thing is just when we get to next Saturday night, the moon will have moved from 13 Cancer, where it is tonight, to uh, 7 Libra next Saturday night. All right. And Mars will still be conjunct Mercury. The Sun and Venus will be 10 degrees apart because Venus will still be retrograde. And that's it. That's all I wanted to mention. So watch as we go through the week. We're going to have the new, we're going to have the new moon in about three days. All right. And then the next thing the moon's going to do is it's going to conjunct Mercury and then it's going to conjunct Mars. So next, yeah, and so next Thursday, Friday, that moon's going to be conjuncting that Mercury-Mars thing going on in Virgo. You fly out. Okay. By next Thursday, Friday zone, Moon will conjunct Mercury and then Mars. Mm. Uh Yeah, well, you know, Moon conjunct Mercury has one condition and Moon conjunct Mars has another condition. Yes, indeed. But but Mercury and Mars are only going to be four degrees apart. So it's all going to be working together. Okay. So, you know, we talked last week about Mercury conjunct Mars, right? People trying to give orders and run the show and that sort of thing because you're combining talk and the power of speech with the nature of Mars. Mm -hmm. All right. 
So have a good week, everybody. I'm signing off. Okay, night-night, Richard. See you next Namaste, week. Namaste, everyone. See you next week. See you next week. All right. Bye Adios, amigo. All right, let's do uh, uh, Tanya Gabrielle. Here we go. Gabrielle Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the astrology and numerology, the stars and numbers to help us navigate the energy. And in this case, it's an incredible new moon, the new moon in Leo at 23 degrees. And that number figures greatly as does the sign of Leo, because they are intimately connected. So let's start first with the time and day. It happens on August 16th, universal time at 10.38 a.m., and that is 5.38 a.m. Eastern Time, New York, and 2.38 a.m. Pacific Time, L.A. So the sun and moon are both in Leo, of course, for the new moon. They're in a conjunction. And they will be at 23 degrees. Now, 23 is the royal star, the lion number in numerology. Lion, Leo, same energy, same frequency. And what's so amazing is not only are the sun and moon at 23 degrees, but Uranus is at 23 degrees, creating an exact square, 90 degree angle to the sun and moon. Uranus in Taurus, 23 degrees, sun and moon in Leo, 23, 23. And we're in 2023, and on July 23rd, the sun entered Leo, and on August 23rd, Mercury stations retrograde. So if you look at all these 23s and the confidence, the sense of the royal star, the lion number, you know, lion is the king of the jungle, and Leo is the royal sign. It represents wearing the robe of leadership, shining your inner star, being the creator that is has a platform, is on stage uh, in some way, being creative, expressing itself. So this number 23, Royal Star of the Lion, adds the confidence and the leadership and the courage and the fire and the in- invincibility to the equation. Remember that Leo is a fire sign as well. And speaking of fire, there is one more planet, believe it or not, that is adding to this 23 code activation, and that is Mars. Mars is the rule of Aries, a fire sign, and Mars represents being fired up. Now, Mars, moments after the exactitude of this Leo new moon at 23 degrees Leo, Mars is moving into 23 degrees Virgo, creating an exact trine to Uranus at 23 degrees Taurus, two Earth signs. So to sum up, we've got the sun and moon at 23 degrees in Leo. The sun moved into Leo on the 23rd of July. We're in 2023. Uranus will be at 23 degrees in Taurus. Mercury is stationing retrograde on August 23rd, 
and Mars is moving to 23 degrees in Virgo moments after the Leo new moon, creating an exact trine to Uranus. Uranus is creating an exact square to the sun and moon during the new moon. So this is, I don't know how many 23s that was. I think six, seven, whatever it is, it's huge. And when you look at the fact that 23 reduces to five, two plus three equals five, Five is the number of risk and adventure and freedom. So going out on a limb and looking at things in a new way, having new perspective, having a new way of doing things, uh, belief that is shifted, right? This is the shift number. It's the middle number between one and nine. We have one through four and the number five and then six through nine. So it is the pivot point number and the number, I always say it's like going to the top of the mountain, you're hiking up and you get to the top and then you realize, oh, there are many paths to take down. Which one do I choose? So there's a lot of quick decision making also with the number five because you're making choices as you pivot as to which direction to go. Now, Leo is all about joy. This sign does represent fun and being creative is the fifth house of children and children go explore and it's the fifth house of romance and romance is all about taking a risk and having fun and doing things on a whim. So this is really the enthusiasm and entertainment of Leo. So you are awakening to your inner light when you delight in the world The delight in things that children naturally have is what Leo is all about. So Leo governs the heart in astrology and the heart is obviously where we feel, especially love. And Leo is ruled by the sun. The sign of Leo is ruled by the sun and the sun is a star. The sun is light. So Leo is the sign that represents love and light. And so when we have this moment of being invited to shine our inner light, to feel that sense of your inner star being expressed, that is pivotal when it's coupled with the number 23, which is all about feeling invincible. Now, this Leo new moon has the sun and moon conjunct merged with Venus, which is in retrograde in Leo until September 3rd. So they're merged together. It's creating a stellium. And Venus is the planet of love and also your values and beauty, of course, and pleasure. And Venus likes to express as well. It's the artistic planet. So when we look at this combination of self-expression from the heart, its there's a lot here to inspire you to move towards some project that you feel super excited about in a imaginary, imaginative way. So you basically have more sensitivity, you sense beauty on a deeper level. In fact, listening to beautiful music at this time is going to really inspire you. There's a sense of abundance as well with Venus. And in retrograde, these are all deepened. So you note them more. You literally pay more attention to 
the fact that you need to have time for pleasure and rest and relaxation in order to then move towards creating abundance and love and pleasure in your life. And so that retrograde is reminding you to have good judgment in terms of how to enhance your surroundings, bring beauty into your life, bring love into your life, do what feels pleasurable as opposed to what is expected, right? So the Sun-Venus retrograde brings also a sense of wanting to touch what is beautiful, to feel beautiful, to wear vibrant fabrics, to take a vacation. Now, I'm going to talk about the number three now because even in invoking those dates, August 23rd and September 3rd, we have the number three represented. And this number is important because Lion and Leo are two words that start with the letter L, which is the 12th letter of the alphabet, and 12 reduced to 3. 1 plus 2 equals 3. 1, 2, 3. So why is 3 important? Well, Leo represents being creative and expressing yourself in a creative way. Venus, the planet retrograding in Leo right now, and the planet that's conjunct the sun and moon for this Leo new moon, Venus also represents being creative and expressing yourself. So the combination of the astro-numerology code in this instance, just like with Leo and the Royal Star, the line number 23, is so great that we are really being invited in in a major way. Like this is an invitation you want to accept, right? You don't want to ignore the invitation to be creative and courageous and also to take that time for inner pleasure and enjoyment. Focus on anything in your life that shows up for you or that you seek out that is beautiful, that is truly connected to love, that delights you, that brings you a sense of pure joy and pleasure. That will be very important. Now, there are a couple of other transits that do happen during this new moon. Uh, One is very important. I already mentioned the sun and moon are square to Uranus, exactly square 23 degrees in Taurus for Uranuses. So this will activate uh, change and reform and really wanting to make new plans and seeking freedom and independence. Now, Uranus is in the sign of Taurus, which Venus rules and Venus is retrograde in Leo. Is there any impulsiveness or aggressiveness or rebelliousness that is taking you away from your destiny? So be very proactive about creating positive change that you're forging a path here of somebody who uses the optimistic sacred warrior energy of the world star of the lion to create beautiful results. And keep in mind, there are ways to experience life in an unpredictable way. This is happening. The new moon is happening on August 16th. This is a number of the unpredictable 16 truly is asking you to use your intuition when the unpredictable appears. Meditate, 16 reduces to 7, the number of meditation, get grounded. Also exercise, get extra rest. Know that everything is going to move 
at times pretty quickly. And this is going to create a sense of uh, tension or a jarring of energy, which you want to bypass by focusing on a quick decision to not partake in any negativity. So the quick decision will be very easy to make, the quick pivoting because of the number 23, which reduces to five, the number 23 being activated everywhere. And it's been with us, as you know, since July 23rd when the sun entered Leo. So your ability to move quickly from something that is impeding energy is really pronounced. And that ability is directly connected to your intuition, to your ability to intuit how to navigate around energy that is possibly not for your highest good, right? And we all encounter that whether we're online or whether we're out and about. Now, other transits that are actually very helpful is that Mercury trines Uranus and Mars trines Uranus. And Mars is exactly trying to Uranus. So Mercury trying Uranus gives you great powers of observation. So this is the higher and lower mind coming together in harmony. It gives you wonderful concentration powers and you can really experience uh, this mental energy acceleration. So your ability to think through things or to grasp things is heightened. So it gives you uh, really a ph- phenomenal intellectual ability. And that, because it's a trine, is turning into positive thinking, positive understanding, uh, knowing that you are available to new possibilities at all times and surprises, and you're curious about how to partake in that positive solution. Then Mars trine Uranus, the exact 23 degree trine, is also helping to dissipate the energy of the square that Uranus has to the new moon. And Mars is a fire planet. Leo is a fire sign. So there is a real sense of igniting some kind of passion here in Uranus to be able to move forward using the very fun part of Leo. So the excitement of Uranus being activated by Mars in the trine manifests changes in an excitingly beautiful and uh, surprising way. So just be open to those miraculous moments where even as a result of a quick decision that pivots you in a new direction, you feel very empowered and fired up and enthusiastic about new surprising developments. And as you can see, the the keywords that keep coming up with these numbers and planets is new, surprising, change, shift, uh, the ability to make quick decisions, to explore, and to get empowered to not feel stuck, right? To to allow yourself to give yourself credit for moving forward when you do, and then discovering, gosh, I just extracted myself from an energy that felt a lot more thick and heavy, and you actually accomplished that. So we have one more code to tell you about 23 degrees and the number 23, so activated during this new moon, merges with the number 15 in August. 
August is a 15 universal month and our previous star code podcast, have a listen to it. I explain what that means. It's the spiritual alchemist number. So when that merges with the royal star, the lion, whoa, we have an incredible code of courage and abundance and creativity and joy. It's pretty astounding. And so you want to take advantage of that. You want to really know that you are able to shine your star at this time. It's a beautiful star code for you. And your star code, too, is amazing. Your star code is extraordinary. And if you want to know more, you can go to their free masterclass about your birth star code. And it's based on your birthday and birth certificate name and your astrology chart. And you can watch that at starcodeclass.com. And what you'll also receive is a PDF that'll show you how to use the numbers in your birthday and calculate them and the birth certificate name that you have to add up to your destiny number, your life purpose number. It explains all of it. And so it's super easy and you discover your birth code and then you apply it to your astrology and that handout will take you through every step. So it's a wonderful free webinar at starcodeclass.com. And it's perfect for this code because our sun, the star, is the ruler of Leo, this new moon. So you can discover your own inner star in your star code at starcodeclass.com. So enjoy that. Have a beautiful Leo new moon. And I will see you next week for our Mercury Retrograde special podcast. Lots of love, and I'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone, and let's have a little break and go to the conference call. Mama, can you give us our numbers? Uh, 720-716-7301, and the pin code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, everybody, real quick, 720-716. 7301, pin code 353-863-POUND. We'll see you there and at the top of the next hour. Right back here at BBS Radio and heart of all good things happen at BBS Radio. See you in the top of the next hour right back there. Namaste, everybody. Conference call now. Help make blood suckers disappear with the Advantage family. We put a hit. Okay, we're ready to go. Let's do it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because of the time. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we go with the finishing up of uh, George Nury. George Nury, yes. And all you want. Right. So getting to the source 
you know, or tuning into the creator, the creator is always more powerful than the created. And so sometimes we get so enamored by, you know, desiring to have something, to be able to manifest something specific, which is great. That's part of the human experience. We get to enjoy things. And I've always personally been fascinated about being the genie or what is the source by which all creation comes into being. Because I was like being the genie. There was an old Twilight Zone episode of a guy who was granted three wishes. Mm -hmm. And the genie said to the guy, each wish has its own consequences. Mm. He didn't think anything of it. So his first wish was he wanted omnipotent power. Uh The genie turned him into Hitler. (laughs) Careful what you wish for. Every every wish he had, something horrible would happen. He, He wanted unlimited amounts of money. And the genie had him born with no arms and legs, but oh he was God. richer than God. Right. So everything, do you find life that way with consequences? Well, I mean, life is, 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 a, is a learn, this is a learning environment, right? And True. so, yes, there, there's consequences. I think in the example that you're, that you're giving here, it's a matter of being clear about what it is that we want. You know what it is that we desire and, and knowing why. how to get it and knowing. Yeah. And knowing how to get it. What is divine union? Divine union is a state of consciousness whereby we are in union. It's kind of like I said, God mode or unity consciousness right. where we're in union with source, with the God within in union with our own soul. And we can experience divine union on a human level when we're in a state of pure intimacy pure transparency where we're connected to someone's heart, connected heart to heart, soul to soul. And there's, there's less or no distortion between us. Um, that's a state of divine union. And I would say that, you know, looking at this through the lens of like masculine and feminine, even when we're in a flow state in this like peak performance state of consciousness, I would liken that to being in a state of divine union because even though it's very, like performance is very masculine oriented. It has to do with creation and like accomplishing and doing things when we're in a flow state and having these miraculous, amazing uh, performances, for example, we're actually in a state of unity. And even though we're focused in a very masculine way, we're also humble and open and receptive at the same time. And so another way to describe it is where the masculine and the feminine are united within us. That's a state of union. What does consciousness mean to you all? What is consciousness? Consciousness is is everything. Everything we're experiencing is in consciousness. Like right now, as we sit here in this room, this is one experience in consciousness. When we go into a dream state at night, that's another experience in consciousness. When we go into our imagination, that's another experience in consciousness. So we can't escape that everything is happening in consciousness and so all all motion all manifestation all possibilities are existing in the field of consciousness and essentially we are consciousness and then we have a soul like we're a unique soul or unique you could say configuration in consciousness and then that comes down to our um then there's like our own sort of you know our our personality and then our unique gifts but consciousness is the nature of existence. How powerful is it? Well, it 
it's it's almost like it's beyond power or powerful. It's beyond the concept of powerful because it essentially is the essence of everything, right? And when we are able to tune in to consciousness, right? Even even when we, when the phrase state of consciousness, right? States, this is like different manifestations, right? But they're different states in consciousness. That just goes to show that consciousness is all encompassing. Then there's different states of consciousness that we can tune into different manifestations. Relationships of dependence, independence, interdependence, union. There's considered to be stages of consciousness. What are they? Yeah, as we evolve in life, as we're evolving souls and we evolve through life, relationship is one of the most potent, incredible and potentially challenging ways that we evolve because relationships are like a mirror. And so, you know, going back to victim mode, at some point, we've all probably experienced codependency, Mm -hmm. right? Um, where we have externalized our power and we are somewhat dependent on someone else. And then we evolve into a state of independence. We realize that we're these sovereign beings and, you know, independent of someone else. And then if we continue to awaken and continue to evolve, we come into a state of interdependence and then eventually into a state of union. And I'm describing the same thing, but describing it through human relationship. And at each stage, going from independence to interdependence, really, it's like we're coming into greater union with our all the, the whole of us, essentially. Who do you speak before these days? Do companies call you and say, my sales department is not manifesting sales, help? More and more that's happening, but I'm usually speaking with the CEO or the owner or the person, you know, that's high up in the company. One on one. Yeah. One on one or in small groups. I'm kind of like behind the scenes, like a Yoda, you know, help helping them. But more in the last two or three years, I've been bought in to help teams, to develop leadership, to help companies come into flow states, to train leaders. What, what has surprised you about? this ability ah just that anything truly is possible and that our my mind our human minds cannot even conceive of being limitless did you ever think of running for politics no no but i think there's a politician named orin or a senator named orin hatch hatcher yeah hatcher Hatcher. yeah there you go hatcher i think uh no i i I mean, maybe just playfully, you know, like what what would it be like to be president? You know, Um, you you have your finger on the pulse. I I do. I I do feel feel that from you. Yeah, I feel very tapped into human consciousness and human evolution and what's emerging. And so I I could be a good politician. And, And who knows? I'm not I'm not saying no to that. But like in this moment. What would you say to a couple, oh, in a relationship where they butt heads all the time? How could you get them to come into meet on solid ground? Well, I mean, if they're butting heads, I would help them to butt hearts instead of butting heads, right? Heart. Usually when, when couples are butting heads, one or both people are feeling um, unsafe and feeling disempowered, and they're trying to come back into a sense of safety in their own hearts and come back into a sense of power and the process of butting heads or arguing is like, spiritually speaking, it's an invitation back into love, 
back into truth, back into a sense of empowerment. And so I've worked with many couples and in many different ways, but usually it involves somehow or in some way going from, you know, the head, which is where the fear is happening back into the heart. And, you know, as we take this journey from the head to the heart and we kind of let down our defenses, get back in our heart, move through a space of vulnerability, then it goes from like battling and something that's complex back to simple things like I care about you. When you coached sports, what was the uh, kind of sports you coached? Uh, I coached football, basketball, and track, and then got out of coaching sports, and now I coach leaders and high performers. I'm going to guess you had a successful record as a sports coach. I, I did, yes. How did Great. I know that? How did how did you how did you know that? How I could, could tell. you know that? I could tell. I think you have an ability to motivate players. Or to take an average player and make them a little above average. Yeah, I'm remembering one of the first sports teams that I coached, the basketball team, that people didn't think we're going to win many games. And we started out the season, you know, doing doing pretty good, getting better and better. And we had this one game in particular where at halftime we were – this was a basketball game. We were down by 40 points, which Whoa, is a lot. Whoa, at halftime? At halftime, we were down. That's huge. Yeah, we were down by. Game over. Yeah, ex- exactly. It was like, okay, the game's over. Actually, no, I take that back. We were down by like 20 points at halftime. And I did one of those halftime speeches from my soul. Newt Rockney. You know, like you see in the movies. And we went back out in the second half. We wound up losing the game by two points. But it was such a big win because my team unified they and they gave everything that they had. And so we celebrated that as a win. Anyway, a few weeks later, we wound up playing the same team again that beat us by two points that had us down by 20 at halftime. Yeah. And we beat them by 40 points. Wow. Yeah. And so I took an quote unquote average group of guys and I didn't have the, the languaging that I do now about consciousness and spirit and whatnot but essentially inspired, awakened something inside of them, um, a power, you know, beyond themselves and That's inside fantastic. of them and the power of togetherness. Have people gotten emotional in front of you where they just broke down and cried? Yeah, quite. Yes, quite a few times, sometimes without me even saying anything. You could, you know, how do people get a hold of you? Oh. Uh, I am all over the social medias on Instagram. Is that what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Oren Harris, O-R-E-N-H-A-R-R-I-S. My website is OrenHarris.com. I'm on Facebook at Oren Harris. You're everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. Will you do private sessions with people? Uh, I do when I have time. Yes, I have a certain amount of one-on-one clients that I can work with at a time. I also host group programs and masterminds and I'm available for speaking as well. Are we born with this ability or yes. is it developed? It, both. We're born with it. It's innate. It's natural. That's why like children, if you, even if you look at a baby learning to walk, right, there is an intelligence present there Absolutely. before they have uh, accumulated a, a certain amount of judgment, you know, they or just fear. They just, yeah, they it's they like, it. it's like a baby learning to walk. It's like in the experiment, trial and error, learning like at a quantum rate, we have the genius capacity to learn. It just usually gets trained out of us. So I believe that we're all born genius. And to use the example of a baby learning to walk, 
what I mean by like pure geniuses, they, they're not judging themselves for succeeding or failing. So they're just purely in the act of creation and experimentation. And we all have that capacity um, because we came in with it. So I believe, I don't remember what the quote is, but that we're all, everyone's born a genius until life de-geniuses <laughs> them. I'm not sure who said that, but. The power of consciousness. Yes, sir. So how'd you like to do a little experiment in consciousness? I'd love to try it. Give me a shot. All right. So I'm going to pick a number. This is good. This is a good challenge because there's so many things happening in in this space. Reminds me of Uri Geller on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. All right. So let's go with with the the nine because that's what the number I chose in my experiment. Your favorite number. All right. Boom. You did it. Hearts experiment. I don't know if you can see it on the camera, but I wasn't thinking. But right when the nine of hearts came, your leg went like that. And that's what my eye caught. Really? Yeah. Who did it? You or me? Both of us. Teamwork. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? It's not it's not like I'm thinking, oh, that means the car is there. But when I'm sensing like it stood out to me, your 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 foot went like that, and I turned the card over, and it's the nine of hearts. The power of mass consciousness. Oh, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for having me. You I've truly are it. an inspirational person. I appreciate that. Thank you. Can you feel how inspirational this guy is? Yes. I can. It just glows. But I bet you can, too. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. <laughs> said at the very end the power of the whole world manifesting together that was the key I think to the whole talk Mm -hmm. that we can declare peace together right now okay this is good this is the next one Um, it's called sacred planet this is by Jocelyn Star Feather. The Lion's Gate in ancient Egypt, a portal to awakening our infinite potentials. And she's also got a friend with her name, Patricia Iwan. Iwian. 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 Layman. Patricia Iwian Layman. And Jocelyn Starfeather. And say it here the true meaning of the lion's gate from the source where there where this celebration originated ancient egypt how did ancient egyptians explain the concept of consciousness in their texts and on their temple walls what is it like to experience a sound healing hospital at saqqara what are some of the profound messages written on the walls and ceilings of Dendera Temple. What happens when you walk through the temples and receive the energetics where heaven and earth meet? And so much more. During this call, Patricia and I announced that we have a few spaces left. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will visit the most incredible temples and sacred sites, including 
a private visit between the paws of the Sphinx with a guided shamanic journey from Jocelyn. Unas Pyramid, where the pyramid texts are written, and the sound healing hospital of Saqqara. Dendera, the temple of Hathor, as Patricia reveals what is written on the ceilings of Dendera, prepare for your entire perspective on reality to be shifted into a higher realm. Abydos Temple and the Osiris Chapel, where we remember that we are infinite and eternal, including a private visit to the extremely ancient Osirian. Asna Temple on the Nile River, with its incredible astrological ceilings. Edfu Temple, where we can see the Edfu building texts, which tell of the survivors of Atlantis and the Great Flood, who brought their wisdom to begin a new civilization in Egypt. A private visit inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, including all three chambers, the King's Chamber, Queen's Chamber, and Subterranean Chamber, and so much more. It's beyond what words can express, truly. All right, so let's get on with the story here. This is one hour and 40 minutes. All right, let's get settled. Here we go. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Okay, there we go. We're live on YouTube as well. Well, I'm just going to make sure my audio turns out right here. Okay, good. All right. Live on YouTube as well. Awesome. So let me start. (laughs) Let me start back at the beginning. So we are here. Patricia and I are here to present to you today the Lion's Gate and Ancient Egypt, a portal to awakening our infinite potentials. And hi, Patricia. Welcome. Hi, Jocelyn. Good to see you again. Yeah, I'm always so, so excited to speak with you and, and receive your wisdom. So yeah, it's wonderful to be here with you. And let me just say hi to everybody who's putting their names in the chat. Hi, Janine in the UK. Hi, Stephen in Vermont. Rita in Florida. Janet in Puerto Rico. Barb in Canada. Stephen in Los Angeles. Elena in Virginia, Benaz in California. Welcome everybody. Vicky in Belgium, Amy in Asheville. Yay. <laughs> Susie in London. <laughs> Monique in London. Hi, Monique. Yay. So glad to be here with all of you. And Slim in Mexico. All right. Wonderful. And I know we have people joining live over on YouTube as well. So welcome everybody on YouTube. If you would like to put your Name and location in the YouTube chat. That would be wonderful as well. So we can, we can say hi to you too. So I think with that, we can, we can begin. Um, so yeah, if you, I know Patricia has some amazing slides for us today. Yeah. <laughs> we're not doing, I guess we're not doing big introductions today. We're assuming you guys know us. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm Jocelyn Starfeather. I'm the founder of Sacred Planet. And, um, Patricia, would you like to say a few words about your, your work at the beginning here? Um, of course. I am Patricia Alian Lehman and I've been living in Egypt for, uh, almost 15 years now, which is just incredible. And, 
yeah, my whole focus here is the research of the mythology and symbolism, the esoteric and metaphysical understanding of um, what ancient Egypt and the ancient Phoenicians had to offer um, and and leave for us. So, yeah, um, we'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's perfect. Um, yes. And so we will mention here at the beginning that Patricia and I are leading, we are co-leading a tour in Egypt in early 2024. It will be from January 23rd to February 5th, 2024. And it is called Egypt Awakening Our Infinite Potentials. So I'll put a link to the tour in the chat here on Zoom. And once the uh, YouTube is posted and recorded, it will be in the description field there. And of course, We'll tell you a lot more about that later in the presentation, but just wanted you all to know that from the beginning because um, we are so excited to offer that. And the spaces are filling up quickly there. So, yeah. Well, you know, we did it this last March together, and it was such a phenomenal group that was with us and a phenomenal experience um, combining, you know, what we both bring to the table and, um, you know, the, the sharings with the group. So, yeah. It really can be a life-changing, um, and almost always is, Egypt, <laughs> the, 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 the land itself is absolutely incredible. Um, and that what you experience here is, is it's, it, it changes your life forever. And it offers you exactly what our title says, opportunities to gain um, incredible um Incredible openings for knowledge, wisdom, healing, body, mind, and spirit. There are so many, you know, potentials, infinite potentials, if you will, um, of having an experience at sacred sites all over the world um, and just becoming, growing your own knowledge and wisdom of some of the things that the ancients left for us. It's just such an incredible body and heritage of knowledge. Um, in Egypt and in many places all over the world. And with all the traveling, I know that we've both done, we see the same knowing and knowledge, wisdom um, being offered to all of us from indigenous communities and sacred areas and mythologies and symbolism worldwide. It's a cross-cultural knowing that has somehow been forgotten and um I guess, it, you know, some of us make it our life mission to bring this information forward. So that's what we hope to share with you today. Yes. Yes, truly, truly. And it's just such a powerful experience to be there, to have your feet on the ground in Egypt, be receiving the energy of the land there, receive the energy of these incredible temples, you know, which are just just very, very precisely aligned with the stars and with the ley lines and the underwater currents below the earth and then pulling all of that energy into the center place in the temple. And we get to walk through those temples and experience that and receive that, those codes and that healing that happens there. So it is, it is truly life changing on so many levels. So let's get started. <laughs> yes, let's be. <laughs> okay, share screen. There we go. Can you see? (laughs) Yes, it looks great. Beautiful. Okay. So we're going to talk about the Lion's Gate um, from an Egyptian understanding, because this is where it all literally comes from, this understanding of the Lion's Gate. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just telling Jocelyn that, uh, I, I had read an article, uh, posted on social media by someone who's fairly well known saying that, you know, the lion's gate was just, uh, you know, spiritual new age, you know, mumbo jumbo that, you know, had no meaning. And, you know, and, and I thought, well, gee, I guess if you don't understand its origins or the concept or what it really means, then it, it would be easy to think or say that. But it really does have a, a firm foundation um, in, in, in almost in basically in pre-dynastic times in ancient Egypt. Uh, so we wanted to share a little bit about that because this is such a powerful time that's um, celebrated each year annually. We celebrate it on um, August 8th, but it's really denoting a time in ancient Egypt when the sun rose, uh, had a heliacal rising with Sirius. And that heliacal rising was sort of like an alchemical marriage. It was a coming together that initiated a new year. But it, it has a depth of meaning that is it, it's much more ancient and offers a much more powerful um, uh, depth of knowing. And it's it's talking about a moment, it, and it happens annually. Um, it happens daily. Uh, what we're looking here is the ochre. You're seeing these two beautiful lions, one female, one male. One, if you look at the female on the left, she has almost like a star on her shoulder. And I believe, and, and you know, I, I honestly believe that this is representing um, the son's relationship with Sirius. Uh, and this heliacal rising. So as the feminine lion, I believe the Sphinx is, is representing Sirius, and she's waiting for Leo to rise on the horizon. If you're familiar with um, Robert Paval's work and so many others, Graham Hancock, where they speak about this ancient time about uh, 12,000 years ago when, you know, the sun rose um, in the east, in the age of Leo, and this is the moment that they they want to date the uh, Giza Plateau to. You know, it wouldn't be Leo looking for Leo to rise on the horizon. It would be serious. It would be, you know, a feminine. I believe the Sphinx is feminine. Um, and there are studies out by Robert Schock and um, another uh, researcher whose name is Manu. Can't pronounce his last name. I apologize. But they speak about a very ancient pre-dynastic lioness that they believe is is uh the Sphinx and that name was Manette. Manette relates to Tefnut. Um and if you're aware of some of the uh things that Jocelyn and I have talked about over the years in the presentations, I you know, I've always said that Hakim, who uh was my father in law, uh Abdel Hakim Aryan, he was known as a great knowledge holder and wisdom keeper here, he had always said the Sphinx was Tefnut. And Tefnut is the story of this ancient life force, the water. She is the spit of Nut, the water of the earth. Um, and she represents that life force that leaves Egypt on an annual basis. But also, you know, it, it, it's speaking to this ebb and flow of water, life force that occurs um, basically throughout all of our cycles yearly cycles, um, and I believe the great year cycle, if you're familiar with the procession of equinoxes. So this, this is these are huge patterns and cycles. And what we're looking at with the ochre is, is, you know, you're looking at the sun basically rising on the horizon. What's 
sitting on the backs of the two lions is called the Acre. It's the horizon. Um, the Aket, rather, it's the horizon and the sun, the, 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 the bird, the hawk inside that sun disc is right. It has the sun disc on its head and it's rising and underneath, which is just fascinating. I, I love this illustration. If you look underneath it, you're seeing an image. Um, and I have it on the right. I don't know if you can see it because uh, our faces appear for the symbol of Nehe, which is time. It's a symbol for the passing of time. But we have here in the center is the is the Aten. And the Aten, you might be familiar with it, uh, represents basically it it represents a moment of no time and no space, our highest moment of knowing, our gnosis, when we have a pause. You know, and there is a pause in every cycle. We we have one in our day cycle at noon and at midnight. We have the um, we have the perception that the sun stops moving for a few moments, or the moon stops moving for a few moments at midnight and begins again. Our solstices in the southern and the northern hemisphere both represents these moments, these three days when the sun. You know, solstice means the still sun. When the days don't get longer or shorter for three days each, you know, twice a year. And it's also reflected again in that great year, a 24 to 26,000 year pattern, um, our, our program when we precess through the ages. When we've talked, you know, we've talked about before, Jasmine and I, about now we're moving into this age of Aquarius. And Aquarius is one of these, as we precess Precess process into Aquarius. This is another one of those still moments, um, but we're not going to talk about that today. The most important thing is that this is this is actually denoting that still moment, and just as the sun rises, it's that moment at dawn when the sun just rises, um, and that's that portal between the two worlds. It's the portal into the higher. Um, uh, higher realms, this, this space where of no time and no space. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really a spectacular knowing. Um, and the two lions here, the ancient names for them are Dwaj and Sefer. Um, and the colloquial understanding is Dwaj means yesterday and Sefer means tomorrow. Um, and I always think it's that moment between yesterday and tomorrow, right? But those lions, if they were to, to go forward and start moving, and this is the concept, and, and I do have imagery that they come back together. What happens when yesterday meets tomorrow? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an end and a new beginning. Every end is a new beginning. Um, and again, what denotes that moment of silence, if you see the bird Ra in the sun disk, he's actually um, riding a cobra, a serpent. And that cobra has the double crown of Upper and Lower Egypt. And that means he's been able to harmonize the two, um, transmute his polarity within the two sides of self um, to have this moment of complete harmonic resonance. And this is what we call the lion's gate. It is that moment of harmonic resonance that we're all seeking. It's, it's, it's basically the holy grail. It's that moment of Wow, you know, a zero point moment. And, you know, Jocelyn and I can talk about this at some of the places in Egypt, like in the Great Pyramid, um, and, and many other places. 
you have an opportunity to get to have and experience that moment, you know, of, of complete resonance. And, you know, I've been with so many people over the years, you know, 15 plus years or almost 15 years. Actually, I came many times before I came to live here. Um, and I've been in the Great Pyramid, I don't even know how many times, but I've been with people that, you know, they have that moment where they literally feel like they've left their bodies, you know, and not just in the Great Pyramid, in certain places in the temples um, and certain areas, certain portals within the temples where you have an underground passing of two channels of water. It creates a vortex um, um, energy, and it's that energy that can take you to these levels where you have these infinite potentials for great awakenings. Um, and I guess this is what we're talking about. Um, and I, I've seen people come out of these experiences and, and go home and write, write the book they wanted to write all their lives or, you know, make changes in their lives that, that really enable them to follow their bliss. And I think this is what, when we talk about the Lionsgate, this is what we're talking about. It's that opportunity to, you know, to actually experience something that is beyond anything we can imagine. So I open. I totally agree, Patricia. So <laughs> about what can happen in the, as you, as you walk through the temples and the pyramids and, you know, and that, the experience we had in March 2023 in the Great Pyramid, for example, it was just beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And I know we were all changed from that. You know, I know we were all open to this higher frequency energy and then able to bring that into our lives in a new way um, going forward from that moment. It was this incredible alignment, you know, so yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. I, I cannot, you know, we don't even have enough time for all the stories I would love to share and tell. Um, but I love to bring this image into my lectures and podcasts and discussions because it's, it's beautiful imagery that some, it somehow gets lost and, and people don't know, recognize or see it. But you'll see this image of the serpent. We're looking at the top of a head of, of, <laughs> You know, an ancient statue, probably of a king or a pharaoh or, um, a, you know, a, a priest. But you're looking at this wonderful image. This is the body of the cobra. And it runs across the top of the skull in a sine wave pattern. And it's basically connecting the two hemispheres of the brain. And when I talk about, you know, and when we talk about that moment, you know, of gnosis, that moment of harmonic resonance, that happens when we're able to transmute our polarity and, and bring our two hemispheres of the brain together. And, and that creates that, you know, it, it creates a moment for healing, body, mind, and spirit. Um, <laughs> and it's such a powerful thing. And why this is so important is because, you know, at this moment, you know, we're, we're on a journey of, of perception, basically, of rising and falling consciousness. And this all has to do with how we perceive the world, reality. And right now, we are more focused on a left brain, you know, connection to everything that we're experiencing. And the left brain is very analytical. It's mind-based. Um, and the right brain is, you know, there was a time we actually uh, – 
basically experience the world from a right brain understanding, which is the creative force of nature. It's intuitive. It's creative. It, you know, they call it the, the feminine and the masculine. I'm not talking about men and women. I'm talking about two different expressions from the heart and from the mind. And, and you know, both are valid and wonderful and necessary. And this is why you want to connect the two. You know, you harness both. You bring the two together. And that is that moment. That's that portal. This is this is the lion's gate coming to this center where we can experience the world with a much greater sensitivity to what we're, you know, so many more senses. You know, today we experience the world with such limited senses. This is what we are all looking for. And this is what the ancient Egyptians were focused on. Um, so back to our lion's gate and our portal. I love this illustration on the left-hand side. And you can see the zodiac signs um, in the heavens, basically. And you see Leo facing the sun. And behind this, you're seeing the shadow of the night. So it, it's an interplay of shadow and light, day and night. And it's all about day and night cycles. Um, and so at the bottom, you see this dog. And the dog is serious. You know, it's speaking to the salaical rising. It's that, you know, the dog days of summer. This is why it happens. In, and this is where we get the, the, the phrase dog days. Um, it's, it happens in the heat of the summer. And as I said, it has to do with latitude. You know, depending on where you are in the world, it happens at a different time within this certain time period. August 8th falls between all of those dates. But in ancient Egypt, in, in 5,000 years ago in Memphis, which is very near to where I am right now in Giza, uh, it occurred on July 15th. But because we precess, um, uh, it, all the stars in the heavens seem to change a little bit. Um, and the sun rises on the horizon. It changes about one degree around the world, around the globe every 72 years. And age is 2,160 years. So today, what we, when we experience it, we had our lion's gate in Cairo in, on August 6th, August 2nd, I'm sorry. Um, and this was, this is the New Year's Day. This is when they celebrated it in ancient Egypt. Uh, now we celebrate it in January and that's the moment that Sirius is furthest away. It's the highest in the sky, which is interesting that we make that flip from what they did in ancient times. Um, but it is this as I said, beautiful portal between darkness and light. Um, and the image you see um, of the pyramids on the uh, right-hand side it is an actual helical rising of uh, the sun and, uh, and uh, Sirius. And as I said, it's a journey of perception. Um, consciousness, do you think we always experience the world the way we do now? I think that's one of the mistakes we make when we look at symbolism and mythology um, that, you know, we think we, we want to interpret everything from our own current day understanding. But what if the ancients experienced everything very differently from we from how we do? And, and this is what I want to put forward. Um, and they explain this within their symbolism. Um, and this is a temple both Jocelyn and I absolutely adore. Um, it's the Temple of Esna, and we're actually going to go there for the first time together in um, January. And uh, this is 
What's really spectacular about this temple is they they have just cleaned the ceiling. Um, and I I used to go in there, and it was all sooty and dark, like Dendera used to be. And I would go in, and I would just take pictures and try and see what was what was you know what was up on the ceiling because there were so many incredible images. And now we can go in and we see them. They're so beautiful. We can see them in their entirety. And this is one of the the, the scenes I was waiting for because what we're looking at is actually this journey of consciousness. It's it's basically you're seeing consciousness expressed within the stages of the full moon, waxing and waning, well, actually waning on the top and waxing on the bottom. So you see on the top, on the full eye is right near the, the head of the sphinx, the standing sphinx, and you see the full eye, and the full eye is the full moon, and it goes through 14 stages where the eye becomes functions. It's separating into that nothingness of a new moon. And that's the, it's actually indicating this set, we're falling into separation consciousness, which is sort of where we're at. This is the patriarchal, mind-based, left-brain understanding of our reality. And this is where we move into this warrior archetype and we can be controlled by agendas of, that instill fear. And that fear causes us to raise arms, right, for protection. Um, all of these things, it's all based on an illusion. Um, and when we move back on the bottom level, you're looking at the, the 14 stages of the moon waxing back into fullness, into that full eye expression. And where that full eye is, I have the red circle oval. You can see there's an image of Toth sitting on the throne, sitting in his power. Toth represents consciousness, and he's holding the eye of full consciousness. We call him Jehuti, his ancient name. But that full eye, he he is the master of consciousness. Um, and uh, it's just a beautiful expression. When we rise back into fullness, it's going, moving towards unity consciousness again. And these are the cycles of the uh, procession of the equinoxes for the great year. Um, and we move through these cycles, you know, as they express, these are cycles that they give to us moving through time and space. But in reality, it's something we can do. They have an ancient symbol that speaks to making these, you know, creating these changes in moments within any breath. Because we breathe out into separation okay. and we breathe back in, back to the heart, right? We breathe in to the heart, which is back to unity consciousness. And so it's often said that in those that moment of silence when the breath comes back to center is our moment to, you know, moment of infinite potentials to make any of these changes. And this is, again, a discipline, um, a learning experience. And so <laughs> when we actually do make that step into that, through that portal, um, you can see on the right of the um, Acker, we have, or the Lion's Gate, we have, what's called the Bennu bird. And of course, this is our Phoenix expression, the bird rising from the ashes. Um, and from Wallace Budge, it's just a beautiful thing I would like to share that he says, 
This bird is said to have created itself and to have come into being from out of the fire which burned on top of the sacred fursuit tree of Hierapolis. It is essentially a sunbird and was a symbol of both the rising sun and of the dead sun god Osiris, from whom it sprang and to whom it was sacred. The Bennu not only typified the new birth of the sun each morning, but in the earliest period of dynastic history, it became the symbol of the resurrection of mankind. For a man's spiritual body was believed to spring from the dead physical body, just as the living sun of today. It had its origin in the dead sun of yesterday. Um, and it's speaking to that same, you know, that same cycle that, you know, at, at, at this moment when we come into unity consciousness, this is the moment we move into higher, higher levels of our higher dimensions of knowingness um, and have the ability to, you know, almost traverse the dimensions, but also feel the energies that emanate from everything in our environment, you know, from, from every, from every shape, from every color, it, it expresses a subtle energy. And I believe the ancients had this ability and this is something we've lost as we have devolved um, into our present state of separation and isolation. Check this out. Isn't this gorgeous? Um, it's the two sphinxes coming together. Um, and I, I just think it's such a beautiful image. Um, it was uh, drawn by um, Etcher Poller um, and in 1652, and it's called the Sphinx with Two Bodies. But what you're seeing is when yesterday meets tomorrow, it's the moment of harvest. And, and it's expressing something even more divine because it's that, that this is happening within us. You know, it's an outer expression that's actually speaking to a journey that we can take, you know, with our own, you know, our, our own discipline. When we're able to master our polarity, we have that, that kundalini moment as they speak about. Um, and, uh, that's that moment when we have this energy rising within ourselves and, uh, really transforming how we experience reality itself. And this is also expressed in, in ancient Egypt. And I have, you know, it's, it's, these are the two figures both related. We see Horus on the left and we see Nehi on the right. Nehi is a fucus. He's a constellation and we see him all over the world. He's the serpent bearer. Um, and what he's doing is they, they, what they're both doing is mastering their polarity, transmuting their polarity, coming back into harmonic resonance for a moment of, of, of silence, that portal, that, that, uh, moment where we, you know, awaken our infinite potentials, if you will. Um, and you know, this is expressed in so many places. You see Horus here, the innocence of youth. You know, it's literally giving up our core beliefs, you know, letting go of all the baggage that we carry and, you know, enabling ourselves to see things how they really are, um, you know, and that, that the light and dark within us are both two sides of the same coin. You know, there, there is no, you know, we, we, we are the ones that put the labels good and evil. Um, and I honestly believe that, you know, someone asked me, you know, in front of me, asked Hakeem once um, if Seth was evil. 
And he, his eyes twinkled and he smiled and he said, well, it all depends on which way you're looking. And, uh, it always reminds me, you know, when we, you know, when we, the word devil, which said is the devil, right? Not, not. Uh, <laughs> if you spell devil backwards, it means lived, right? Evil backwards is lived. You know, it depends on, you know, on which side you're coming from. And so set in ancient, very ancient times was never considered evil. It's something that is, again, we move into separation consciousness. We begin to see and experience, you know, these labels of good and evil. But labels are containers and we limit ourselves with our labels. Hakeem would say that all the time. You know, that, you know, that's, that's what we need to free ourselves from. Open our minds, open our hearts to experiencing the world in an entirely different way. Um, and this is, this is an amazing image. Um, can everybody see the whole, the whole image or are they looking at what I'm looking at, Jasmine? No, they, we can see the full screen and also it puts our, your and my images off to the side so it's not covering. Okay, great. Cause I, I have us actually blocking some of the imagery. So I'm so glad you get to yeah, see it. Yeah, it doesn't show up that way for everybody else, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. I can, I've seen these images before. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a beautiful image of the netter and, and remember, Netters, uh, the netteru, netter, the, the word netter itself comes from the consonants N-T-R, which is where we get our word. It actually, you know, it's where we get our word nature. It uh, was it was pronounced by the Romans as nature, and that's where we get our word nature and our word eternal um, and eternity. All of these words come from this word of netter. And the netter is, you know, they were not, the netteru, the plural, were not gods and goddesses as we perceive them today. But the, the ancients considered the netteru um, forces of nature. They were describing what they could feel, you know, in, in, their, in their environment, in their reality. These are the subtle energies that create our perception of reality. And so Hekka was this netter that represent this ability to do just that. So you can see that he's able to harness all these serpents, these energies in motion, and he's harnessing too. And when you cross any two, two lines, lines of energy or lines, you're creating a portal. That, that place in the center is the portal that we're, we're talking about. Um, and Hecate itself meant to employ the Ka, and the Ka is the life force. It's, it's, it's basically the ability to feel, navigate, and harness these forces of nature, um, to create, you know, wonderful, wonderful, um, temples and pyramids and, and so many things that you experience, the, the, the statuary that seems so alive and seems so impossible for us to actually create today in three dimensions. Um, so Hecabe was in ancient times this ability to master um, and, and perceive and navigate the currents was Hecca. It's it's the underlying force um, between uh, uh, with the spirituality. So here we're looking at, this is one of my favorite images in Dendera Temple, the Temple of Hathor. 
Um, and again, I, we've talked about this so many times, Jocelyn, uh, Dendera being such a spectacular temple um, that reveals so many mysteries. And uh, I, I'm using a black and white draw, drawing of it here because it's so hard to get a, a, a good picture of it because it's on a panel that's a little high in a very small chamber. Um, but what you're looking at is uh, an interesting expression of um, how we perceive the world in 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 a, when we're alive in a 3D reality. Um, and what you see is is basically there's Toth, he's the ibis bird with the human form, and Shu, who is Tefnut's brother, if you will, and together they're holding what they call the net. And you're going to love what the net is. And the net is the container of our consciousness in a three-dimensional reality. And so on the far left, what you see, you're actually seeing the journey of of consciousness again in a different uh, way of presenting it. Because uh, right above them, you're looking at an image. It's called, what I, where I have pointed sky, it's actually called Pet, and it is the sky. With the little scarab beetle, he has the solar disk, and he's about to push it across the sky, across the Milky Way. And when he gets to the other side, you see another image of Toth, as the baboon, he expresses in two different forms. The baboon is wisdom from within, heart-centered consciousness. The ibis bird is wisdom from above. So it's that external, you know, consciousness. It's mind-based consciousness. So where the kepper beetle starts to push, if you notice, there is a papyrus pillar, but it's at an angle. And if you look at the angle, it's 23.5 degrees which is the tilt of the earth. So when we fall, when the earth falls off its axis, it tilts around 23.5 degrees. And so this pillar that should be straight up and down has tilted, and this is where we start the journey. It's the hero's journey. It's the journey of Osiris. So as he pushes that, you know, the, the sun disk across the Milky Way, across the heavens, and you get to the other side, you see the erect papyrus pillar. And the erect papyrus pillar holds the consciousness with, within. So it's telling us we move from mind-based, out of balance, into heart-based consciousness. And then at the bottom, you see the ibis birds walking back across the earth to <laughs> where the axis falls again. And it's funny that that axis, the axis Monday, is also the jet pillar. And we see images of the raising of the jet pillar, um, which is identified with Osiris in, in other, especially at Abydos. It was a ceremony that the priests celebrated every year. And it's telling us this is a cyclical event. So, you know, it's, it's not that we're always stuck in one way of, of viewing the world. We are always migrating and changing and transforming. The Kepper beetle symbolizes transformation. And look at how, how, how that offers us so many potentials for growth. You know, and I'm never saying that, you know, that they're only telling us this happens through a journey of time and space, but it, it can happen in any moment with any breath. Um, and this is also expressed within their symbolism. So, you know, it, it, it's just an amazing um, expression.
And here we're looking at the actual net itself. And it's funny, you know, as long as I've been in Egypt, I, I've seen these nets everywhere on ceilings and in tombs. And this is a beautiful depiction of it in Edfu. And um, I, I, I figured it out. I was like, oh, my gosh, you see, you see all the animals and the birds, but you also see human figures with their hands tied behind their backs. They're held, they're, they're called the hostages but they're held hostage in a belief that they are their bodies. And the net is our magnetic field. And it's the container that we are basically born into. So that magnetic field is that which it, it, it basically contains us, protects us, but it also prevents us from experiencing the radiation from the cosmic, you know, the, 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 the sun and the stars which may be what enlightens us. So a whole different dynamic. But within this expression, there is always hope. And the figure all the way to the far right that you kind of can't see because it's so, so bright is Tolth again. And Tolth was known to be the master of the net, which, you know, he's the one that is able to, again, surpass those confinements you know, rise above the confinements and experience the world through um, a higher sensibility, higher conscious awareness. Um, and so, you know, you, you know, the net is really the flexible matrix of creation. They call it the breath of God. Um, and it's what we would describe today as the matrix of space-time. Um, yeah, really fascinating, you know, that you know, they like to say that we, you know, we like to say we're, we're far more intelligent and aware than the ancients were. But when you look at the things that we see and experience at some of these ancient sites, and this again is worldwide, it, it's, some of it is so mind boggling. It's, it's incredible what they were able to perceive, um, and express and leave in messages and symbolism for us to unravel. And it's revealing basically who we, you know, the question I asked, you know, almost when I was born is who am I? Where am I from? What is this all about? Um, and, and they have those answers and they tell us that we too can become masters of the net. Um, and, uh, I, I actually watched, um, a podcast by a wonderful man, Dr. Robert Gilbert, who has studied many different things, radiosthesia and, uh, uh, with, Dr. Ibrahim Karim, he studied biogeometry, which I can't speak highly enough of. Um, this is one of his books, Back to a Future for Mankind. He has written several. He just wrote one that I'm, I'm working my way through. The information, again, is just, I call him the infotep of our time. Um, and that's, I'm not saying that lightly. Um, if you can get your hands on some of his books or take some of his courses, I highly recommend it. I was only, I wasn't able to, they had moved to Canada and came back in, in January of 2020 and I took their course and, you know, it was like coming home because this is everything that I discovered and found to be true in Egypt. And he says it so eloquently and has, he has modalities for how we can navigate, navigate all the negative currency, the radiation that's in our environment today um, and so many other things. So, Anyway, um, 
he's, you know, Robert Gilbert says the initiates into the spiritual and vibrational sciences were known as the masters of the net. The net is the flexible matrix of creation. This was often shown in symbolic form as a physical net, as shown here in the hands of the initiates. The masters of the net knew how to work with the invisible vibrational world, which forms a net, a matrix which determines the appearance and functions of everything in the manifest world. Um, and so this is what Jaslyn and I were talking about when, you know, we come to awaken our infinite potentials. It's, it's learning, you know, they're telling us here as we move through the structures, the temples, um, and again, you don't have to come to Egypt. We'd love it if you did and you came with us. Um, but you, you can do it through just growing your own wisdom and reading and, and, and meditating. And, you know, they tell us to meditate. Well, meditating is finding that moment of silence, that space of no time, you know, no space, that moment when we connect to the, the, the divine potentials. Um, and, and I love this too because this actually expresses, um, and Jocelyn, could you read it for me? Because it, it, our images are covering the text. Yes, the left or the right? The uh, right. Uh, it's from Joe Dispenza, um, who has written the book, and the image is from that book. But I love the expression and what it says. Yes, it says, what would it mean to become supernatural? What if you could tune into the frequencies beyond your material world, Change your brain chemistry to access transcendent levels of awareness, create a new future, and transform your very biology to enable profound healings. And it, the title is Reconditioning the Body to a New Mind. And isn't that what we're talking about? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. And the funny thing is even our word supernatural, that, that we call it supernatural. <laughs> the ancients called it natural. It was nature. It was what we all, what they all could do. And Hakim would say, it's what you all have. You have it. You got it. <laughs> he would just, he had, we have one um, taping and recording of him and he says that you have it. You got it. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's the key, you know, is to awaken to, we say it all the time. Um, we don't have to wait for an event. Let you know. Let's do it now. Um, you know. And another thing, Hakeem said is they got the. Uh, I don't know if everybody's heard of the Shemsu Hor, the followers of Horus. Um, and uh, Hakeem always said that they were pronouncing it wrong. It wasn't Shemsu Hor. It was Seshu Hor. And Seshu comes from the word. Well, it, it's the base or foundation of the word Seshet. And she was the netter. She's depicted on the far right. She was the netter that represents um, liquid light becoming form in sacred geometric patterns, you know, cycles and patterns and all forming these sacred geometric images. And so she was the great architect, basically, of our expression of, who, of, of everything that exists. She doesn't get the credit she deserves. She's famous for her seven-petaled flower that <laughs> uh, many people like to say is uh, the marijuana leaf. Um, and I would say, no, they're, they're off on the wrong path there, other than just the expression of every plant and, you know, all the shells and everything that exists. 
does express itself in these patterns, and that would include the marijuana plant. So don't give up hope, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, you know, what's on her head, uh, people think would say it's a bow or like a bow and arrow, and arrows in ancient symbolism represent rays of light right? Like arrows shooting from the sun or from the stars can be like a beam of light from the sun or the star. Um, but it also, I've seen it depicted as two serpents with their heads together at the top. And you can almost see that here in that image. Um, but again, she is here in that image. You only see half of it, but she's doing a stretching of the cord ceremony, which was very important in ancient times. Or how, you know, Jocelyn said at the beginning that, you know, they aligned all their structures to stellar solar and lunar events. And that's part of what Seshet did. Um, and she aligned them, interesting, with the use of the Big Dipper. Um, the Big Dipper is something very associated with the circumpolar spin, um, which also spins out the um, the uh, journey that we're on as we move through the ages and stages of consciousness. Um, and this image on the left is so beautiful. We often see the leopard skin on high priests. Um, but this is an image of an uh, old kingdom Egyptian princess. And she has the leopard skin on. And what it's denoting, and, and Sachet also has, always wears the leopard skin. And what's really interesting, the leopard skin is a feline skin. And only those could, who had achieved this knowing to feel the currents and harness the currents and navigate the currents um, in our uh, field of expression, they were able to wear this leopard skin. But we see high priests all over the world wearing lion lion pelts or jaguar skins or feline skins in every, you know, all over the world. This was something that had to do with the feline and um, I always say that, you know, Tefnut, the Sphinx, is a, it's, it's a reclining cat. Um, and, you know, I, I had seen a meme once that said, uh, never sleep where a cat sleep. And it's because they like to sleep where in G-pathic stress zones or where radiation is emanating from the earth. Um, there is a relationship with felines, cats, and radi, you know, earth, you know, earth energies, earth lines. So again, when she's aligning, Cheshet is the astrologer, but she's also placing these sacred sites metaphorically on places, power places, where there are powerful earth currents, which normally you will have underground running water, aquifers are running water. And as I said, oftentimes, almost always crossing, creating portals within the structures. The structures are alive. Um, you know, this knowing is just incredible. And, you you know, I wish we had more time to, to, to speak more about some of the, the, the things and the tools they use. Here again is another image of them having this stretching of the cord ceremony, which is laying the foundation, the blueprint for the, the structure that will be built on this, you know, specific place with these specific alignments um, to create living breathing structures that can interact with us, um, patterned after the universe and are reflected also within the human body. And so if you've heard of Swallowed Lubitz, 
the temple in man, you know, this all, you know, and in India, you see imagery all the time of man depicted, you know, as, as the uh, foundation of a temple. It's, uh, it's not by accident. So as I say, <laughs> I have a quick little a funny story about that, um, about, you know, what, what happens to us as we're standing in the temples and receiving those alignments last time in March when I was there, I had a, an acupuncture appointment the day after I flew back from Egypt and I have regular acupuncture. So, you know, she knows like my pulses and what they normally are. And she took my pulses that day, right after I returned from Egypt and she kind of like stepped back and she was like, Oh my gosh. What did you do? You are supercharged. <laughs> I was like, well, I've been in Egypt for four weeks, so <laughs> it was tough for me. I've heard experience similar to that so many times, and it's so true. And especially, you know, when you go into some of these sites where we're able to tone, you know, get that resonant toning, you know, creating that harmonic resonance in some of the small chambers, and we have those moments, and it almost, we come out feeling euphoric so blissful and and many times that you do you know it's almost like you leave the space that you're in um and go somewhere else um but uh yeah and this is again where we get the term x marks the spot um the symbol that we're looking at on the left is the symbol for the place you know it could be a town a city but it you know it's always a portal (laughs) um and uh it was called mute and uh, it meant the crossroads within the wall. Um, and, uh, you know, pernetter het was a phrase that referred to the place of the pernetter. And the pernetter, Hakim said, was the pyramid. It's the place or house of energy um, referring, referring to these forces of nature. So when they build these pyramids, they're basically harnessing these forces of nature and that's why we have so many, we have a wonderful books, many books by uh, Christopher Dunn that speaks about the pyramids as power plants um, and, you know, pulsing energy. And I believe, you know, in a way they built these structures in order to maintain, uh, um, uh, a, to create a field of energy that would help us maintain this higher consciousness for as long as possible with that knowing that we would devolve because it's part of the cycle, evolving consciousness. Um, and that's just a beautiful image of Hakeem on the right. It gives you a chance to, to see who he is if you're not familiar with him. Um, several books out there by um, Stephen Mailer and Carmen Bolter has the Pyramid Code series. If you want to know more about Hakeem, he really was, he was an incredible man and uh, really had, had keys to so much knowledge. Um, and again, he said that the pyramids, I mean, look at this, this to stand in front of it, you know, and, and I lived at the foot of these pyramids for eight years and I used to go up and spend hours, you know, it, I, I've just been so blessed um, in my life and in, in my experiencing here in Egypt. Um, but it's just an incredible, this is the Great Pyramid, incredible structure. Um, and so... Uh, they are built in sacred geometric patterns, utilizing specific combinations of rocks and minerals with subterranean flowing water to harness the natural flow of the energies of the earth, the heavens, solar, stellar, lunar currents at specific locations to create interactive energy fields. Um, and many of them are connected to other complexes. So 
You know, we know that there's tunnels that connect Saqqara. We've heard of tunnels all over Egypt, subterranean tunnels connecting these sites, um, some with running water. Um, uh, Hakim told a story where he went into a, a, a well or a, a <laughs> in, in, in Saqqara and he walked. He was about nine years old, I think. He walked, crawled, swam his way all the way. He came out in Giza, on the Giza Plateau, you know, so that there you have it. I know someone, and, and I know he was telling the truth. He showed us where he entered, which is now covered. They covered it up. but um, And there's so many, excuse me, so many stories that the locals tell of their time in these tunnels. So, um, you know, people are always coming and asking me, you know, or talking about the Hall of Records and where it is, and you know, whenever anybody asks Hakeem, he just point to your your forehead. You know that the Hall of Records is within, and 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 we hold the keys um, to to finding and opening and unlocking these doors. Um, and I would also say that all of these structures, the pyramids, the ancient temples, they're all halls of records. When we walk in them and we see what what is hidden within that symbolism, when it speaks to us, when the structures themselves are created in such a way that they interact with us, body, mind, and spirit, these are halls of records that have the ability to awaken us. Um, and, and some of the incredible precision with which they are built um, uh, it, it's just mind-boggling. The pyramid contains, you know, all of these formulas for, you know, the distance between the earth and the sun and the moon and the speed of light and, and just so many things. It was created, you know, with precise alignments to, you know, the nth of a degree. And you think, you know, how did they do that? You know, and um, I would say, you know, it wasn't a technology. It was an innate knowing. Um, and if you're an artist or you, you, you write books, well, an artist can be anything. We all have talents. Um, but sometimes we get in the groove and we feel like we're channeling. You know, I'm an artist and I've done paintings and I, afterwards I'll be like, wow, what was I thinking when I did that? But I wasn't thinking. I was allowing something to come through. Um, and I think that's having like a brief inkling or understanding of what I think the ancients were able to do all the time with their unity consciousness, their connectedness to everything um, and, and feeling those subtle energies. I think they created imperfection um, and it was just a knowing uh, that they were able to do because we do live in a fractal holographic world. So all of those those numbers are actually defining, you know, sacred geometrical shapes and forms that exist in everything we're experiencing. Um, so I would say they sensed and therefore they could master the netaru or forces of nature to create life-enhancing harmonic resonance. It's no accident that our current tools and definitions for measurement find so many incredible details about our universe within the structure of the Great Pyramid and its placement on the planet. When we are in tune with the universal flow, we innately create in harmony with its rhythms. That's my opinion. <laughs> and if you ever get a chance to stand in front of Sekhmet um, and you see the beauty of, of this statue, Akeem said she's probably the oldest statue still standing in its same place. And she's made of, of this beautiful 
granite, um, a, a rare quality of granite, and her eyes are, you know, look, you can almost see it. I've almost captured it in this image, but when you're in front of her, her eyes are human and they're, they're alive. She is alive, you know, and, and some would say, oh, oh Patricia, come on, you're, you're crazy. Um, but the truth is they, they were supreme. They had the artistry, the ability to literally create in perfection, to embody the archetypal, archetypal qualities of what these statues represented. And she, Sekhna, is the great healer. She is the one that, you know, encourages us, us to rip open our hearts, to show our true selves and awaken those hearts within, awaken ourselves again to all those infinite potentials. Um, and this is an image of my friend and colleague, Alan. Um, and I just think it's so beautiful because, you know, I, how many times have you stood before her, Jocelyn? Um, and, and how many amazing experiences? Um, oh, it's, it's just the most incredible thing to stand before her. Yeah. Um, I think I, I have been there three times now. Um, and yes, I feel she, you know, she looks into your heart. She really does. And she will offer you messages and, you know, instructions. And it's just incredible what happens when you're in that room. It's like nothing else. Really? Um, and she is so alive. She is so alive. Her eyes are so alive. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I have worked with so many people. I've led tours with one person up to more than a hundred. <laughs> Um, I, you know, it seems that people's, some of their most powerful experiences are their moments with Sekhmet. Um, and, and it is, she, it's just a small chamber and there's a little opening in the ceiling. And sometimes that light, you hear it shining on Alan. Um, but it's a powerful place. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm speaking to the, the, ability of the ancients to create something so phenomenal that we would call supernatural experience but was completely natural for them um, and so Hakim called these structures the temples the purbas um, the houses of the soul that were designed to awaken our senses um, and so whether you're aware of it or not, you can, you can wander about these structures and not know anything about the symbolism or, or what you're experiencing or looking at. And it's still going to interact with you. Um, but the more knowledge you have, the more you grow your, 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 you know, field of knowledge and vision, you have, I think you have the ability to really know how to walk through these structures and how to experience them in a way that you, you, you're actually on a journey that you're aware of. Um, and, uh, they really are each one, you know, sort of it, 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 it operates on a different frequency and hence each one dedicated to a different netter, you know, Karnak, uh, uh, is the temple of Amun, we have Hathor, we have Isis, we have, you know, Hiru, our hero, which is Horus, his ancient name was Hiru. Um, there's just so many structures and, and gi- giving us opportunity to awaken different senses within ourselves. Um, and uh, again, I can't read this one. Uh, Jocelyn, if you could, sorry. 
Yes, sorry, I had to unmute. So, yes, as as you walk through the temples, the floors. Hold on a second. Oh, I see. Oh, as I you, know. I yes. Walk yes. through the temples, the floors as earth rise, and the ceilings as the heaven get lower until you come to the pineal, the place where heaven meets earth in the holy of holies. Yes, yes, yes. A lot of people don't realize as they're walking through the temples that that's actually happening. But if you become more aware of it, you'll, you know, in the outer, outer chambers, you know, you're usually under the stars of the heavens, the day sky, you know, walking on the ground. And then you go into the first chamber and you're inside the container, the womb of the temple. But as you continue to walk through the floors, which are the earth, designed to be the earth and the the ceiling which is designed to be the heavens that comes together and as you get closer and closer to the holy of holies you're literally in that place where heaven meets earth um and what an experience um and so sad that the priests at a certain time that the priests of amun um <laughs> basically you know in the age of, of taurus when we really uh develop that sense that we are our bodies. This is when the priests were became what Hakim called the Hanut, the undertakers. Um, but they they developed this concept of death and separation and they separated out the temple that, you know, the general public wasn't allowed into the temple. They were only allowed into the outer portions, you know, the the great, you know, courtyards for the celebrations. And then, you know, only the priests, depending on their level of, of ability, were able to go into the structure and depending on who they were, how far they could go with only the high priest. You know, he was the only one worthy who could handle the energy, the powerful energies of the Holy of Holy. The ancient structures were designed for all of us. We were all such. We were all sashet. We all had these abilities and we all could interact and, and, and harness these wonderful energies. Um, so as I said, each temple resonated to a different frequency um, and could awaken a sense or frequency, a spark of knowing within our own mind, body, and spirit. Um, Patricia, I was thinking maybe we should go to telling people a little more about the tour. Is wow. I don't, but you know, at whatever time you think is right, but maybe <laughs> sooner rather. Okay. Well, no, you're absolutely right, and I am almost done. I didn't make it a long okay. uh, presentation, but I, I never want not... to cut short what you're sharing. I just also want to make sure everybody has the information. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right, um, and this is one of the things you would experience um, on one of our tours. Uh, it's known, it, it's at Saqqara. It's, it's the image of Saqqara is, um, on the upper left hand corner. Um, and it's called, uh, Hakim called it the healing hospital, uh, sound healing hospital. Um, but he was not the only one. Um, I have met, um, and spoken to people that studied with Egyptologists in Egypt, uh, Egyptian Egyptologists if you will, and uh, also teaching the same knowing um, that this structure that is at Saqqara is really phenomenal. And it, again, it's harnessing underground running water 
um, and there are niches and, you know, there, I'm not going to give you all the information now, but everyone gets a chance, if, if there's not too many people, um, gets a chance to experience this feeling in this ability, you know, this, the, the, the power that this site holds um, for healing. And the priests at this time were able to basically heal through sound, color, frequency itself. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and how they would do this is by, you know, sending, you know, they would be able to envision the, you know, the energetic matrix of that, the patient's body and see where there were blockages. And they were able to send that right sound or frequency that would, you know, open that, you know, destroy that blockage so that the, the, the energy could flow again. And that is the healing of the physical body. Um, but that's only one side. And I'm not going to go into the details, but they also have a space in this. It is another courtyard to the north where you're able to experience your own balance within. Because the reason we fall into a state of disease is because we're out of balance. Um, and so it, it's just incredible that, you know, they knew that, you know, yes, we can heal. You know, we can we can even um, affect spontaneous healing but the healing won't stick with us if we don't heal what's happening within to cause that disease um, that that being you know out of balance and so you know they they cover all the bases and they're harnessing they're using natural forces of nature the netaru you know and not um synthetic medicines and uh, some of the things that we take today that may cure the illness, but will they heal, you know, what's really ailing us? So I'll stop on that note. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I never want to, I never want you to stop actually, but <laughs> you know, I can go on forever. <laughs> yes. And, and we love it when you do. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say too that healing hospital at Sakara that is so powerful because when you when when you put your head in that frequency chamber it it's like you become the the healer yourself right you are consulting with the forces of nature and the vibrational frequency of the universe and receiving you know whatever you most need even if you don't understand all that you're receiving um, it's incredible that is such an incredible experience. And let me explain why, because you are absolutely right, Jocelyn. And it's because it connects you. And, and again, and this is through harnessing the energy and the frequency and underground water and channels. And But you're able to hear the heartbeat of the earth itself. And when you connect with the heartbeat of the earth, it enables you to connect with the patterns of the patient. So what Jocelyn is explaining is is 100% true. And it's 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 an incredible experience. People, the naysayers that come and say, "Ah, oh, hogwash," and you know, I say, "Ah, oh, just put your head in the niche and tell me what you what you feel," <laughs> and they come out like, "Wow!" It's what they normally say is, "Well, well I couldn't hear anything because there was a plane going overhead, or somebody <laughs> rode a motorcycle past me." It's like no, no plane. happened. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yes. Well, so I, um, I can share 
the website page. Maybe that would be um, the most helpful, unless you had slides for the um, for the tour. Um, well, these are some of the experiences we have. Uh, <laughs> time with Sekhmet between the paws of of the Sphinx, Tefnut, one of the most powerful places on the planet. Um, and we. Uh, last year we brought a, a singing bowl. You know, we create these experiences that are, you can go into a deep meditative and shamanic journeying space in the places such as between the paws of the Sphinx and in the ancient Osirian, which we haven't talked about yet today, but this really extremely ancient, um, temple that is behind Abydos Temple. So we have, we create these experiences where you can go way deeply in and really connect with the energetics in a deeper way than most people, uh, you know, ever, ever will when they're visiting here. So true. Um, some of the images from the temples, um, this, this big one is from Abydos and it, it basically is the scene of the resurrection of Osiris. Um, and, uh, you know, the Assyrian is at this structure. I don't have a picture of it, Jocelyn, but it, it really is, um, they closed it. It was just a couple of years ago. Now it was never open to the public, but you were able to walk down the steps and see it from above. And we usually, you know, we were able to get in, you know, I, I got in many times over the years. Um, but I think it was in 2018. So that's five years ago. They closed it to the public entirely. You can only stand way up on the, you know, way out of the structure and, and try and get a good picture in front of it. Um, so we get a private when when I tour with uh, Jocelyn and a few other people, we we actually pay for a private experience, which gives us two full hours of private time. Um, and Jocelyn is just wonderful here because she does that. You know, she does play the sound bowl for us if she can. We have meditations and the energy there. This structure is so ancient. This is this is a pre-dynastic structure. Um, Hakeem said it could be tens of thousands of years old. Um, but we, we, we're, it's subterranean. It's lower than the temple of, of the SETI one. Um, it, it's much, much lower. And then underneath, they've done the satellite imagery and it goes down. Uh, some believe, you know, that the structure itself could have been 10 stories. Um, <laughs> that's, that's hard to imagine. And I can't confirm that. But it sits over, this is, this has, this was a study done, um, by university, uh, professor here, actually, along with some people from America who I know. They did a study on the water and uh, the water levels in the area and underneath the Osirian. And it sits on an ancient pocket of water that really is primordial water. It's in a pocket that, 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 that doesn't move. Um, and these are very special places on the earth that hold a very powerful energy. Um, and so I'm, that's all I'm going to say. But, yeah, it's it's an experience that uh, is, again, unforgettable. Um, I have a photo of the Osirian that I could show if that would Oh, be definitely, fun. definitely. I have actually a couple. So you can see the from above and the – would you mind clicking on stop share, Patricia? Not a problem. My share. There we go. Okay. That was me in 2021, uh, standing <laughs> above the Osirian. That's, um, you can see how far down it is. So this ground level here is the ground level of Abydos Temple, which was built in 
what, approximately 1500 BC, 1300 BC, somewhere in that range. And this is what, 40 feet below that. <laughs> I mean, this is so ancient. It's incredible. And they're <laughs> below that, as Patricia said. And yeah, it's, it's so powerful. I'll share for some reason, all the photos of the Osirian have me in them <laughs> that I have. I don't have it, <laughs> but here's another one. So you can see just the size of these stones once you're in there. I took that picture. You did. Yes. I did. Um, so it's just massive and you can see it's these pie, uh, the pie columns, the pie doorways. Right. So it's an incredibly powerful place. And inside there are the flowers of life that were etched probably by a, a, a Greek, uh, school of, um, philosophy nearby. Mm. But, uh, yeah. Yes. Well, I'll share the website for our, uh, just the webpage. Um, and actually I'll put that in the chat here on Zoom too. So everybody can check it out at their own pace if they would like to, but I'll also put it up on the screen. So you can come here to see more information about our tour, Egypt's Awakening Our Infinite Potentials. And here's a beautiful, um, you know, banner that shows all these different amazing places that we will visit. And I think there's probably even more than what's shown on there. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to Esna this year, which I'm so excited about. And so if you scroll down, you can read more about it. Am I on the white desert page? No, well, no, that's just an announcement about it. The extension. Okay. Well, and that's important too. So this is an optional add on to go to a white desert healing retreat where I will be there with you and we will be out in the desert under these incredible skies. I mean, this is, you go out there, you're so far away from any cell phone towers, far away from any Wi-Fi. It's so natural. It's so healing. It's yeah. amazing. And you see these incredible places. This is a picture from the white desert. Um, I'm sure there, so there's another page that I'll, I'll put that link in the chat too, that has more about that white desert healing retreat. Um, these are just incredible life-changing experiences, everybody. You don't, you don't want to miss it. For some reason, I'm not finding the chat. Um, where did it go? There it is. Okay. So here's the link to the White Desert Healing Retreat. And on the YouTube video, we will post all of these links below the video as soon as we're done recording. But you can come here to the first link and check out the full tour itinerary. Again, it's from January 23rd to February 5th. We chose these dates very specifically because of the astrology of these days. These are going to be days when we have incredible trines happening between Mars, Venus, and Mercury in Capricorn and Jupiter and Uranus in Taurus. And just really harmonic energy and so much support for like breakthroughs, revelations, incredible, you know, powerful meditation experiences is all going to be really supported as we're there. So there's more on this page about the astrology. If you scroll down a little bit, you can read about that in detail. Um, and yeah, here's some testimonials from our, our March 2023 tour where we had such an incredible experience and the people who come from sacred planet and from 
Patricia's audience are just the most incredible people. So just know that you will be with a group of like-minded, amazing souls who are there for the right reasons and there with their full-hearted, you know, energy and engagement. It's just so powerful. It's, it's even more powerful when we come together in these groups that are, are just so, you know, just there for the most wonderful reasons. Um, and you can see, you know, you can read through here and see how our tour goes. Is there anything you want to say about the, itinerary patricia anything that people should know um well stephanie just asked the size of the group and it should probably be around 30 30 people maybe 40 but 30 around 30 people um it's a really nice group we'll all be on one bus and uh you know the bonding that happens with these with our groups is incredible as well um, but it's it, right. It's in front of us. We go to Saqqara, the uh, Lanise Pyramid, the Step Pyramid, um, Sound Healing Hospital, the Serapium. We didn't talk about that. An underground, basically another subterranean structure with more megalithic boxes, you know, that that weigh up to a hundred tons, with lids that weigh up to forty tons. So you you know these huge structures. Um, and I'm not going to give away anything now, but, you know, we'll talk about what they could have been used for. Um, yeah, I've got lots of ideas and theories. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, after we do all of that, the Valley Temple, the Giza Plateau, we fly to Luxor and we go to Luxor Temple at night, one of the temples at night. Um, there's a wonderful portal in Luxor Temple. Um, and uh, then we go to Abydos. We, and unlike other tours, we don't go to Abydos and Dendera in the same day. Because both Jocelyn and I, you know, I can't even imagine trying to do them both in one day. But a day each, yes. <laughs> it just can't be done. Uh, so we spend a, a whole day at Abydos, and then we spend a whole day at Dendera, uh, which we've already talked about. is just spectacular. Um, and then we go to Esna, um, and uh, again, an incredible experience. We go to Nefertari's tomb. It was just opened about... Oh, I think it was about five years ago, too, to the public. It, it used to be that you had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to get into her tomb. Um, it's probably the most spectacular tomb, and it's in the Valley of the Queens, but in both valleys, Valley of the Kings and Queens, um, and the symbolism and the, the beautiful illustrations on the walls of the tomb are just incredible, brilliant. Um, so that's an amazing day. Um, Karnak Temple, Seknet. Uh, Karnak, uh, gosh, you could, you'd need a week to truly experience Karnak, but we do it in a day. Um, and, uh, and then we get up, we, we, we get on the cruise ship. Um, and we're going to be on a wonderful boat this time, the Sinise Denial guys. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, uh, the, the cruise is when we finally, you know, get to relax a little bit, at least in the evenings. Um, and you get to experience the Nile, which, you know, as you're, Cruising down the Nile and you're looking at the banks of the Nile, and sometimes you're seeing farm life like it was, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, it, it's just, it's a surreal experience. Um, and then we get to go to the temples along the Nile. Um, Edfu, oh my gosh, Edfu, we'll talk about Atlantis, the building text, you know, the, the original, you know, Edfu is thought to be the mound that emerges after, you know, the water recedes from the floods. Um, it, it, it's, it's Atlantis. It's, it's, it's the beginning of everything. It speaks to the cycles. It speaks to, um, everything 
um, at the beginning. You know, again, every end is a new beginning. Um, and then we go to Kamambo, a place uh, for healing. Um, and uh, so, oh gosh, so much. Every every people ask me, what's your favorite place in Egypt? <laughs> And, you know, it, it does have to be Dendera, but it literally is the temple that I'm in in any given moment because <laughs> each and every structure offers something incredible. Um, and people sometimes say, you know, at the end of the tour, so many places, so many temples, you know, and, and I, I confuse them. You know, maybe you should eliminate some. And I just I just smile at them and say, OK, which one would you want to give up? <laughs> Oh no, not that one. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah. It, you it, it's just you can't. Each one is so unique and special. Um, True. and the Temple of Isis and Filet. We go to a beautiful Nubian restaurant for authentic Nubian food on an island that faces you. It's bigger island, a very sacred, feminine, ancient, beautiful island that we were never allowed on before. And now all of a sudden, you know, this wonderful little Nubian hotel and restaurant appeared and we're allowed to dock and, and get on the island. Um, and we have this amazing Nubian, you know, authentic Nubian lunch as we're facing, you know, the structure we were just at, Filet Temple, you know, across the waters. It's, it, again, is just a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is incredible. Um, and the Grand Egyptian Museum, the gem, um, we have been waiting <laughs> with bated <laughs> breath for this opening for years now. That They keep promising. Um, the latest date I heard was November um, or the beginning of the year or so. Fingers crossed. Um, but I always say don't hold your breath because you might turn blue. So <laughs> let's just hope. But if we if we can't see that one, there's the other amazing, beautiful exactly. one. Exactly. So it's all good. <laughs> well, the, the Cairo Museum, there is so much there. You can't really experience it in a day or a couple of days. You know, I've been there for more than six, seven hours. And, you know, it, it's just so intense and it's so eclectic with so many things from all the different sites that, it, you know, you, you, you don't miss anything. I know the Grand Egyptian Museum is going to be a spectacular experience, but so is the Cairo Museum. And they haven't taken everything yet. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then once we're all charged up from all of that and from visiting every time <laughs> we get to go inside the Great Pyramid. <laughs> yes, for the private. Most definitely the highlights. I, every, every day is a highlight. Um, but that pyramid entry is, uh, again, it's a moment to experience the resonance on the power within the pyramid. Um, yes. Really, really just surreal. Yes. And you can see here, there's, I won't read this now, but why we chose these dates. So here's an astrology report for our time, including the full moon in Leo, which is very interesting because as we're speaking, <laughs> we're about to have the new moon in Leo in just a few days on August 16th. So this will be the six month um, <laughs> by the lunar cycle, um, you know, completion of that. So that's really powerful. So you can read and see all of the amazing things that will be happening astrologically while we're there. And then if you would like to register, um, just go all the way to the bottom. Um, I won't, I won't scroll. I won't boggle your eyes on the screen here, but if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see there's a registration form that you fill out and send in. 
And once we, once Patricia and her team receive your registration form, then they'll send you the info to make the deposit. So that this is something that has caused a little bit of confusion. So just so you all know, send in the registration form. You don't have to put the deposit in at the same time as the form. You'll get the instructions to do the deposit in the very next step. Um, so yeah, those are, those are, those are some key things to know. And we would just love to have you join us as we're looking at the beautiful blue lotus flowers here. <laughs> would love to have you join us if you feel called. We, um, it's a beyond words incredible experience. So we really welcome those who, who feel it's the right time. And Egypt is calling at this time so strongly. It's really amazing. Yeah. I guess do we, do we have time to take a few questions, Patricia? I have time if you do. Okay. I can stay until probably another 10 minutes till about 45 past the hour. Perfect. That's perfect. If we can. So yeah, if anybody has questions, either if you're over on YouTube, you can put them in the YouTube live chat. If you have questions on Zoom, you can put them here and I will look for your questions and read them. I think there were some earlier and some beautiful comments. Thank you, Michelle, for your wonderful comment here about attending in March. Great to have you on the call, Michelle. And I know Lynn had a beautiful, yeah, Lynn had a beautiful comment about March 2023 as well. So thank you guys for your, your comments and your sharing your experiences. Um, Sharon asked, what is the weather like in January and February? Is it the raining season? <laughs> well, here we go. Um, I could bring up climate change. <laughs> Things are changing so rapidly everywhere on the planet. So, you know, it, since I've been here, we've had Januaries that were warm. We've had Januaries that were really colder than normal. Um, what I recommend to people um, is that, you know, you bring a warm jacket, you know, a sweater, uh, and layer your clothes because in January, you know, the sun is still going to be warm. It's still going to be hot. Um, our cooler months are uh, the end of December, January, and February. But we've had heat waves um, at these times as well. So layer your clothes so that at certain times of the day, you may take, you know, your sweater off. Um, but you might need a light, light jacket, um, and especially in the north. You'll need a jacket or a sweater. Um, and, and like I said, light. It, it's really spectacular weather. Um, and it does not rain often here. So if we do get rain, you know, normally it just happens really fast and it's over and done with. But, you know, I, I'm not going to promise that because we had a cloudburst in October last year. But, you know, it never rains in October. So, yeah, I, just come with no expectations. Come prepared. Bring good walking shoes. You can wear sandals in a lot of the temples. Um, and we let you know every day, you know, we, we Jocelyn and I control the mics at the front of the bus, so we keep you informed of uh, what to expect, you know, at any given moment. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, at nights will be cooler. So on the cruise, definitely, definitely bring warm clothes. Bring, a, 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 you know, a, a Bring some warm jammies too, because yeah, it, it's going to be a lot cooler in uh, at the nights for sure. And and it can be really hot during the day too, you know. So so you know, be prepared for all of that. Some of the days, even in January and February, could be really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, the sun in Egypt is like nowhere else too. It's just a, especially if you're coming from a colder climate. 
And then you're going in January to Egypt. Oh, it's just so amazing to receive the sun um, in Egypt. It is a, it, you're right, Jocelyn. It is a different sun. Um, it's the one place in the world I don't burn um, when I go out in the sun here. Uh, fair-skinned people will always burn. So, you know, bring your suntan lotion for sure um, or your sunblock um, protective lotions. But, um, yeah, the sun is very different here for some reason. It must be the angle that it hits the earth. But uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, it's really special. It really is. Um, Valerie had a question, and I think she might be referring to what we experienced at the healing hospital. Do you have any suggestions on how to connect to the heartbeat of the earth in our home places, like how to, ha- how to connect in with that from where we are? Um, again, I think, you know, it, it's, I would actually leave the home and find a place in nature, even if it's a, a city park, um, and leave your cell phone in the car or at home, you know, any technology, and find a space within nature to meditate and connect with all the energies, the natural energies that surround you. And I think, you know, that is that moment that once you connect with the rhythm of the nature around you, you are connecting to the heartbeat. And maybe you'll begin to even feel and or hear it. So, yeah. Yes, beautiful. Uh, there's a question from Stephen. He's asking, are we saying that the Netaru are more archetypal nature energies rather than actual beings, especially since they have morphed over time? Absolutely, and that that's a good observation, Stephen. Um, the Netaru are forces of nature, um, and I even would say that at one time we were the gods that walked the earth um, because we had access, we had a connection to all these natural forces of nature. We are, as human beings, a force of nature, and we can we contain the Netaru within us. You know, they, they say our outer world is an illusion and everything that's occurring is happening within. We are, we are the Netaru. We are, we have that connection to source. We just forgot because we're held hostage in, in a belief that we're physical beings. So it's, it's letting go of that. Um, so yes, over time, as we evolve, we begin to attach personalities and we say, Oh, Osiris was the God of. Because he's everything that we can't really connect with or perceive anymore. But at one time, he was representative of man, of everyone, mankind itself. He was the earth. He was mankind. And his journey was the journey of all of us. So when he talk about his journey into the night cycle and then his death and resurrection, they're speaking about mankind. The earth itself goes through these cycles. You know, the sun even gets old. It's described as getting old and it's reborn again. Um, and if we look at the cycles of the sun, um, you know, these, these things happen. Um, you know, the science proves this, but we need a marriage of science and spirituality to truly understand our experience. Um, and this is what the ancients told us, taught us. Yes. So beautiful. And, Patricia just expresses all of this in the most incredible (laughs) mind altering way. So I just want to thank you for, for all that you bring Patricia and all the depth of studying and research that you've done um, over the years. It's really incredible to stand in these temples with you and receive that these wisdom transmissions from you. It's just, I'm going to (laughs) cry. 
thank you. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> I'm not just saying this because you said something and complimented me, but, you know, Jocelyn, what she brings to these experiences is something so beautiful. She is so heart-centered, and she brings this into her meditations and into, you know, even, you know, her singing ball when she has, when she conducts really these meditations she pulls all of us into these experiences in such a beautiful way that we're able to let go of ourselves and literally follow her into these wonderful beautiful surreal uh moments within these structures um and that that is you know i'll run around and show you all these wonderful things in the temples and tell you what they mean but the moments that you connect to the temples the moments that you just let all of everything in your mind, all your core beliefs, let it all go. And you just feel these are the most really significant moments that you'll have here. Yes. Yes, truly. The feeling. We have, we have to really leave the mind behind at a certain point on these journeys, you know, and just, and really receive it in the heart and receive it in our deeper senses of knowing because there's only so much that the mind can grasp. And this is beyond that, you know, it really, really is. Um, so we receive so much be beyond what we, what we can possibly comprehend on these adventures. It's really amazing. Thank you for your kind words <laughs> to Patricia. Yeah, I will, I'll go to one more question here in the chat and, and I can, I can speak to this one. Um, Kate is saying, are there any crystals or particular rituals that you would recommend for embracing the potency of the current Lionsgate portal? And Patricia, you may have something to say about this too. Um, I would say, Kate, you know, this is, this is a powerful portal that we're in to receive those transmissions and those codes from Sirius and the sun as they are so beautifully aligned. Um, so I see a wonderful flow here of allowing, just allowing, you know, being out in nature, allowing those codes to come in, those insights, really pay attention to your dreams during this time. You know, definitely crystals, quartz crystals. Um, I'm coming into my mind, kyanite crystals could be really powerful to work with during this time. And let yourself receive all those transmissions. And then on August 16th, which is going to be the new moon in Leo, you can take all of that and set your intentions and really open your heart and ask the universe for what you you truly need, what you truly desire to bring into your life and let it be informed by all that you've received here in the lion's gate, you know, to begin. So that would be my thought about it. I hope that's helpful. Now I would only add that uh, um, a remembrance that the crystals themselves are not just beautiful rocks, but they're knowledge holders. Um, and they are beings that you can, you know, crystals are always growing. They're alive. You know, they just look like they're not moving, but that's only because of how we would define movement and, and, and knowing. Um, but if we let go again of that, the, our beliefs, we can actually communicate with them. And so, you know, you're asking us, but ask your crystals, connect with them. Again, let go of everything around you and make that personal connection. Um, and, you know, it's amazing. You know, people, I, I work with a geologist. 
uh, because I think it's very important, uh, the knowledge that she holds. And, you know, she's mainstream and, you know, she used to be. She's spent too much time with me now. Um, <laughs> just teasing. But she, she admits that she's always spoken to rocks, that rocks talk to her. And, you know, the same thing has always happened to me. You know, trees talk to me. Rocks talk to me. It's letting go of those beliefs that they're not, you know, they're not sentient beings. And when we do that, you know, amazing things happen. Um, again, it's connecting. It's utilizing our right brains just a little bit more and allowing ourselves to feel our connectedness. You know, there was a time the plants would tell us, you know, what they could do for us. And this is how plant medicine emerges and evolves. Um, they let us know what they could do for us. We spoke with the animals and they spoke back, not, not with words, not written in our language, but we had a knowing, you know, and we, we have that today. And I think that's something that's awakening today. You know, Aquarius is the water bearer and he's the water bearer that dumps the water, the spirit, the life force out of the container. You know, we're out of the net. We're, we're leaving the net now. So it, it is this moment when we can awaken these senses within us. Um, and uh, it's a good time to take that opportunity um, in, in right in this now moment. Yes, I love that. Thank you for saying that. It's, it's so, <laughs> important. so important. We are in such profound communication with all of these other beings at every moment. And it makes me think of a part of the uh, the White Desert tour. Actually, if you do the White Desert uh, healing retreat after the main tour, we go to the Crystal Mountain. And this is a place where the, you can see these crystals. You can actually almost see them growing like they're coming up out of the land and you can lay on this crystal mountain. <laughs> I mean, you can just let your whole body um, connect with these crystals. And it's incredible. Um, it, that is a really powerful place. You can go inside of a cave there. That's all you're surrounded by the crystals. And oh, my goodness, it's amazing. So. Crystal cave. Who would have thought it really does exist? <laughs> you can find it in Egypt. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I think we will, we will close for today, everybody. I did just put that link, the main link to the tour in the chat again. And let me put the link to the white desert healing retreat um, in the chat one more time. And these will be posted right below the YouTube video very soon here as well. So um, check those out. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, you can write to me. You can write to Patricia and her team. We will get back to you right away. Um, just let us know if you need anything else in order to decide if you're able to join us. And we would love to have you come along this year. It's going to be a powerful time. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you so much, Patricia. It's been so wow. wonderful as always to be here with you and share with you. Thank you, Jaslyn. And much love to everybody out there. And yeah, watch this again. There's so much, you know, especially <laughs> watch it again. Enjoy. <laughs> we hope you all got uh, received so much from this today. So lots of love to all of you. And we'll see you again. All right. Well, we've got one more. And it's on the topic of uh, Lahaina again. This is with um, Jocelyn, mm -hmm. right, Rama? Oh. 
No. That's, um, oh, uh, Amanda Ellis. Excuse me. Mm. She's going to use her cards and see how they guide her to what the teaching is about what happened uh, with the Maui Hawaii wildfires. What? Well, things are jumping around. Oh, jumping. Okay. Higher perspectives on the Maui wildfires. Yet, really, much of this video is applicable to anywhere where fires are burning. Mm. Why Maui or anywhere um, else? Looking at the relationship with fire and our own emotional field, individual and collective, importance of raising frequency to negate any potential external manipulation involved. Are we helpless victims of, or sovereign beings with power? Your choice is crucial. Examples of imbalanced yang fire energy, uh, feral gangs and lawlessness. Oops. And yeah. how we either contribute to the funeral pyre or dismantle it via the wood. Okay, yes, the element of the wood, which depicts actions, thoughts, and speech, how we can start fires without even realizing. Nations and people to learn from. Many, yet here we focus on Hawaiians and the Japanese. The banyan tree and its teaching, it will survive Adam and Eve. Buddha, deep rooting and gratitude. Um, spirit makes its presence known as soon as I mention the tree. And it goes on. Let's just turn mm. it on and play it because it's just going to take us to the last moment and we'll play a good, a good piece of music to say mm. aloha at the end. So let's just mm. ah, work with the energy she's going to share with us. Here we go. Amanda's coming. Here she comes. everyone how are you doing this is Amanda I do hope that you're well so I am going to be doing a recording today linked into the wildfires that have happened in Maui in Hawaii although it is going to be focused on Hawaii I suspect that a lot of the teaching that will come out of this video is very applicable to other fires in our world that are burning or have burnt or will do. Ultimately, the elementals are out of balance in our world and the teaching that I wish to bring through is linked into how they can reflect and do reflect the imbalance within ourselves. So we're going to be touching on that in this video. I'm also going to be bringing through some downloads that I received this morning from Spirit we have not only Archangel Metatron here, we have four other Archangels with us. And it actually, I think that's where I'd like to begin. It ties into a song um, by Kate Bush. 
which is called Lily. And the four archangels are Gabriel, Raphael, Michael and Uriel. This song has come about as all of the synchronicities do in a slightly random way. Thank you very much to Lee that sent me a card and a gift this morning, which I unwrapped. Thank you, Lee. I've got your card and your message. And I wasn't expecting to receive it. Very nice. And I really appreciate the gift. Thank you. But it's actually a CD by Kate Bush called The Sensual World. And in this CD, there is a song called Lily, which references the four archangels and is actually a prayer, basically, to bring them closer to us for protection. And I think it's very relevant to the times that we're in. And I thank you, Lee, for drawing it back to my attention, because, yes, I have heard the song. I had forgotten about the four archangels being part of it. You say that Kate always starts all of her concerts off with this particular prayer uh, recited before she starts her work. And I feel it's been given to us to help us with these times that we're in. Now, if you've been with me a while, you'll know that I've done previous work based on the changes that are occurring across our planet. Whatever you think is the cause of them, and I'll come to that in a moment, the end result is the same and we have to deal with it. And I've done previous videos where I've done, for example, grid work. I've talked about Merkabah work to protect our homes, our businesses, our livelihoods, ourselves, our pets, um, our street, for example. And I will reference back to that in this video. But equally, I feel as though this prayer and this request for help from these four archangels is very relevant. And I'd like to start with it. So the song, I'm going to read you uh, two verses and the chorus goes like this and I think it's very very appropriate so you ready let's settle down and let's begin because really what we're doing here is we're also calling in the four archangels for this video so these are Kate Bush's words of course O thou who give us sustenance to the universe from whom all things proceed to whom all things return unveil to us the face of the true spiritual sun, hidden by a disc of golden light that we may know the truth and do our whole duty as we journey to thy sacred feet. Well, I said, Lily, oh Lily, I don't feel safe. I feel that life has blown a great big hole through me. And she said, child, you must protect yourself. You can protect yourself. I'll show you how with fire. Gabriel before me, Raphael behind me, Michael to my right, Uriel on my left side in the circle of fire. I said, Lily, oh Lily, I'm so afraid. I fear I'm walking the veil of darkness. And she said, child, take what I say with a pinch of salt and protect yourself with fire. Gabriel before me, Raphael behind me, Michael to my right, Uriel on my left, in the circle of fire. Now, some people have found themselves in that circle of fire this week in Maui, 
and some of you might still be experiencing it in different parts of the world. So you might think, why am I referencing fire to protect us when fire is the destroyer? But fire basically both takes and gives. And fire can absolutely be a protective force as well. It can also be a regenerative force. It can be a restorer. It can be the vehicle through which the phoenix gets to rise from the ashes. Uh, the reference to Lily, um, according to my friend Lee, who sent me the card today, is actually a healer that Kate used to see who worked with colour and archangels. So uh, what Kate is doing in these lyrics is referencing back um, guidance that she received from this lady. And being somebody myself that works with the archangels and colour, I completely concur. The other thing I'd like to draw out of this uh, prayer, Gabriel before me, Raphael behind me, Michael to my right, Uriel on my left side, is that it correlates to the four cardinal uh, points, the directions, earth, sorry, uh, north, south, east and west. And I'll just double check uh, because I'm a little bit rusty. I used to know all this off by heart and it's good to refresh ourselves because it's a new thing to, well, it might not be new to you, but um, it's important to use it, I think, at the moment. Uriel represents the north. Michael represents the south. Raphael represents the east and Gabriel to the west. So in the event of a fire, I realise it's already happened in Maui, but please let me just say this also for future uh, events. What I'm seeing we can do is that with fire encircling us or coming at us from different directions, we invoke those four archangels, Uriel to the north, Michael to the south, Raphael to the east and Gabriel to the west. And it brings in a circle of protection um, to keep us safe, basically. So uh, I'm going to give that to you. Uh, you can look into that yourself. You can uh, listen to the song. You can look at the lyrics. You can use that prayer. So thank you, Lee, for bringing that to me today. It's a nice way also to start this video. So, yes, uh, in case you don't know, there was a devastating fire on Maui in Hawaii uh, this week. I believe the fires began on Tuesday. And I have some first-hand accounts of people that follow me who were actually there and I'd like to reference one of those in a moment I'll just pull it up because you wrote to me this morning on Facebook um, it's always good to hear first-hand eyewitness accounts but yeah began on Tuesday um, I'm sure the number of dead will probably rise but when I last checked it was being reported that were 53 dead uh, this morning but there probably will be more there is one particular town Lahaina, which has been pretty much raised to the ground, uh, which is where this particular follower of mine is from. Um, just completely apocalyptic scenes, um, total devastation, everything fat flattened. And we send, obviously, prayers, strength, light and the energy to rebuild to anybody that's been affected. Also to anybody else around the world in other countries that are affected by the energy of fire. I'm going to be talking about the imbalance of fire energy in our world in this video. But I would also like at the start just to also acknowledge that other people in our world are, have got the other end of the spectrum. 
and have got imbalance of water. So again, a couple of followers on Instagram this morning, one from Norway, one from Slovenia, both brought to my attention the um, bad flooding that's happened in both of those countries within the last week or so. Um, Slovenia, uh, he was, I think it was a he, not sure if I'm wrong there, uh, talking about two thirds of the country being flooded or severely affected by the water. And in Norway, uh, again, lots of flooding, I think worst for 50 years or something, somebody was saying. So prayers out there as well. But in this video, we're going to concentrate on fire. We're going to look at the symbolism of fire. We're going to look at what the fire elemental actually represents in terms of ourself, because I always teach that fire starts, sorry, um, change starts with us. Uh, interesting, I was going to say, I said fire starts with us because I do believe that as well, that we can be the fire starter without even realising that we are. One thing that Archangel Metatron showed me yesterday was the reference to something like a, a, a pyre, like a big funeral pyre, um, but the energy of building a fire, um, a big fire. And onto that fire, um, we put our wood our stakes of wood and try to imagine that the pile of wood the different pieces of wood that goes into making the fire that then gets lit is made up of all of the negative neg negative thoughts that we may have had the hateful things we might have done or said the judgments that we make on other people the projections that we make on other people the downright aggressive acts that may or may not be done by us. Um, every single piece of lower toxic energy constitutes one of the pieces of wood that is put onto the fire, which makes up this great big pyre, uh, which is a collective fire uh, energy that is out there in our world. And we have two choices, either to keep adding to this great big pile of wood with even more of our um, unprocessed anger, which is linked into fire, our unprocessed hatred, which is linked into the energy of fire. Fire also can be positive, but bear with me. Um, or we can dismantle this fire. We can take down the pieces of wood. We cannot contribute to it getting any higher. Because ultimately, in our world right now, we've got this imbalance um, and... If you watched my video yesterday, which I think was called Saying No is a 5D Quality, what I was really getting at in that was also the point of the fast, go, 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 frantic energy that we have in our society, particularly in Western society. And it's getting ever faster. It's getting ever more frantic. And we can't, we can't keep up with it. We're burning ourselves out, literally. Um, but we're also starting many fires. Because if you think about the energy of uh, go, 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 fast-paced energy, it leads to friction. It leads to a friction energy within ourself. And we know that friction, again, creates fire. Think about the energy of two pieces of wood that are rubbed together. It creates fire. All it takes is the wind, the breath, to inflame the whole thing. So 
we have to watch that. Thank you also to somebody on Instagram who backed up what I was saying here. I'm not the first person to have put these um, thoughts forward. But one of you on Instagram was saying that you had, I think you said, an African elder teacher who had also taught this, which is that the Western, the Western world basically has just too much of an excess of yang fire energy. It's like a masculine energy, masculine yang fire energy. And uh, it's causing huge problems, basically. So the need to slow down the need to pause, the need to reflect, the need absolutely to channel, um, for example, our anger in a constructive, positive way, whether that be through sport or anything else, is imperative at this time. So thank you for the person that noted that as well. Okay, I think I'd like to begin with an analogy that Metatron gave me yesterday for the raging fire and the way that it spread so quickly. It's said that it's sort of spread. I don't know whether the warning system actually properly operated. Many people are saying they didn't hear it or it didn't go off. Um, five minutes, ten minutes to get out of your home, if that. Um, it's spreading like wildfire, as they say. You know, spreading like wildfire, very fast, very accelerated. I was given this analogy and again, this is linked into fire being um, a reflection of this uncontrolled, uh, fast-moving rage. So, it, and it's not linked into Hawaii. This is a story from London, but it actually happened, I think, on the same day as the fires in Maui. Everything is a sort of mirror reflection of each other. So, in London. Uh, a couple of days ago, there was a, I want to use the word swarm, a swarm of what looked like feral youths that were called to a particular place in Oxford Street via TikTok. Somebody lit the match, you know, ignited the flame, shouted out the call and huge swathes of youngsters turned up on Oxford Street with the sole intention of robbing a particular shop, looting a particular shop, um, causing trouble, um, causing trouble. You know, it wasn't they weren't there for a peaceful protest. They were there for the complete opposite. I watched the scenes with pretty with horror, to be honest. And actually, it's been replicated in another town yesterday as well. So it's as though this particular social media platform, TikTok, it's um, it's being used as, okay, what I'm being shown by Metatron is, you know, a, pack, a, a packet of matches. The social media platform is the rough bit of the matchbox, which you can strike. You strike the match and then you're off. The fire is out of control because these youngsters arrived, you know, almost like from nowhere, very quickly. Um, in huge groups and they moved like one, um, through, through the street, you know, rampaging, doing their damage. The, uh, the police didn't look like they were in control of it at all. And it just felt like it was that same underlying energy, um, that we need to heal in our world. 
I've seen similar scenes in America, um, but this is the first time I've seen it on British soil. And it was very sad and it feels like it was literally the tip of the match because it just showed how easily it can happen and how once it's instigated, the match is lit, how out of control it gets very, very fast. It's, ultimately, it's the same energy. It's this fire energy. Um, so... Yeah, the word that I got, the word that I was given by spirit was feral, feral, um, feral, out of control, untamed, pretty much like a wildfire. It will go where it wants to go and it will cause destruction and devastation. On the same day that I saw that, I saw a video. I think it was it was an American who had been visiting Japan and they were like open mouthed at what they were seeing in Japan, which was they were comparing city that they came from in America, which they said was pretty lawless. Um, and they just used that word lawless um, to the, the city that they were in in Japan, um, which was clean. Law was being maintained. Um, there was no sort of feeling of threat of violence about to erupt in any moment. Um, there was just an energy of order, peace, equilibrium, more than anything, equilibrium. And I've said for a while that, I mean, the Japanese, like all nations, have got their issues, they've got their problems, they've got things they need to be working on. But do you remember I said a few years ago that I feel we've got much to learn from the Japanese in the same way, we've got much to learn from the Hawaiians, but I'll come to that in a moment. So I just want to finish off this point. Um, and it feels as though it's like two axes, feral, out of control communities where there's lawlessness, which is very worrying. It's just this complete imbalance of yang energy, fire energy, which then absolutely at a micro and macro level can result in the fires that we see breaking out in nature or being started in, you know, whatever, however you, whatever the cause is, it's the same underlying energy. Um, versus another society, interestingly, in the East, where there's more balance, there's more balance. So that was one thing that I wanted to share. But yeah, things to learn from the Japanese, things to learn from the Hawaiian people. Now, yeah, before I go on to the Hawaiian people, actually, because they will rebuild and we will be impressed at their heart-based community that they show the world. But equally, again, nothing is random. Yesterday I saw uh, some uh, some photographs and it had, I think it might, maybe it was the same person. I really can't remember even what I was watching. But it was a picture of Nagasaki. And of course, uh, this last week we had the anniversary of the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And it was a picture of Nagasaki 50 years on. And it just looked beautiful, absolutely beautiful. They had rebuilt something literally from ash, from where the atomic bomb dropped, where there was complete and utter devastation with literally one or two things left, a few people left, many pe millions of people dead or thousands of people dead, hundreds of thousands of people dead. They've rebuilt um, so there's this energy of work ethic and coming together as a community and pride in your place. 
And I think we're going to learn a lot from that. And I think there's plenty of Western uh, places and countries which really need to look at that as well. Let's now look at Hawaii and Hawaiian people. So we know that Hawaii, obviously made up of a number of islands, and they're all going to have slightly different energies. But there's a big heart-centered consciousness there. Uh, Many people believe it's also where Lemuria was. Sacred, holy land, a land of mystery, a land of magic, um, a land of the future as well as the past. So to see it raised to the ground, or part of it, Maui, and in particular this place, Lahaina, is very sad, but we mustn't lose faith. Um, We will see the people come together and we will see what community in action looks like and people will learn from it. And we should be in appreciation of the souls that have taken that on as part of their contract. Very aware that some of you watching me might have lost your homes uh, or your businesses or, God forbid, somebody you love. And as I say, um, these higher messages, this, these overview messages don't take away necessarily the pain and the trauma that you're going through right now. But they do, I hope, bring some semblance of why these things occur. So we've talked about the imbalance of fire energy. Um, but yeah, we're going to be learning from the Hawaiian people. The Disney film Moana, if I've said it wrong, apologies, but that Disney film feels relevant. I haven't watched it for a while. I just refreshed my memory in terms of what the film's about. And I wrote this down. Um, which I saw somewhere. So the premise of the film, Moana, is a female leader in waiting, blessed with gifts from previous ancestors, um, who also cares about her environment and her island, looks beyond the borders of what she regards as safe or what she's been told is safe, and goes beyond that to be able to face the challenges of the future and come back with a solution. In so doing, she gives back to the island its heart. Um, she also tackles the trickster demigod, demigod Maui and wins, and ultimately she saves her tribe. So there's something in that film as well, I haven't seen it for a while, linked into the fact that the island, before she saves it effectively, has lost its way. Or if it hasn't lost its way, it's somehow been compromised. And without getting personal, I do believe that some of the land that has been sold on Maui to certain individuals is detrimental to the energy of the whole island. Now, This is twofold. Number one, a couple of the people that own land on Maui, not all, but a couple of the famous names that do, have got a compromised energy. Let's just put it like that. Okay, I don't want to diss people on my channel. I don't, as you know, if you followed my Violet Pill teaching, I don't point people out and say you're a goodie, you're a baddie. I'm just going to say they've got compromised energy. Um, And they've built up... They've, they've bought up a lot of the land. 
I feel that brings with it an energy that is compromised. I also feel as though the land isn't very happy with that whole movement towards a conglomerate owning big portions of what is an island that is supposed to represent unity consciousness, uh, shared ownership. It doesn't mean that you can't have a degree of private ownership there. It just means that when it becomes out of balance and somebody owns, I don't know, a third of the island or, you know, even less than that, it, there's an issue there. There's an issue. The land has an issue with it. And I feel as though the land is saying no. Now, with regards to these two particular people, I, I will name one of them because I, I, I can't not really, but one of them is Oprah. So, for example, her. Let's look at, well, I'm not going to look at her, but what I want to say about her is there is an opportunity here for her to reboot, to reboot, to, to reboot. It's the energy of, I'm not saying she's going to become a walk-in, but ultimately got the moon with her. You see, I knew that would be it. The stuff you can't see with her, the stuff that's hidden with her. Um, but she's got the energy of willow and she's got the energy of death. You see, she has, there is a rebirth moment for her. Rebirth, reboot. It's an opportunity for that. Now, whether she takes it or not, she has free will. She might not do that. She could turn away from some of what she's been involved with, which is not good, and she's brought a certain energy, and um, she could become a better woman. So that's individual to her, though. Uh, as I said, I don't really want to make this about her, but I will say that the whole aspect of somebody owning that much of the land doesn't sit well with the land, Okay. So how did I get to that? Can't quite remember, but um, let's just refocus. I've got I've got various notes here and things that I want to get um, through. And oh, it was about oh, that's right, it was Disney, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the film. Yeah, because in the film Moana, the island somehow has been compromised or it isn't what it could be. The land isn't happy. I think there's there's a big. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in that film based on what's happening right now in Hawaii. That's not to say there aren't many good people there. Of course, there are. The other thing I want to say about Hawaii generally, but with Maui, I mean, I've never been, but I think a lot of people go there like on honeymoons and things like that, don't they? Uh, I know it's supposed to have had a love. I'm sure it has got a nice laid back energy and, you know, somebody yesterday challenged me and sort of said, well, hold on, you know, but it hasn't got that out, out of balance yang energy there. It's laid back. It's all of this. Have we ever considered the fact that places are like that? Brilliant. Yes, that's why people go. But people aren't necessarily like that before they land there. So you get lots of people who are stressed out, um, burnt out, maybe frazzled. Um, who arrive and they dump all of that on the island effectively. They let go of all that and the island takes it and it transmutes it and then it takes the next plane load and the next plane load stuff. All of the emotional baggage, people come there, they're able to breathe, it's like, oh, I feel better. 
Yeah, but that energy has to go somewhere. Okay, energy doesn't just disappear. Energy goes somewhere. Hawaii's been taking. Hawaii has been people's dumping ground for a while, is what I'm hearing. Okay, um, and there comes a point where again she just says, "Hold on a minute." Again, I just now need to have a reboot. I need to have a recharge. I'm tired. I'm tired. Okay, so there's that. Now, let me just close my eyes because I got a message earlier with regards to Mother Earth, and this is important. So I'm going to do that now. Hold on, there's something else. I just don't want to lose my focus. Is that? I also need to talk about my Okay, sorry, I just need to try and keep it focused. Right, this this is what I was shown by Metatron, Mother Earth, okay? Uh, Mother Earth is a sentient being. She's a living being. Imagine her now standing before you as the mother. The mother right now is tired. One of the reasons she's tired is she is tired of the fighting upon her. And it's almost as though Mother Earth has become the latest topic that we all fight over. If you really think about that, we're fighting over Mother. We're fighting over her. Here we've got a camp which says all the things that are happening upon her are a result of climate change. Here we have a camp who say all of the things such as wildfires, Flooding is the result of man, is the result of manipulation, is the result of weapons maybe being fired, is the result the result of what I call the powers that were trying to control, trying to manipulate us. Here we have another camp, and it's the camp which talks about the fact that this is just what the earth does. Every thousand years or so, or whatever the time frame is, she reboots, her weather changes. We go into whatever it is, an ice age, we do this, we do that. It's always been thus. But all these different camps is becoming really quite unpleasant because, again, it's just another subject now where no one is listening to anybody else. This group's shouting over that group. This group is shouting over that group. No one's listening. And in the centre is Mother Earth, and she's so tired. I actually feel like she just wants to put a pair of earmuffs on so she doesn't have to hear us. But she loves us. So she's still present, but she's asking us to come together on this. Um, because as I said at the beginning, whatever you think the cause of things is with regards to, let's just call it weather, the end result is the fact we've got to, we've got to deal with it. We have to deal with it. I will just say one thing here on my Instagram page in particular yesterday, there were a lot of comments about, well, this fire in Maui has been caused by weaponry. It's just, I have to choose my words carefully because of YouTube censorship. It's been caused by weaponry. Okay. Um, it's been manipulated to that. I would say this, if you believe that, and I'm not going to get into what I believe, but if you believe that and say that is true, It is only allowed to be true because it is a reflection of the fact that the frequency on this planet is not high enough to have been able to have dissolved the ability of whoever these people are to do it. 
Because the truth is that when the planet is at a high enough frequency, and that frequency is love and unity, anything that is lower energy naturally falls away and dissolves. It can't sustain itself. It has no grip hold. It has nowhere to put its foothold. And so it just dissolves. It, it fades away. And so when we put all our energy, it, which can also sometimes feel like victim energy, into what they are doing to us, what they have done now, and that's the only thing we maybe even mention, not even like I hope the people of Maui are okay. It's just all about, oh, what they've done now. Um, A, it's giving more power to them. It's giving more power to them because energy goes where you put focus on it. Um, it's disempowering yourself. So, but also realize that change starts with us. And the more that we can become at peace with ourselves, the more that we can elevate our own consciousness one person at a time. Ultimately, anybody that you think is up there doing this stuff, they can only do it because we haven't ascended enough. So just work on your own ascension, work on your own awakening, work on your own response. And the response should always be something like Maui. It's the energy of Jesus, for example. It should literally be the case of how may I serve? How may I help you? What do you need? Okay. May I sit with you? May I, may I sit with you? May I listen with you? May I talk with you? May I, what do you need? Okay. It brings it right back down to that level rather than whipping up a storm and an argument. So just observe your reaction. Whatever your reaction is, is your reaction, but realize we can change it. We can um, bring the dial down inside us, which is flaring red. Again, think about the analogy of fire, flaring red. I'm angry. Look what they've done now. Look at that in the sky. Look at this. Look at that. Can you see? It's just everything. It's just the funeral pyre. The pyre's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger and bigger. And on the top of the pyre, of course, is the effigy of whoever we particularly really hate in the world, whoever they are. Let's just bring it back down again, back into the heart energy, back into the humble energy of Jesus. How may I serve you? Okay. So we've done that then. We've looked at Disney. Um, we have looked at Kate Bush. <laughs> just crossing things off here. Uh, what I want to talk, oh, we've looked at feral gangs. We've looked at fighting over mother. Yeah. I want now to look at the Banyan tree. So when the fires broke out, many people so upset about the destruction of this 150-year-old Banyan tree, also called the Bodhi tree. You might know it more as the Bodhi tree particularly if you don't live in places such as India or Hawaii, where these trees are more visible. I mean, I've never seen a banyan tree or a bodhi tree. They don't grow in the UK. Um, but yeah, banyan tree, bodhi tree is a sacred fig tree, 150-year-old tree. Uh, I can say to you that I believe it will survive. I absolutely believe it will survive. And I'm going to tell you why I think it will survive. And the reason why it will survive is also why we as a species will survive, why you will survive. And not only will you survive, will you thrive? It's to do with having a good rooting and grounding system beneath you. Now, 
You might say, well, the people that have lost their homes, are you saying that they didn't? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that take the example of somebody who's lost their home, right, in, in this situation. Having a good uh, rooting and grounding system, as the banyan tree does, and I'll talk about it in a moment, is made up also of people that are there for you in the event of a disaster. The person you know who actually says, oh, my, come, come and live with me, come and shelter with me for however long you need. What do you need? Your home has gone. It's, it's community. It's friends. It's acquaintanceships. It's tribe. It's tribe. So the thing about roots, uh, which also, also is linked into the ancestors I'm hearing as well. Okay. So roots are also linked into our ancestors. Um, it's not necessarily that great old Auntie Vi can help you on that particular day, although I'm sure she'd want to. It's more the fact that you own the strengths and the gifts of your ancestors. They run in your blood. And actually going back to Disney and Moana, um, one of the things about her is that it's very clear in the movie and it, it, it shows that she, she's got all of the ancestral help. She's listening to those ancestral voices. So rooting is also to do with owning your ancestral heritage, which comes back to knowing who you are. Okay. Uh, letting go of all the, you know, frippery and the distraction energy, which I've been talking about recently, coming back to self, learning who you are. Um, so there's that. Now the banyan tree, what makes it special is that it has multiple trunks. It has a huge rooting system underneath it. How it grows is that it obviously grows upward, but in particular, it grows this way. It grows horizontally and its branches grow so long that they end up drooping down. And as they droop down, they reach down onto the floor of Mother Earth and the branch becomes the, the new trunk. OK, and then that trunk puts roots down. So you have a tree, but actually it's, it looks like it's multiple trees because there are hundreds in some cases of these trunks. In fact, I read today that the largest known banyan tree has 350 large trunks and over 3000 smaller ones. Just think about that for a moment. Think about the size of that. 350 trunks. And those trunks and 3,000 small ones, those trunks have been made up of the branches wide, going down, rooting in, becoming a trunk. So the tree in uh, Lahaina, Lahaina uh, was said to be, I mean, don't quote me on this. I've not been, I've just read this. It says it was 60 foot high and it's it covered the space widthwise of about two thirds of an acre. Huge. The number of people that could shelter underneath that tree was huge. Um, so it's teaching us about, it's teaching us many things. It's teaching us about rooting. It's teaching us about grounding. It's also teaching us about space and the energy of air. Um, air is about the sense of feeling free, being able to expand. Think about this tree that's so large, it's so wide. It's so wide that it's going to take you quite a few minutes to even walk underneath it, the whole extent of it. 
So it's it's the energy of space, respecting space. Um, I also was interested by the fact that, yeah, it's a, it's a fig tree. Uh, and I was, Metatron led me down into the energy of Adam and Eve and the fig leaf. So, again, it's something I've talked about a lot in this channel. The fact that I believe that as we awaken as a planet, what we're doing is we're moving into what I call New Earth. But you could also call it New Eden. Okay, New Eden. Uh, of course, we were thrown out of Eden, certainly the female of the species thrown out of Eden. And we've been making our way back ever since, really. But we're not walking back into the same garden. Uh, but we are walking back to the same tree. But the tree is rebirthed. The tree is different this time. The tree won't be expelling anybody. The tree never did anyway. There's definitely something here about it being a fig tree, fig leaf, Adam and Eve, all of that, um, being welcomed back into the garden. The other thing about the banyan tree or the Bodhi tree is that it's the tree that Buddha was said to have sat underneath for uh, seven days, I think it was. Maybe longer. I might be wrong there. But anyway, he sat underneath the Bodhi tree. So there's this thing about the fact that even though it's burned to the moment, it will regenerate. It will grow back even bigger and stronger. And it will be, as it probably always has been, the focal point of that town's rebirth. Um, it's not going anywhere. It, it's, it might lie dormant for a while. It might not look good, but it will come back. And it's teaching us many things also about patience and cycles and the strength of nature. It's also teaching about the energy of green shoots that from something that looks blackened, um, dead effectively, it's actually not. There is life, but it's beneath the surface. It's what you can't see. And that life will come back and it'll come back stronger. So there is medicine there uh, at that tree. There always was. But the medicine is going to be even more potent and stronger. So don't cry too much over it. It doesn't want your tears. It wants the respect that it is a being like Gaia herself who knows how to transmute who knows how to come back, who knows how to keep on carrying on, and it will. Um, I'll just pull a card for the uh, tree. Ten of water, red clover, and the full dandelion on the bottom of the deck. Yeah, it's exactly what I just said. So ten of water is the ten of cups, which... And, and the full dandelion, um, the, it, it, it's going to have a brand new life, that tree. It, it, this is not the end. It's the beginning. It it feels as though it had completed, because the full in the tarot, as many of you know who read tarot, this is the start of a brand new journey. Because you have completed all of the other stages of the major arcana, you've gone through a whole cycle. The tree had gone through a whole cycle. So 150 years old, it, something is completing, something is closing out, but there's something new to come in. Um, and Ten of Cups is, is a very positive card. 
Ten of Cups is happiness, it's contentment, it's stability, it's family. For me, the Ten of Cups is always the energy of family. Now, the fact that, of course, this is also linked into Red Clover means that I must just check the symbolism of Red Clover in this deck. This is the, um, it's the same deck I used in the Lionsgate video, uh, the Herb Crafters Tarot. So let's just see what Ten of Water says. Remember, this is to do with the banyan tree, pulling a card for the banyan tree. Um, it says, uh, taste the nectar of deep nourishment. Serenity rises from the roots of gratitude. Compost breeds contentment. Wow. You see, that which is dead on the tree basically becomes compost for something else to grow. Compost breeds contentment. Serenity rises from the roots of gratitude. Um, so we are asked to extend gratitude for the tree that has been, for the wisdom that it's already given, for the shelter it's already given, for the seeds it's already given, the fruit it's already given. Um, gratitude for what has been, grati- gratitude for what will be. Gratitude for what has been, gratitude for what will be. Um, serenity is born from nourishment of the soul. Um, as the deep tap root of red clover restores the soil underground, the bright flowers delight humans and animals above ground. So it sounds like this is another plant that deeply roots itself then okay so we've got that let's just have a quick look at dandelion uh with the fool dandelion is about follow your dream seeds be audacious in your adventures and seek wisdom in weeds yeah you see the thing about the dandelion the dandelion seed when it goes to seed you know you blow it don't you and they scatter everywhere. It's absolutely the energy of the banyan tree that just will, will grow. It seeds will, it, it will just keep expanding. It'll be okay, guys. It'll be okay. But equally, it's there as a teacher. So we love, we love it for that. We love it for that. Okay. Anything else that I want to say in this video? Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, again, this was somebody who um, asked a question yesterday on social media, but I think it's worth saying the answer for everybody. I hope I haven't already said this in this video. Uh, Maybe if I've said it already, it needs repeating. Uh, Maybe you weren't awake the first time. Anyway, here we go. Let's, Let's get serious. So... Too much yang energy, too much fire energy, out of control, wildness, feralness, all the rest of it. And I said that, oh, but Maui is peaceful. I know I said that, okay? But people can dump their stuff, so she's had to transmute it. There's another thing as well. Um, behind, there was something along the lines of, well, why here? Why did it have to happen here? And we can understand that when it's our patch of earth, when it's our town, when it's our community. I was trying to think today, one of the places that I love the most in the world is London, the city of London, the West End of London in particular. I love it. And I was thinking, how would I feel if it was just raised to the ground? God forbid, cancel, clear, delete. 
And obviously I feel completely and utterly heartbroken. And I know some of the people right now feel completely like that with regards to their town, Lahaine, uh, being razed to the ground. And I was thinking, my goodness, that was just feels so terrible. But it's this energy of... What we need to try to understand is, okay, this is the analogy that I'm being given. If, God forbid, you become ill or we become ill and you've probably heard people say, why me? Why me? Why is it, why is it got to be, why is it me that's had the accident? Why is it me that's got cancer? Why is it me that, and to that, there's an energy of why not me? Why not me? Because it wasn't me. By implication, what we're really saying is it should be somebody else. So, for example, like with Maui, it's like, why here? Why here? I get it. I get, I'd be the same if it was London. Why there? But again, if not there, where else would you like it to be? And of course, the answer is I don't want it to be anywhere. I don't want anybody to be ill. I don't want anybody to have the fire. But if we understand that fire is 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 a result of this raging energy that we haven't dealt with, we haven't healed, we haven't processed within our world. Fast, 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 go, go, go. Um, unprocessed hate, anger, all the rest of it. It's got to it's got to burst forth somewhere. It has to be released somewhere. So if not there, where? I think when we see things such as this, for those of us that are not there, it should really rather be there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the God of the grace of God go I. And the energy of gratitude that I still have my home, that I still have my family, that I still have roof over my all of that. That energy of intense gratitude for what we have when we see whether it's a, a town with a terrible fire or somebody that's ill, is so much more healing to the collective than the energy of whipping up and putting more firewood onto that collective pyre. It's the result of this. They've done this. Oh, it just that just leads to oh, more, more, more of this. We have to calm the flames down and it starts with us. So if you're somewhere where it's affected, it's about coming together, it's community. If you're somebody that's not affected, it's there but for the grace of God go I and thank you Lord for what I have and deeply appreciate it. And for us all to put our roots down very deep. Let's think about that for a moment then. Of course, got the magician on the bottom of the deck, the sunflower. You see the sunflower. This has come up in a few of my readings recently, hasn't it? It's the energy of we turn our face towards the light. We turn our face towards the light. Our response should be towards the light. And I tell you what, you're going to fail and I'm going to fail a lot of the time. But you catch yourself when you do it. And you think, is that reaction the most helpful vibration 
that I'm putting out to the collective. Is this going to help or is this going to hinder? Is this going to make that fire, funeral pyre, bigger or am I going to be taking off the sticks? Okay. Right. What can we do then to help ourselves? Um, so I've given you the uh, four archangels. We have uh, Michael. We have Raphael. We have Gabriel. Uriel, I don't have in my home. Well, I do energetically. I don't have the spray. Didn't even realise I didn't have Uriel. It's quite interesting that Uriel is missing. I've got all of the sprays, obviously, because you know they're my sprays. But um, no, no Uriel. He's arriving tomorrow in the post. <laughs> Tracy's putting one in there for me, and then I'll have the four. I'll have the four. Um, the fact he's missing though is really interesting because Uriel for me. You know, if you watch me regularly, I always talk about him being like the canary that goes down the mine. He's the first, he's the first one there before anybody else. He goes in to sniff out the danger. And, um, he's, he's, he's the, you understand the, the canary in the mine? They used to send the canaries down in the mines to see if there was poisonous gas. And then if it was, if the canary came back alive, the men went down. And if the canary was dead, they didn't go down. That's sort of the energy of Uriel. He, he, he's like that on the battlefield. We're all a bit on the battlefield at the moment. So I feel as though he's out there doing work, um, of, of which we may not know even what that is. Now, you might say, well, where was Uriel then, you know, in, in, in Maui? And what I would say to you in response to that is, how do you know he wasn't there? Because even though there are 53 dead, it's probably going to be more than that. There could have been 500 dead. You never know the extent to which spirit has been able to step in and help. Um, because ultimately, if, for example, the earth needs to, um, well, the, what happens collectively and individually is, 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 is mirrored, you know, things. So if we've got all this, you know, fire energy it has to go somewhere so the earth is going to have a reaction or somebody's going to strike the match or do something to bring it about doesn't matter the cause in this respect it's going to happen um how do you know how do you know that the angels and spirit haven't gone in and actually saved 500 people's lives 5,000 people's lives you don't know were those 53 that died i know this is tough to hear but was it their sole contract was it their time to go? You see, you, you hear this a lot, that people, for example, who maybe when it's your time to go, you go. It's as simple as that. But also, if put it this way, what I'm being told is this. Those that have gone, I don't want to personalise this, but let's take it out of this situation in Maui, just to any event that happens. The people that go, if they hadn't gone then, it may well have been that in six months' time there could have been a disease or an accident or something else would have happened. When it's your time, it's your time. But don't ever think just because an awful disaster happens and people die that the angels weren't there. They absolutely were. But you will never know the extent to which they actually helped save people whose time it was not then to go. It's as simple as that. Okay. 
So, yeah, it's a bit heavy, I know, but that's truly what I believe. So anyway, Uriel not here. Um, what I have done, and I've talked in previous videos, I will put a picture up so you can see it. Uh, maybe on my community tab on YouTube, and I'll put the picture up on Facebook and Instagram. But I've actually made a altar here. I suppose I could move my camera. I don't think, I'm not very good with moving cameras when I'm filming. I'll do it in a moment just to show you. But on it, I've got the lion heart painting from Lion's Gate. I've got the um, four uh, elemental sprays, earth, fire, water and air. I have the three archangels, which will be four tomorrow. I've got some crystals that felt as though they wanted to be there. The reason I'm talking about this grid is that I feel as though when we make a grid, it's um, it's a portal point for prayer and healing. So we can send our good wishes to the people of Maui, for example, or anywhere else that needs it. But also we can set up a grid within our home to help protect our home. I have done work on this before, but it's with the intention of protection. It doesn't have to be grand and extravagant. It can be very simple. It's something that you put your um, your prayers, your wishes into to keep your home, yourself safe. Um, and I will reference below the video where I've talked about this in more depth. Because what you can also, let me come to that in a moment. There's other things you can do to protect your home. Let me just tell you what else I've got on my grid. I've got some crystals. Uh, I've got lava stone. I've got jet. Jet, um, again, I think it's pure, it's wood, isn't it? Jet, fossilized wood from memory. Um, I have kundalini quartz just to represent the fact that everything will come back. Um, everything will regrow. Um, I've got the fairy stone to represent the elements. And the fact that the elements are working in overdrive. If you could see the elemental energy that is there, for example, in Maui, to try to help, to clear. This includes, I'm being shown, it's a weird thing to be shown this when we're actually talking about fire, but I'm now being shown very wet wood. Um, wet wood that is almost so wet, it's like pulverised with wetness and it starts to disintegrate. But in in the pulverised wet wood, there are creatures and insects that are breaking it down. It's like there are elementals and there are insects that are breaking down, um, making into compost that which needs to go back into the earth. So as well as man and woman and anybody coming in and shoveling the streets and clearing the streets and sweeping up and all the rest of it and rebuilding, the elementals are doing that, are trying to help as well. So never forget that. And also include the fairies, include the elementals. Um, and again, that energy of gratitude, giving gratitude to them for being with you in, in the rebuild. Okay. Also have the energy of copper, just felt as though it needed to be here. At the end of the day, copper is a conductor of energy. You can use copper also to connect into your roots, your rooting system. Copper is also good for helping you to align to anything that you wish to align to. Um, it's a uh, it's a conductor. So, uh, you know, you can ask it to help you uh, replenish your power, uh, your solar plexus energy, your roots um, to uh, align to the right path for you at any one time. 
Uh, I don't know, well, I probably do know, but my little tortoise wanted to be with us as well today. And, I, you know, he is a tortoise. He's very old. I've had him since I was about 10. He's a, he's a whimsy. He's a wade whimsy. Um, but, you know, he could be a turtle, I suppose. But, you know, it's the thing about carrying your home on your back is the message that he's got um, to do with the fact that those, you know, I might, I'm not going to have lost my home, but, you know, if, if you've lost your home, it's literally like your home. This is a tough thing to say with me sitting here in my home with all my possessions. I, I realize this. But I'm just being asked to say that your home is not your wall. It's not the walls. It's not the possessions. It's it's the it's the most important things, which is just you, you know, your family, the basics. It's the basics. He's got everything that he needs underneath his shell. The turtle, the tortoise, definitely coming forward as a totem as well. There's also something here about the tortoise being slow and steady. And of course, because fire, the fire imbalance in our world is to do with this fast, 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 go, 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 you know, driven, motivated energy the whole time. The tortoise is the opposite. She's like, you know, hey man, let's just slow it down, like slow pace. But the tortoise is the one that wins the way, the race. So he's coming forward. We also have the energy of butterfly. And this stone reminds me also of the energy of John Lennon. Um, for reasons too obscure to really tell you about. But just trust me, this stone links me to John Lennon. I bought it around the time I think I first channeled him. And I'm pretty sure John gave us the symbol of the blue butterfly or butterflies um, linking into his energy. I will say as well that on Facebook, you know, when it comes up with memories that you said this five years ago, two years ago, whatever. Um, I had a memory come up today on Facebook linked into John and it looked like it was a video that I made where I was defending a piece of work I'd done with him. There must have been a few funny comments or something. And the gist of it was this. Um, this is what I've written down. The first, this is what John, I think, must have said. The first teaching on building community is communities need rules, otherwise they are lawless. I don't know if it was me that said that or John that said that because, you know, yeah, John's a free spirit. But this is the point I'm trying to make. There's a middle way that we need in our world um, between it all being too loose and then it can become very lawless and nobody knows where they stand and there's no boundaries and people think they can just do anything and turn up to Oxford Street and rob a shop because why the hell not? Why can't I? Um there need to be rules. There needs, but again, the rules, it's interesting. The rules for New Earth have not been written yet, but we need something. One of you said, uh, I haven't got the quote to hand, I don't think. Uh, it was a comment that came in on YouTube. He said, do read all of your comments. I read every single comment that comes in, even if they're not very nice and they end up getting deleted. But um, <laughs> I read everything. Somebody said it was an astrological thing about Aries coming into, uh, what was it? Let me see if I can find it. Hold on a minute, because it made sense to me. Hold on. Can't find it, guys. <laughs> but uh, I think it was something to do with Aries in Pisces or Aries in Europe. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, I think the gist of it was something along the lines of that we will find structure will come, um, but in a new way. 
it's like the rules haven't been written yet for the new age. And as a result, top, um, combined with the fact that people don't understand the awakening process uh, or the ascension process on this planet, uh, we've just got we've got we've got a big problem, haven't we? So, um, but it will balance itself out. It will balance itself out. So, yeah, that quote. First, the first teaching on building community is communities need rules, otherwise they are lawless. Yeah. Okay, um, let's see. Anything else to say? Um, let me just tune in. Let's tune into Mother Earth. So the Earth Elemental. Maui. Oh, okay, this is interesting. What the earth in Maui is saying is she doesn't want the rebuild to be rushed. It's really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm just being shown the land there that is blackened and charred. And it needs to just rest. You know, uh, if you're a farmer, <laughs> not that I am, you have times when the field just has to be fallow and it has a, has a year out. It just, it just needs to just, just be. It just needs to be. It's as though the land there just needs to be. Now this is going to be at odds with human need to build straight away. What do you mean I've got to wait? You know, it's like I haven't got a house, I, but I'm just giving you the messages. So, uh, it feels as though this is the request from, from the land that they, it would just, it needs a period just to settle and to be and just to be left to be, just to be left to be rather than what I'm seeing as a potentiality is a lot of, uh, landowners coming in or, um, not landowners, um, you know, construction companies, big money to rebuild the town better than before. You know, I, I hear, I can hear the vision of business spiel. Oh, build back God. better than before and it's going to be bigger and better. And all, it's like the land saying, no, no, we just need time to settle. Need time to settle. So I don't know whether, put it this way, if like a developer comes in and does that, I don't know whether they'll be shown the door because there's a consciousness that exists in that place that actually rules the roost. And what it doesn't like, it will get rid of, is what I'm hearing. So I don't know what that means. It might just mean that, you know, somebody comes in with a plan to rebuild the mall and uh, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And then suddenly they can't do it for some reason. But it will be it will be Mother Earth that sort of put a spanner in the works there. So that's interesting. So that's the message of fire, of earth. Let's see what the message of fire is now. This is the fire elemental. I'm hit before I've even sprayed it. I'm hearing, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm actually feeling quite upset. I'm feeling an emotion with this before I've even sprayed it. I'm sorry. I'm hearing the Hopahona prayer. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Didn't that come from Hawaii? Isn't that a Hawaiian prayer? I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. That's what I'm hearing. Um, and if you understand what that is, in many ways, it's everything I've been trying to sort of express in this video. It's the fact that everything that happens 
everything comes back to us. Everything is a reflection or a mirror of us to some degree. Um, fire. I'm being shown the energy of fire, the fire that raged through. It's a bit like it's for some reason it's showing me itself as an animal. It's like um, anybody that's got a dog knows that dogs have this face when they know that they've done something that has caused a problem and they're just like, you know, they look, they don't, they can't look you in the eye. The energy of this fire is like, I can't look you in the eyes. It's almost, it didn't want to do it is what I'm feeling. It didn't want to have to do it. Um, repentant. I'm feeling the fire is repentant. The fire as a being is repentant for what it now sees it's caused. Of course, because again, go back to the feral mobs. It's like they act in that way because they don't ever see the long-term consequences of their actions. I've just robbed your store, but I don't care because I haven't thought about, you know, that you actually have a family and you rely on the money from that store and that's your job. And if the shop goes under, then you're not, you know, none of that comes into their equation or I've knocked some little old lady out trying to get into the store because it's a big laugh, isn't it? We're all here having a big laugh, you know, about to do some looting. No one gives a toss about anybody else. But actually, karma catches up with you eventually because everything has a consequence. So this fire energy that I'm tuning into, it's like it's like it's had its rampage and now it's just like hiding underneath the table, not wanting to be seen. It's like... Mm. Okay, let's see what water would like to say. Why was I not there is what I'm hearing. Why was I not there? I'm also being shown the waters that people jumped into. Um, it wasn't necessarily a safe refuge. Okay, thank you. Right, um, the energy of safe refuge with water. Again, if you follow my work regularly, you know what I'm about to say probably. Mother Mary to me is the safe harbour. The people that jumped into the water didn't find a safe harbour. A lot of people drowned because, yeah, there was wind whipping up and everything. It wasn't wasn't a wasn't a nice. It wasn't a safe refuge. It wasn't a safe harbour. So, again, um, I'm sorry that I couldn't be a safe harbour for you is what I'm hearing. I couldn't be a safe heart. That's not Mother Mary. That's the waters. Wherever I'm, Lahaina, wherever the waters are there, this is what I'm feeling they're saying. I'm sorry I couldn't be a safe harbour for you. Um, I'm I'm hearing the waters say, let us rebuild together. Um, The waters also just feel as though they are representing the town's sadness, grief, loss. Um, I'm being drawn back to the Disney film, Moana. Uh, wasn't there something to do with a hook in the bottom of the water, the, the ocean? But it's from there that you pull out the heart energy. And um, I'm going to pull a card from the Christ deck for water. 
does water, what does the water elemental have to say with regard to this fire? What is the teaching from water? Oh, hold on, that's too many. I'm not taking all of those. What is the teaching from water? Prepare and get ready. Night's vigil. Oh, okay. Right, so I do understand. Oh, we've also got this one on the bottom of the deck, which is quite um, pertinent. This is Jesus calming the sea and uh, tending to the fear. And the lesson is faith over fear, having faith over fear. If you've ever had to jump into the waters, God forbid, in that type of situation again to escape the fire, you have to jump in with the energy that I am safe in the water, that the water is a safe harbour. I mean... I mean, I can understand it. People obviously jumped into the water completely terrified and in fear. But the water then held that energy of terror and fear. And those waters need to be cleansed. But equally, if you ever had in that situation and have to do that, you flee into the water to escape fire. You have to jump in. I know this is hard to do, but with the energy of um, that the waters will uh, save me, keep me safe. I'm seeing a starfish, you know, lying buoyant on, on it rather than drowning. Heavy messages there from water. Okay. And, and get ready. This is the, again, this is the Disney reference. The fact that she had to, um, go off on a long voyage across water where she had to face many trials and tribulations before she came back to the island to save the tribe, to bring back the heart. So this is about getting ready, being the faithful servant. Um, and maybe we're all that in terms of trying to bring back the heart consciousness to all of our communities, all of our places. OK, last spray to use is the air elemental. And uh, let's see if there's anything to say with this one. Air elemental linked into Maui. What happened? Have the winds quietened down a little bit now? I'm feeling it's flat or it feels flat or it's coming, it's getting to a flat phase soon. Um, again, I'm just hearing all spent, all spent. So it's tail end, isn't it? The hurricane, it's all spent. Um, I'm just being shown what's, what it says on the bottle, which is breathe, breathe. One breath at a time, <coughs> one step at a time. Um, you will rebuild. We will rebuild. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to leave it there, I think, for this. I hope this has helped somebody out there. I hope, I hope it's given some comfort, some support. And I send you all my love. Thank you very much for listening. Please like and share this video if you found it to be a support. Bye-bye for now. See you. Bye. Oh, my goodness. Brought my head to go quickly. We're reinventing our network for total confidence and complete control. 
fast, reliable, perfectly orchestrated. The United States Postal Service. Guess what? Positive thinking can heal you of any disease. Negative thinking can create any disease. It can even kill you. You believe you're going to die? <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I know we're at this last moment, but I just wanted to say that Caroline is saying that something quite amazing is about to take place place and I agree as well I'm not quite sure what it is I just know that there was one word that's being put into this context it's called the flash and I was just at the last minute here looking on our PBS and there's all these concerts that they've got on there they don't usually do this so they must be also thinking something's going to happen Rama, <laughs> that thing, it went off and then it had all this crazy noise. But um, we're, I know it's time to go. I just want to say thank you, and I'm, I'm glad we played Amanda. That was helping to break down the trauma. Uh, I personally... Spent time living in Lahaina, and my time on on the islands just—it was a really big deal for me. The energies are so um, off-world. <laughs> um, and uh, you've have you been to Hawaii, Rama? No, no. Is there a place where that magic? Uh, that you've been? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been so many places. Uh, Nepal. Nepal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is that a really beautiful place? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know something kind of traumatic happened there not too many years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but now we, now, you know, the Hawaiian Islands had their turn now. But, uh, is there a, we, we got 30 seconds, Rama. Let's see. What do you share with us before the we... The angels are listening. <laughs> the angels are listening. And Rainbird. We got yeah, a caller. Yes, I, the angels are listening. And then I thought of you, Rainbird. Yeah, yes, yes, I'm talking What What was that? I said you thought of me just in time. <laughs> you, I, I, I thought of you just in time. Is that what she said? Uh huh. Again. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to share before we say a good night here? Just my gratitude that we we did it today and it was beautiful. So. Lots of gratitude and that passes talking to you. Thank you. Okay, Rainbird. Thank you too. And Rama, do you have something you want a piece of music or anything? Yeah, this is about five minutes. What music? This is about it's uh Paul Lucknegger. Oh. Angels are listening. 
All right, we'll listen to a little piece of music. Um, I guess we're all ready to see the dream time. Here we go. Thank you, Mama. Thank you. That was perfect. Until we meet again, everyone, this was a really special night. Uh, thank you for sharing it with us, everyone. And um, we just hold all the people in Maui, in Lahaina, in all the places where there might be fires around the world. We hold them in our hearts, too, and send this beautiful song out to the world. Until we meet again, Sat Nam. Sat Nam Ki. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil. Live long. Prosper. And may we do this again and again and again, as Rainbow always says. Aloha, everyone. Thank you, everybody at BBS Radio, too. It's been such a joy to be able to have this space with you and share. Namaste. Namaste.